so I mean, I find it funny, the whole the whole situation for me from an academic perspective, it's hilarious. Um, um, mainly because these hedge funds had way overexposed themselves on the short position. Um, and the fact that um, I guess Wall Street bets figured this out and then started just hammering the stock um, was very amusing to me, um, at least. And, and I was able to talk about it in my class because I'm teaching a finance class right now. So it's, it's been interesting. Um, in terms of, are they missing anything? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the price will eventually revert um, back to fundamentals. Like there'll be this momentum swing and eventually you would imagine that the price will go down. So yes, they're having this enthusiasm and they might be able to get a lot of these, some of these hedge funds who are overexposed when their short orders come up. But at the end of the day, they have a lot more capital and will probably be able to unfortunately beat the little guy at their own game um, in the sense of they might get some of them, but they're not gonna get, you know, everyone. It's not everyone who is exposed. Anyways. Yeah, my, my name is Andy Swan. Um, I've been in the finance industry for 22 years. I'm an active trader. I've started uh, three financial technology companies. Uh, our biggest clients are some of the biggest hedge funds in the world. We also uh, deal with brokers and individual investors a lot. And, um, you know, what I saw this week was something that I've never seen before in the equities markets. I've seen something similar in Forex markets and some of the less uh, well-known markets where, um, you know, brokerages would actually work against their own clients' interests. Uh, but generally speaking, you don't see that type of thing uh, in this industry. And what, um, and what happened was, I mean, Christopher got the basics right. You know, the, there was a, an enormous um, short interest, which is where, uh, you know, this hedge funds had sold uh, shares that they didn't own, betting that the company would go down in value uh, so that they could buy it back later or put the company into bankruptcy. And I think one thing to keep in mind when you're trying to figure out, you know, whether we should have any sympathy for these hedge funds is that they were doing this during a global pandemic when governments had shut down these stores. There's tens of thousands of employees sitting at home, still getting uh, paid some by GameStop. And these guys are trying to put the company out of business by reducing its ability to raise capital for, for itself. And so that's what they were trying to do. And what happened was some smart individual investors uh, got together. They put out this thesis over the course of a long period of time in a very transparent manner on Wall Street Bets on Reddit, put their thesis out there, put their positions, disclosed them uh, each step of the way, and essentially exposed that the hedge funds had overplayed their hand dramatically and laid out this plan where they could short squeeze the short and, and move the stock higher. And if essentially getting to this cycle of buying that almost can't be stopped, right? And it wasn't going to be stopped until Robinhood uh, stepped in and some of the other uh, clearing firms and said, people are no longer allowed to buy this stock with their cash, okay? Which is very different than in normal markets uh, if things get really crazy, you can say, we're not going to loan you money to buy extra shares on margin. That's what that's called. They'll, they'll put margin restrictions on and say, you're not allowed to do that anymore. We're not comfortable loaning you that money, which I'm totally fine with. But in this case, Robinhood said, you're not allowed to buy shares of stock with your own money. 
essentially because Robinhood had gotten itself into some serious trouble uh, from a, a financial liquidity standpoint. And, uh, you know, essentially created a one-way market where you could sell, but you can't buy. Other people can buy, but you can only sell. And that is the definition of an unfair market. And uh, it's one of those things I've just never seen anything like it. And it made me uh, really realize that, um, you know, clearly Robinhood is not on the side of its clients. Uh, it, it threw its clients under the bus. Uh, it is not the, uh, the, the, the little guy's champion uh, that it claims to be in all of its marketing and all of its history. Uh, it's, it's kind of like everybody else, but even worse uh, in that it, it duped a lot of people into thinking that it was. It's like the Hotel California, but worse. Way worse. Way worse. Yeah, it was, it, it was a bad scene. Uh, very sad day for uh, the American stock market. I think it will continue into next week. Robinhood's got serious liquidity problems. They're already putting out uh, restrictions on stocks completely unrelated, uh, which tells me that they have serious liquidity issues. They, they're putting out restrictions right now. You can only buy one share of Starbucks, for example. Um, the only reason that you would do that is not because you're protecting the investor against losing money on Starbucks. It's because you're protecting yourself against a liquidity problem inside of your own firm. And that is uh, very dangerous, especially when you've got so many millions of people's money in there. And uh, once you start down the slippery slope of you can't buy, you can't transact with your own cash, it could lead. I'm not saying it will. I'm not trying to create a run or any rumors. But those are the types of things you see a lot of times before other types of transactions, whether they're withdrawals, deposits, or otherwise, start being restricted as well. Before I open this up to the rest of the panel, uh, Christopher, any response? I mean, he's absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that was going on, I completely agree with everything Andy's saying. Um, one of the things that, I mean, I think complicates the issue for Robinhood is they are brokerage, and then they have to go through a clearinghouse, and they have to have a certain amount of money on files. That's exactly what Andy's talking about in terms of this liquidity issue, which means, you know, if they were doing even more restrictions today, that's problematic. And unless they get an infusion of capital from someone else, it seems like they're having trouble meeting the orders that their clients are, are processing, which is the reason why you had these one-sided trades. You could go down, you could sell because that would help them balance their books and therefore help their liquidity issue. Um, so, I mean, to a certain extent, I have some sympathy for Robinhood, but I also agree it's a completely unfair market. You shouldn't have one direction trades and somebody, need, you know, something needs to be done about that. And I mean, this comes back to some of the financial regulations that were put in place by Dodd-Frank, which for the most part to help with sort of um, financial stability. So it, it, it's a difficult position for Robinhood to be in, but also you, sh you, can't, you can't go one direction and not expect the SEC to get involved because you're now kind of tipping the scales. That's that's you know my mm. thoughts on that. Well, what what do you think of uh, this uh, this feeling that's in the air for a lot of people today that people who are let's say in hedge funds are able to get away with things that the little people cannot, and it seems like this is turning into in people's perception a uh, class warfare type deal. But the only other thing that I would add to that, because I personally and the I'm not economically literate, so I leave it to the professionals here to uh, talk about this and to find out what exactly is going on. But uh, when it when it comes for me to this uh, to to this class warfare situation, 
I still uh, assume that there are people in the middle class, people who want to, you know, put their kids through college or save for retirement that would put their money into hedge funds. It's not just a game played by these rich fat cats while twirling their cat whiskers. So would there be any credence to that as far as, uh, you know, the unintended consequences of bringing these hedge funds down? Uh, so let me know what you think on that matter. Well, can I also ask a question on that too, sure. uh, Lev? Is is the, one of the other things too that's been coming up a lot is uh, like the former head of the Fed, current uh, Secretary of Treasury, I think Janet Yellen has uh, received lots of money from a lot of these companies that are connected to Robinhood and others that have also been. Um, uh, I mean, like even my brokerage firm shut down for three hours, and it's a it's a major bank. It's a brokerage firm attached to a major bank, and like they they locked me out from doing any trades and canceled all my good good till canceled orders without before I uh, allowed them to, which I didn't lose any money or anything, but like they, it was totally unrelated to this. And um, so if you guys have any sort of comment on that is like, you know, we're looking at people trying to, you know, fix what's going on, but everybody who's in a position to fix it is connected to these hedge funds. Yeah. So I want to chime in here. I, I think what the, what the real problem here is, it's not like, you know, screw hedge funds, hedge funds are evil. Like, no, you know, hedge funds serve a role. It's not that they're like unilaterally bad guys. The problem is that like our economic and monetary environment has supported a market where investors think that the Fed and the government, they're going to come in and backstop every crisis with liquidity. They think that, you know, the money printer is going to turn on, the Fed's going to turn on, the government's going to turn on and shore up markets every time there's a crisis. And what this has created, it's created this environment where it pays to be reckless. It pays to, you know, put all your funds money into a massive short position on a stock because we have, we have disincentivized funds and investors to manage their own risk. They're just, they're incentivized to just make as much money as they can. And like when you or I, like if we get into a trade, if we get into an investment and we get blown out, there's nobody that's going to bail us out. Right. But firms have come to expect this on both kind of like a market level and even, you know, at times on a, you know, direct corporate bailouts. And I think it, it's created fragility. It's made our markets more fragile and um, it's, 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 it's a crucial issue. And I just want to add on to there too, that, you know, what Stephen was saying, the system rewards bad behavior. What Melvin Capital did specifically, Melvin Capital, who borrowed their money from Citadel to do this short squeeze, the kind of short they did was a naked short, which if you just do a little Googling and go on Investopedia, it says like three times that this strategy is illegal. But so they over leveraged themselves and they basically overbought 138%. And that's okay. That's okay to over leverage something and just take advantage of what these Redditors are just trying to do by holding down the line. And, you know, God damn those poor individuals who basically get slapped on the wrist for, you know, finding a chink in the armor and trying to play against the system. I mean, people are going to find loopholes, but we really need to point out like <laughs> these blatant illegal actions and we've seen it in the past like in 08 that people keep getting rewarded for this bad behavior because they just get bailed out 
Well, Christopher, would you agree, and I would love to then hear from Andy about this, would you both agree or disagree that there are actions that would be seen as blatantly illegal, yet they are allowed to go on? Uh, sure. Um, I'm not 100%, so I have not, I don't know their SEC filing. So I, I'm talking from behind a veil of ignorance here about exactly the the uh, the short strategy that uh, Citadel, not Citadel, I'm sorry. Uh, Melvin Capital. Barbara. Melvin Capital. Thank you. Melvin Capital took. Okay. My guess is, is they used a combination of shorts and options, call options in order to hedge themselves, but they did not fully hedge all of the short sales. That's my guess. Now, that being said, I don't know what they, if they, what they did was illegal and I'm not going to say that it was, but was it a, an extensive amount of risk that they did not accurately calculate as to what, how big their exposure was? Absolutely. Should they then be punished for that? Absolutely. That's the way the market should work. Um, if you're not going to, you know, whoever the analyst was who decided, hey, let's go short this and not fully hedge ourselves, um, that's, that's on them. And yes, they would get a higher profit yield, but then because, but then at the other, a higher return, sorry. So then on the other end, you know, they can get screwed, which is exactly what's happening. I, I, I agree that what we need to be, what we should be doing is holding people accountable for the amount of risk that they are taking. And if they are not doing good analysis on their risk, then they pay the price. Because if I went and did all of this, I went and shorted a bunch of stocks and didn't properly hedge myself, I'd be bankrupt. Yeah. Um, exactly like um, Samba was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I do, I do some options trading uh, on the side, not, not a huge amount, but like just from like a retail trader's perspective, I, like they don't, they don't allow me to, I, I, I can leverage a little bit. Like I can, I can, I can trade on margin in options a little bit, but, um, but not know, 140%. No. No, I can, I can, I can, I can do about fifty percent. I think is my limit, but I don't even do it because I don't like the risk exposure. But I, and I understand from like a hedge funds perspective, doing something like this. But um, you know, you 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 need to lay in the bed that you made. I mean, I I get it that that all of the last twenty, well, more than twenty years has shown them that uh, if they make a mistake, then the Federal Reserve is just going to come in and save them. But uh, I think that we're kind of at the end of the rope for that, especially on a, from a public opinion standpoint, is that people are like, you know what, uh, we've been screwed over too many times. And now we even see that, and this is up in your your area, Lev, is Republicans are restarting Occupy Wall Street, which is wild. <laughs> like, mm. I, I, That's... It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird time is that I think that, you know, the scales have fallen from everyone's eyes and they're kind of going like, I'm tired of getting, you know, fucked in the booty hole. So yeah, and and Andy, do you agree that the uh, fucking in the booty hole right now is something that is yeah. illegal? Uh, I mean, something that should be illegal and right now remains legal. And is there any way to fix that? Bitcoin fixes getting fucked in the booty hole. Just for the record. <laughs> well, here I'll, t I'll say this much: I don't I don't see any evidence so far that anyone broke the law at all. Um, I see a a hedge fund. Uh, they did not have a holding of 140% short of GameStop. They did not, in their own world, did not hold that large of a position. They held a very large position that was part of a, a, a position that got uh, so extended. I don't think anyone did anything illegal. Um, I think that uh, what's great about this and what we should actually be celebrating right now 
is that Melvin Capital is about to have the worst weekend of the last decade of their life uh, because they got called on something that normally works. Uh, they got called by a bunch of people on Reddit getting together that figured out what they were doing, among others, and exposed it. And you can actually say, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody uh, did anything illegal on any on either side. I haven't seen that yet. What I have seen is that one side tried to be really smart and thought they were smart and had a ton of money and thought they could just push people around and end the company's ability to raise capital and end the company's ability to employ a bunch of people during a pandemic. They thought they could do that. But instead, a bunch of guys on Wall Street said, hey, these guys have gone over the line. We can see that through the disclosures that they make and we can take advantage of it and go against them. And they're the ones that are staring at having to borrow money. They're the ones that are going bankrupt, that are potentially probably going to have to fold up their entire firm. And so they went from million dollar homes in Miami and yachts to trying to figure out how they're going to patch things together over the weekend, just like you and I would, but on a larger scale. And so I think in that respect, the market worked really well. And those little guys that figured it out, they got in, some of them got in at six, seven bucks a share. And it's trading at 320 right now. They got rewarded wildly for the risk that they took. And they've got millions of dollars in the bank because of it. So I think in some respects, while I agree that there are some problems with the market and there's problems with every market, in this case, uh, the little guy up to this point has won and won in a very, very big way. And the government didn't have to get involved at all. Well, that's, that, I one think that's the guy is in well, one at a time, one at a time. Okay, so Phil, then Jake, and then Gio. And everybody subscribe. This is my chance to tell everybody <laughs> no. to subscribe. We fixed Patreon. the chat long ago. Patreon.com slash break the rules. And also, Sneed us your super chats. We have the need for Sneed. So, Sneed us your Need. super chats right now. So, Phil, go for it, buddy. Yeah, so I think it's very a very top down approach and a very David Goliath story in that does the little guy really win if the little guy isn't able to uh always able to do is sell stock and by the way gme gets delisted from Robinhood and other platforms as we heard from jake i feel like this is a, a real virtue signal from the establishment and the system that we have to deal with that is a problem um people are starting to wake up and realize that the money that they invest in on whatever platform they choose really isn't theirs but we're seeing financial censorship and actually Robinhood making sales for people in order to like, obviously if people can only sell then that's going to, you know, help out the, the hedge funds that we're only shorting. And also people are getting censored on platforms like Reddit and discord to share this outsider information is outsider trading. Like, is that a problem? I, I don't think so. I, again, I think people just found the chink in the armor and it was just the common man looking at an opportunity. And that's what markets should do. And whoever fails on the other end should fail because that's what markets do. And so I think in this case, the little guy has been silenced to benefit these people that are making these regulations and rules because otherwise people find out that the emperor bleeds. He has no clothes. And again, God forbid the average person is able to accumulate some wealth. Yes, some people may have gotten away uh, you know, before they started shutting down operations. But still, this is a systemic issue. 
And you know, this is why I personally am such an advocate for Bitcoin because one, obviously it's the greatest store of value and people are starting to wake up and realize that goddamn Ray Dalio is now turning his head towards it and is going to have a fund for alternative investments. But you know, him aside, people are starting to wake up and see that this is a true store of value. And with Bitcoin, you own it. There's a slogan in the Bitcoin community, not your keys, not your coins, not your stock, uh, you know, not your stock money or like not your investment, not your stock, like not your platform, not your stock. You can't pull off your GME on Robinhood and have it in your personal possession. You can do that with Bitcoin. And I think people are going to start to wake up and realize how rigged the system is against them. And, you know, the only safe haven is going to be obvious, as well, Elon I mean, Musk pointed out. The, as, as much as I share enthusiasm for, for Bitcoin, the, the market, the stock market pays plays a different role in the economy than Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is whatever you want it to be, a store of value or whatever. Um, the, the market is a way for companies like GameStop to raise capital, to move forward or grow their operations, change the market or whatever that they're, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do, they need to raise capital that way. And, and I see what you're saying is, you know, it's great that um, the little guy can um, store their value in, in Bitcoin. And I, th- and I do think there's a, there's a strong future for Bitcoin, but um I think Andy is correct that so far uh, the market has worked the way that you know free market capitalists or whatever would expect it to work is these guys got slapped and that's the way it should be. My my concern is what happens next and and my concern is that the the government has shown that every time anything like this happens they go in and they save those people and and then and allow them instead of them having to mortgage their million dollar Miami homes or whatever they get to come in and they get to have a golden parachute, go to the next hedge fund, close that business. And who gets stuck with it is the regular people get stuck with it through inflation uh, or taxes or what, whatever it is they're, they're doing. And, and sort of on that, on the crypto note, and this is, I guess, sort of a side thing is that there is some interesting technologies being developed now. Um, and, and just because like I do run a, a wine podcast, so I do pay a lot of attention to wine. One of them is uh, wine futures. Uh, there are tokens being developed so that you can purchase them with Bitcoin to um, certain wines need to age for a certain amount of time. So you could purchase futures in barrels and things like that. I think it's called Alt- Alti or something along those lines. Um, That's dope. Uh, so yeah, there's there's kind of an interesting market opening up. And I'm wondering if if maybe the future of, of stock trading is going to be in this in this too, is that uh, sort of to your point, Phil, is that if it's, if it's, it's not your stock, if the company can just like in my case, they can just cancel all of my good till closed orders. I put in orders and I said, I wanted these to sell at a certain price or I wanted them to buy at a certain price and they canceled all of them and then locked me out for three hours, which again, I didn't lose any money, but I, but people who trade on my platform may have, uh, and it wasn't anywhere related to GameStop because I don't trade in that area, but um, it was their entire platform, which they said was technical difficulties possibly. And it might be just a traffic thing, but it's also like, yeah, you're having technical difficulties at a time when everybody needs to access their account or everybody wants to access their account. It's, it's almost like a bank run to some degree. Um, but, uh, well, and it is a bank. It's, it's just their, their trading side. But I, I'm wondering if, if either Chris or Andy, if, if we want to take it on the, on the uh, sort of the Bitcoin path or not. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just want to say like- The, the crypto path. Or, but I, I mean, like, it's, that, it's that, I guess my point is that I have zero expectation that the government's going to do the right thing in on this. Whether they broke the law or not, they wrote the laws originally anyway, so they know how to navigate that system. 
they're the ones who, I mean, just I brought this up earlier. Janet Yellen gave a $850,000 speech to one of these large capital firms or whatever, right? Citadel. Yeah, uh, Citadel, yeah. So like it's, it, they're the ones writing the laws anyway. So they, of course, they know how to na- navigate them, but kind of to um, like sort of Phil's point is that, and sort of what I add on to this is that we have a wine futures market that is starting to appear on blockchain, not necessarily in Bitcoin, but it's on a side chain. Um, and do you guys, are you paying attention to that at all? Or, or do you think- I mean, before that, that I, just, I just want to make this one point and then y'all can say whatever. Yeah. But it's not a free market solution that happened if people aren't allowed to participate in a free market. Because if yeah. I can't make my trade and I can't hold my position, that's not a free market. That is coercive. That is me not handling my funds. And so, and so I don't we think also, it's fair to say that a free market actually resolved this issue. I completely agree, Phil. And I also, I, I, I wouldn't agree to say that, you know, the, the good guys won that this played out because we don't, we don't know that yet, right? We're in like the first inning of this thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable saying that just because what happens if next week the SEC comes out and says, all right, so we've decided the solution is now retail can't sell options. They can't access options unless they have $100,000 in their account. What if, what if that's the regulatory direction we go in? If, well, if that happens, you know, we, we can't say that, you know, it all played out, uh, you know, appropriately. Um, so I think, well, I think. I, th- I think, though, like, I-, I agree with you that we don't know if it's going to play out appropriately, but, but the market did react appropriately. That's, I think, the no, key point. I, is I, I, I can't agree with that when, you know, eight different brokerages, you know, made unidirectional trading available. Right? But that was after, that was after the fact. That was after, right. that was after the public jumped in and did what they were going to do. Once the market started changing and, and the market did react the way it was, then you had non-market forces coming in and, and trying to change that. I don't know how you can say that after the fact, like that was during, you know, well, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I guess event. during, well, but, well, but you can see to, uh... is, is if they were able to prevent it, GameStop wouldn't have gone over $300. Like it would have, it would have done exactly what the hedge fund people thought it would have dipped. Hmm. Why don't we go to Christopher? Cause I know Chris, you have to go soon. Uh, any, any thoughts on this? I mean, it's hard to say. Um, on the one hand, I mean, part of the reason why the, all these, all these things stopped was because of regulations put into the market in the sense of having to hold on to a certain, because they're not clearing your trade instantly. They have to go to someone who then goes to someone on the floor. And then that's how these trades are occurring. So it's not like this trade is like, I put it in on my phone and it happens instantly. Um, There's a, there's a chain it has to go through. And along that chain, the companies in order to prevent themselves from all of a sudden winding up with no money and being unable to complete the transactions have to keep a certain amount of money on reserve. And so because of that, they can't, if all of a sudden you have a massive spike like this or something crazy is going on, they may not have, which is what Andy was talking about earlier with liquidity with Robinhood, they may not have the cash on hand to cover those trades to the margin that they have to cover them. And so, that's the um, that's the, that's the sad part about that. Now, do I think that this prevents a free market? I don't know. It's a little bit more complicated than that, only because we have those regulations in place, so we don't have massive crazy things that are syst- like builds up of systemic risk, like we saw in two thousand eight, like we saw during the you know we have these laws in place, so we don't have these massive stock market crashes. Ultimately, you know, the SEC's 
main objective is really that they have stable credit markets. So that way firms can go to these credit markets and get the capital that they need. So having these things do wild things and having them all of a sudden collapse for things that are just because of risk buildup, you don't really want that to occur. So you do want that money on hand. Uh, do, do I think that do I think that we need to take a look at the rules that are in place? Yes. Do I think that the some of the rules should be that re retail people shouldn't sell options? Absolutely not. Like they should, people should be allowed to engage in whatever trade that they want to a certain extent. Um, but at the same time, um, you know there are stop gaps in place that these companies have to meet, and if they're not meeting them, they're actually breaking the law. That 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 becomes the issue. And what do you, what do you also, also exposing themselves? Yeah. What do you also think? Uh, and I want to open this to everyone as well. What do you also think of uh, this idea that there is collusion going on with the media? So you would have some hedge fund guy go on Fox News or CNN or whatever and talk a certain way about a certain stock, and from there, you know, like that's the idea that people have that this Lev. is kind of yes. So it's worse than that, actually. So. With Citadel, again, Citadel was who Melvin Capital borrowed their money from to do their naked short. Um, Citadel, uh, we if we bring it back to Robinhood, <laughs> with Robinhood, you are the product, you're not the customer. And I mean that in the ways that what was happening with uh, Robinhood and Citadel is that of course, Citadel's you know backing them. Maybe it's sixty percent. I don't know, but they helped invest in Robinhood. But what was happening was that Robinhood basically sold data, of course, because you know if you're using the product, like you are the product, and they sell your data. But what was happening there specifically is that they were selling like the order books or just like the God mode of what people were doing in their accounts yeah, to the, the order flow. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the order flow. Thank you. And so, like, it's even worse than that. So, yes, like, there is, like, corruption in, in the media and twisting the narrative. As we see, I mean, they're calling, like, the people, like, the Redditors who were doing, were, were going along, like, alt-right, you know, fascist freaks, whatever. But I think it's it's even, like, much, much worse than, than, well, on the surface, that is bad. But it's much worse, and I think it speaks to how, like, systemic of an issue like this is and just, like, the collusion. And also, I just want to speak on just how how uh corrupt and and just like uh just uh, i don't know just just how twisted it, it it the notion is of the easy access to capital to borrow that much money to do this kind of naked short which again is illegal like I'm, i just feel like this can only go on for so long and finding the, these loopholes can, cannot sustain and so I, how long can people really hear about this and remain faithful to, you know, their, their government, like their, their currency. And I feel like the Redditors and, you know, Wall Street um, bets that, that account, people that are speaking out that way are bringing these notions to people's attention. And they're but starting I, but to- I want mm -hmm. But I want to make sure that we're talking about the, cor uh, the correct thing, because I agree with you that, yes, there's been this uh, uh, besmirching by the media right now. I'm talking more about the way things usually work as far as there's a program on Fox News, like Jim Cramer or whatever. Like, I don't know. But, <laughs> and there's a program on whatever channel where somebody comes in and they talk about how, you know, this stock, you need to sell this stock right now. And so yeah. how no, much you don't listen to that them? 
So yes, but a lot of people do. Investors, institutional investors definitely talk their books, right? I mean, that's definitely something that happens. It's not a you know, conspiracy, right? So these, these large investors, they know the influence that their words have. They know the influence that their, you know, their comments, their research reports, we have countless examples of this. So, you know, they, they, they do talk their books and, um, you know, so, does that mean everything they say is illegitimate? No. Does it mean that sometimes they are saying something because they think it will influence a trade they're in? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think we can discount that at all. Well, yeah, I'm just going to say, look, everybody talks their book. Everybody on here is talking their book. Phil is talking the Bitcoin book, like the whole time that we're talking right now, right? I-E-T. Right. Everyone <laughs> knows what they're into. And that's natural. And as long as you're disclosing where you're coming from, I think it's fine. There's no evidence. I, you know, I just want to make a couple more points and I got to go. Uh, uh, you know, Alex in the chats, I've been watching Alex in the chats. He's thrown up some really, really uh, cogent points. Number one, there's no evidence that Melvin Capital engaged in naked short selling. There were more shares sold short by the entire market through some processes than there were available. That, that doesn't mean that Melvin Capital was doing that activity. Secondly, everyone knew Robin Hood was selling the order flow to Citadel. It was right there in their disclosures. It was very clear, um, you know, you're trading for free, somebody's making money somehow. I mean, the lights have to stay on, uh, you know, and I think that one of the ways that Wall Street could, could get a little bit back towards normal behavior would be, let's get back to paying a little bit of a commission when you make a trade. Let's put, you know, let's, let's actually uh, pay for our transactions rather than have our transactions become something that someone else can take advantage of and create these types of crazy risks. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, I think it's important to, you know, I, I don't really think that the point that's crucial in discussing here is like whether Melvin Capital did something illegal or if there were naked shorts or if the brokers did something illegal. Like I think there's such a larger and more interesting story. And that is, you know, the social the 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 societal moment we find ourselves in. I mean, we are at a point where wage stagnation, where asset inflation have ripped a hole through the middle class. So you have an entire generation of people yeah. who would rather gamble away their <clears throat> stimulus check on sticking it to the hedge funds and maybe not having to worry about rent for, for a year than they would investing in a long-term portfolio because they don't believe that they're ever going to be able to retire. And that's not going to go away, whether Melvin Capital gets charges or they regulate or, you know, X, Y or Z. I mean, those 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 are valid points and, and they're worth talking about. But I, I just think we're looking at something so much more significant here. And we're looking at, at a fraying of the social fabric and the effect of monetary instability and the cascading effects of the U.S. dollar as a reserve asset and the systematic hollowing out of the middle class. So. I just want to kind of introduce that perspective because yeah. I think it, it really transcends the behavior of a couple hedge funds. Well, well, I, yeah, think, I think that uh, I actually, I, sorry, Gio. No, no, you go ahead first. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think that that's actually kind of a, a, a good uh, point. Cause that's what I was, I was sort of thinking about in this as well is that, um, and, and I really, I hate to do this because this is the Bitcoin thing to do always, or the Bitcoin thing to do is if there was a sound money, not this money, people would be in the stock market to begin with. And, I love you, Jake. Yeah, and the, <laughs> and the the reason that 
well, and like one of the things that I look, I look at PE ratios all the time is like, historically, I think the PE, PE ratio is like between like 10 and, and 13 or something like that. And it's approaching 30 right now. So like a lot, the, the entire stock market, uh, as far as price to earnings goes is, is like way overvalued. And, and where is that coming from? I mean, how do well, Jake, how, let me t- yeah. I, I'll interrupt you on that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know more than I do, I'm sure. Let me- I'll push back on that a little bit. So part of it, of course, is cheap money. Artificially cheap money mm-hmm. drives up those ratios. The other part of it is that the world is different than it was 50 years ago when price earnings ratios were 10 or 13 to one, because now companies can grow three times as fast. The, the market is looking at forward earnings, not current earnings. And so a company mm-hmm. like Tesla, you can actually, you know, I mean, I've been made fun of for probably two years now for liking Tesla stock at a PE ratio of infinity. But the, <laughs> the point is the company's changing the, yep. and from my perspective, the company's changing the world and the growth prospects for the company are so incredibly binary in nature. Either they change the world and they're worth a trillion dollars or they don't and they're worth zero. How do you value that? There's no PE ratio you can put on that. And so the, that's the, true. There are like Pelotons of the world, Spotify's, the, the ability for, for companies to go global and get to billions of dollars of revenue is so much faster than it used to be that it's worth paying a premium on yesterday's earnings. So that's part of it. I agree with you on the, on the, uh, on the, the dollar being weak and, and all of that stuff. But well, there- this is, I guess that I maybe, may, I mean, you know more about this is what you do professionally. I, I do. I mean, I'm in finance also, but it's the programming calculation side, but it's, I guess, so it's a different thing, but so, so you know a little bit more about this than I do, but it, like from, from the perspective of what I see is that nobody can get an interest yield from just putting their money in the bank. And so they're forced into the market one way or the other. And that drives all of these prices sky high. And, and, you know, Tesla, you're right. Like, I agree with you on that is although I, I, I should have been bullish on Tesla a while ago. I've always been bearish on them just because the technology's doesn't make sense to me, but, um, but the, but that type of thing, you're right. You know, if it does change the world, you know, if it's, if it's the next, you know, Microsoft for the next 30 years, the way Microsoft was in the late eighties or early eighties for that matter. And it, and it does change the world. Yeah. It, it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's not just like a couple of these companies, it's everything. And yeah. well, uh, speculation, everything's moving faster. Everything's moving. Yeah, at- that's true. Look at what Walmart, it took Walmart to get how long to go across the entire country and sell to everybody versus how long did it take Amazon versus how long did it take Shopify, right? It's just compressing uh, the timeframes on this stuff. And so if you're a winner, you win really quickly and really big, and you have to pay a high premium to get into that game. If you're a loser, it's going to go to zero. So the volatility increases, the leverage increases. This is the way of the world. You want to be on the right side of the lever now, right? Like you always have been, but it's even more important now to be on the right side of the technology lever. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, hey guys, I appreciate it. I've got to go coach my son's basketball team. Appreciate you guys. Great, great uh, to be on. It really hey, cool. Stuff. Thank you, Andy. Thank, thank you awesome. so much, thank Andy. You. Thank you. And guys, don't forget once again to subscribe to BTR. We are changing the world through bringing different people together. And for those who are wondering what I was eating over here, this is like an ancient German sausage, like the one that's not wrapped with skin, but it's wrapped with some kind of a foil, like a golden foil. I'll tell you what the name is a little bit later, but it's so delicious. You can just spotted like, dick. Oh, God. No, okay, okay. Anyway, 
listen, everybody, you have to subscribe right now and send the super chats and you are going to be doing God's work. So one thing that I wanted to um, go back to is an issue that I've been personally having when it comes to not understanding whether the uh, state that, let's say, Trump supporters, for example, uh, see America having been in all this time and now is the result of technology that's, uh, you know, just been just like with the horse and buggy going away with the advent of uh, automobiles here. It's different the money. technology moves in. Well, that's what I want to get to. It's the money. Where, it's, where when yeah. it comes to like people have this feeling that the entire wealth of, of the middle class has been drained. And my question is like whether and like you said, whether even if it's the money, whether these are the results of many, many different things that have been going on and you can't really point to one and say this is the big one or whether there were big acts that were passed, laws that were passed, which ended up resulting in the extraction of uh, U.S. Yeah. wealth that can be pointed to and that can be overturned so that things uh, get better. Yeah. That's my big so, question. Uh, yeah, I think we absolutely can point to a few key things and I would boil it down to the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency of the world and the, the monetary policy and the fiat standard that have followed the 1970s. So the reserve currency point, this is crucial. And we like to think that the US dollar being the reserve currency of the world. And for anyone, anyone listening that's a little unfamiliar with that, there is uh, the dollar and the treasuries. These are the reserve assets for every other country. They have to buy oil you know, in the dollar. They have to hold treasuries to cover debts. And we like to think this is a good thing. Like we like to think this is an advantage, but it's actually not. Um, it, there's some some advantages, right? But but the real advantage from this flows to a select few corporations and the U.S. government's ability to wield power on the global stage. The price is paid by the average people. Um, one one way that this hurts people is that as long as the dollar is the reserve currency of the world, every other country has to devalue their currency against a dollar for their exports to be competitive. So that, that's the reason it's so cheap for us to buy things overseas. And because it's so cheap for us to buy things overseas, that's where our manufacturing goes. That's where our production goes. The only jobs, the only meaningful jobs that are left in America right now are finance and tech. That is the high-level industries. That's what we export. Our main export is dollars. The U.S.'s main product is dollars, and the world has an insatiable demand for them. But but to but be fair, people pay that price. But to be fair, is it the dollar because America also has the strongest military? And no. that uh, no, it's not. Okay, so guide us through no. that. Like, why is it that the dollar is so important here? Yeah. So not to say now, I, I completely agree that the U.S. having the world's most dominant military is a strong factor in our superpower status, which reinforces the reserve currency. But it is it is the very nature of the reserve currency. There's something called Triffin's Dilemma. And this was a, this was the dilemma. The, these these factors were predicted by Keynes when we adopted the dollar as the reserve currency. There will, who, whatever the reserve currency is, no matter what country it is, if it is a country and it's not a neutral third party asset or currency, the domestic, it will always abuse the domestic state of that country compared to the international needs. The international needs will always impair, you know, the people living in that country. And it's, it's unavoidable. And, um, 
And it's created a further dynamic where right now, until we get off the reserve status of the dollar, the, the basic dynamic that we're facing, and this isn't, this isn't like an anti-China statement, but like this is just directly what's happening. We provide dollars to China. They run a massive trade surplus with us. And then they use those dollars to buy all of the assets in the world. And they buy up all the land and the factories and the shipping ports and all of these things in all of these other countries that don't have access to dollars. They get all the dollars they want. They buy all the treasuries they want. They get all the liquidity they want and they buy up the assets. And as long as we are in this reserve currency status, this will keep happening. And you know, in the country, we're paying the price. And I think people, people on the right, people on the left, they both have legitimate grievances because wages have been stagnant. The middle class has been hollowed out. And you know, every year, um, asset inflation keeps going higher. And the thing is, the Fed can't let the stock market drop. The stock market, ever rising asset prices has become a critical component in the US debt situation. If, if the stock market doesn't go up every year, suddenly we have a problem. It's not just like investors have a problem, but as a country, we have a problem because of the monetary dynamics. And uh, Christopher, do you agree with the assessment? So no, <laughs> short answer. Um, so this is a lot. I, I need to get going here in a second, but um, I, I just want to leave with I guess this thought. I don't think wage stagnation has to do with, and you know, there's a, not, a ton of research out on this. There's a lot of different reasons why we probably have wage stagnation. You know, I lean more towards the monopsony power that companies probably have over their workers, um, in the sense of when I talk about a monopsony power, is it is very difficult for a worker to go out and find a new job for a variety of reasons. One is that your healthcare is tied to your job. If I lose my job, if I try to go out and search for a job, I might lose my healthcare. And therefore that's a huge deal for me. Um, there's other things in sense of which there are fewer there are fewer companies within the same industry now. There's some, you know, sort of monopolizations of these markets. And so it's harder for me to go find another firm when there's only three other people and they all talk to each other. So, um, you know, these sorts of things may also contribute to wage stagnation within the country. I don't think the reserve currency um, has anything to do with it. There's a lot of advanta advantageous aspects of the reserve currency, and I get somewhat what you're coming from, but anybody who starts manipulating their currency to devalue it, to gain exports, they can get tariffs because of the way that they could be deemed a currency manipulator by the World Trade Organization, and then you can impose uh, distortionary tariffs on them. So it's not, it's not clear to me that that is what's going on. I mean, if you really wanted to go back to things, and you could go back to pre-Bretton Woods when everyone had to have a fixed exchange rate with the US dollar, um, in which case then, but then what we would see is that we would just export all of our inflation to everyone else, and that makes them mad. So they have- But, but no why are we doing tariffs now then? Why are we doing tariffs now? Because Donald... no, why are we not not doing tariffs now? Then I mean, uh, it we... depends on the country. No, we are. Right? We just we yeah. just make it so that the U.S. isn't isn't competitive. Yeah. yeah. So, there's, so... There's, there's a lot of reasons why, and I, I mean, this is a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was going to ask. I was going to ask. So I apologize. because of the money. I, no, I, I was going to ask Christopher, why, why is it that most? Well, yeah, I... Well, just just real quick, because uh, you two were talking before, so uh, please, uh, uh, 
Uh, I can't say your yeah, name, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Zambala Hoddle. Um, Z- real quick. So I, I certainly, I certainly am not trying to reduce everything to that. And wage, st- wage stagnation, that specific point, I think has less to do with the exact dynamics of the reserve currency status and more to do with the fiat standard. I mean, if you look at, you know, kind of the, the graph from, you know, WTF happened in 1971, you literally see the moment we adopted that wages are pretty much flat against productivity. So I agree it's not isolated and, or maybe even major, like there's exporting of manufacturing is driven by the reserve currency. Wage stagnation is driven by the fiat standard. And I don't, I'm not saying there's zero impact that comes from like the consolidation of industries or monopolistic practices. You know, those are, those are things that are going on, but I do not believe that that is the primary driver. I believe the primary driver is the, is, is the, is the fiat standard. It, it is. And, you know, it's from that moment, it's a 50 year trend that started when we adopted it. But I, I, it's I, soft I, manipulation. Yeah, why, why is it that like, money. yeah, but well, let's you, ask Christopher, why is it that most um, people that do economics, like most people, like most economists, they, they sort of uh, cast dispersions on like more of that Austrian school monetary theory about uh, fraction reserve currency and, and the, the monetary system. Like, why is it that that's heterodox, but yet monetarism sort of is like the mainstay of like economics education. Like, why is that? The- um, because there's a lot of predictions that come from the Austrian school that are just plain wrong. We don't see it in the data. And so because of that, we, you know, it kind of, you know, it's kind of moved away. Like he made some, um, <clears throat> oh shoot, I forget his name. Hayek made a bunch of very good um, points and they got adopted into economic theory. Some of them, not all of them though. Just like some of Milton Friedman's stuff gets adopted in, just like some of John Maynard Keynes stuff gets adopted in, not everything gets adopted in. The problem with the gold standard is you lose your ability to do monetary policy um, to a certain extent. And so because exactly. of that, that's why it works, but that's, well, that's not necessarily, yeah, that's, 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 that's your point. Then I think I can agree to disagree on, on this point that I think monetary policy being able to interact with that is a good thing. Um, it has led to more stable, um, economic conditions since we went to a central banking system. Um, we have fewer crashes. We have fewer other issues like that. I, th- I think, well, I, 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 you're, you're, you know, you know the history more, but I mean, I think I'm if you, if you go all the way back to the 19th century, but if you, oh, if you go okay. back to the 19th so like, well, century, they just call them something different in banks. Like that's healthy. That's how markets should work. Those yeah. crashes are short. Those are corrections. Those are corrections. The economy needs. And Christopher, I, I agree with you. I mean, the Austrians got some stuff wrong, mainly that they didn't foresee and understand all the minutia and you know hand waving that we do with our money exporting our inflation well and, and also well also kind of on that same point is that is that the the austrian economics is not predictive it's prescriptive it's a yes. it's a it's a different type but, of it's praxeological yes. so it's looking at history and saying this is why these things happened rather than saying this is what i forecast based on these charts that may or may not be right sure but, but to add to 
Zambala's and I, and point. I don't think this has to be a debate on like uh, you know the, <laughs> yeah. the comments that I made. Right, it's not about okay Austrian economics. And where did love go? Truth. No, no, I'm, I'm still here, and I actually and I would love to have. By the way, Chris, I would love for you to come back in the future so we could have a talk about central banking because this oh, is on everybody's sure. minds, and I would I love would to love get deep into it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think I will leave at this point since I, I'm starting to get out of my depth for what I prepared for a little bit. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna scoot out. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me. Great Thanks pleasure. Chris. Thank, thank you. you so much. I, I learned, I learned a lot from you being awesome on here. Dude. All right. Well, Love thank it. you. I, I, I hope I helped. Chris, before you run, if that, Chris, before you run, just like in a, as like a one word or something, do you like central banks or no? Yeah, in general, I would say I like central banks. Yes. Okay. Yep. To be continued. To be <laughs> dun dun dun. I like so, it. Take I care. I think one, uh, yes. You know, one one kind of pushback on this point because I'm I'm certainly you know I'm not coming from the perspective that Austrian economics is the gospel of truth, right? And that there's nothing nothing the Keynesians understand, or there's there's no validity at all. Kind of a black and white thing. Um, but but I think it is very clear you know, the, the trend between the fiat monetary standard and the, you know, the coalescing of wealth into the asset owning class and the stagnation of, of wages. And I think, you know, if we look at this dynamic where we're arguing Keynesianism versus the Austrian school of economics, then, I mean, there, you know, there's no, I think there's solid proof, right? That the Keynesian theory is not whole um, or, or, you know, it is flawed in several key ways. And you can look at the 1970s and you can look at what happened. We transitioned. And at the time, all of the economists, they thought, okay, this is it for gold, right? Gold's done. We're getting off of it. All we need is this paper money. It's backed. It's like self-contained. And we saw the price of gold go through its biggest bull run that we've ever seen. I think it went from $35 to, I don't even know the price, but it was up multiples and multiples. It was the big bull run. And, you know, gold got, you know, repriced somewhere in the thousands. And, you know, to this day in the last rate, if, if, if Keynesianism is the last word, why are the central banks buying 690 tons of gold a year? Why are they buying a currency of last resort? Why has gold maintained its purchasing power versus the rest of the economy if there is no merit to the concept of sound or hard money, right? I mean, we've seen this play out, like, you know, just because of the Keynesian triumph in the currency dimension, you know, that's not the whole story. And there have been, you know, tremendous costs, play, you know, played in the currency dimension. So, you know, yeah. I think it is much more nuanced. I know we well, might not have somebody to defend the other point of view now, but. Yeah, well, and, and I, I might straddle the other side a little bit, but um, because I do think that, like, if, if you look into Keynes and a lot of the stuff he he uh, said there is a huge amount of value to that. And, and I would actually almost take, I wouldn't say the opposite perspective on this is that, yeah, we, we have seen in, in some, in some metrics that uh, wages have stagnated, but I mean, I, I would think that if you look at this, not necessarily from a monetary perspective, but just from a, uh, a lifestyle perspective that uh, we are greatly wealthier now than we were in the 1970s. Now the wages did stagnate, but you know, to, to use kind of a cliche that a lot of people use is that like, I have a computer in my pocket all the time that has more computing power than all of the computers that were that in existence in the 1970s. Yes. So well, like there, so there you're, is you're, that's just like the raw technology. Hold on, hold on. 
quick shill. Jake, you're going to fucking love the book by Jeff. You're going to love the book by Jeff Booth, The Price of Tomorrow, yeah. Why Deflation is the Key or whatever. The well, see, and that's a good point because I think deflation is what we have lost out on. But to some degree, I think that the prosperity that we have in the United States and Canada and, and a lot of the uh, Western nations is at the cost of the third world. Like, yeah. I think we actually yeah, probably is, are living. Well, 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 well like what happens is because technology in itself is naturally deflationary. So yeah. what's ironic is all this inflation is like an Ouroboros snake on like the, the, on, it, yeah. on itself because the deflation in the technology keeps getting cheaper year after year and it becomes more accessible. That's why, you know, people... Yeah. Well, and and I, and I think that that's part of, that's part of one of the reasons why we, we live so well is that to some degree, the deflation is more powerful than the inflation, but the, but I think that, um, I I've been kind of toying with this idea in my head and you know what, uh, I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce your name. I'm going to call you hodler. How about that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Hodler. This is what something I've been thinking about. Maybe you've got something to, to say in this is that, um, because of fiat currency, uh, like so, so Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, I think like the crypto technology is almost Not reactionary. Bitcoin, it, well, Bitcoin <laughs> it is reactionary to uh, fiat. So it, this is a technology that was because of inflation. So interest rates are a negotiation with the future, right? So, um, so because they've they held interest rates artificially low, they've negotiated into the future to pull wealth from the future into the present. This is time travel. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so they, so they've got, they went ahead and they, and through the manipulation of currency, they've pulled wealth from the future into the present, and and we're now trying to pull wealth from the future into the present. So, from our technological standpoint, we are. I, this is the way I, I'm. I'm trying to think of like how to yeah. describe it. We're so, too advanced almost from where we should be because they they leveraged the future. To give us and the, the piper has to be paid at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they did points. was like blowback yeah. on themselves by manipulating. Kind of, the yeah. It created blowback and to enable everyone to have like this like cheaper technology that advances us, but like the inflation just can't keep up. So right. Well, and it, so at some at some point we're gonna have uh, maybe not but technological but stagnation, technology but like. Terms- yeah. Let me here. Let me make a couple points because sure. I think something you brought up. You know, there's a difference between the technology and productivity growth mm-hmm. and like wage growth right so we have definitely seen you know multiplication of global productivity right we are a more productive society and our technology has grown exponentially so you know stagnation of of like wages of like real purchasing power can coexist with like us having more technology, especially technology. Technology gets cheaper, faster, and more efficient every year on an exponential rate. Um, So it it, it makes sense that we would have this better technological standard of living in certain ways, uh, in certain ways, um, but that can also coincide with uh, wage stagnation, which I think it really does. Um, But then to to your second point, I think, I think something that's often missed about Bitcoin, people reduce Bitcoin to a question of inflation, right? It's, it came about because of inflation. I would argue Bitcoin would have just as much value if it had a fixed 2% annual inflation rate. Because the real value, in my opinion, in Bitcoin is less so much its fixed supply 
and more it's fixed monetary policy. The value is that no one is going to change the rules, right? Mm. Even if there was a low inflation rate, it would have a, a stability and, you know, a trust that's derived from there's not Jerome Powell sitting at the head who can flip the switch at a moment's notice. And now yeah. I will totally concede, you know, there are trade-offs, right? There are trade-offs in all of this. There is no perfect monetary system. There are some advantages to having those levers, but I think the benefits out, the benefits of not, of benefits of having fixed policy outweigh the risks, especially if we're talking about a neutral global asset. Right. But can, can, I want, can I can I totally derail the conversation? Oh wait, before you do totally derail <laughs> the conversation, and I don't know, Jake, how long you have to, uh, how long you can uh, stay here because you you are oh, amazing. I, I, I do, yeah, I've got I've got a little bit longer. And I love the dog behind you, by the way. Very beautiful animal. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, much, much like mine and my background, which you will see. I stupidly forgot to charge my phone while the camera was on. Anyway, it, you will see me soon. But I wanted to open up the floor to Metaphor Man and uh, Kashiwagi and then uh, Helena, who is joining us as well, to talk about this. So Metaphor Man, like I said in the very beginning, uh, we need a metaphor from you, bud, so, uh, as far as this whole situation goes. So, uh uh, let me know if you have anything. And also, Every Giovanni, time. Gio, you, when you put the hood on, you are Robin Hood. You become Robin Hood when you put that green hood on. I think this was intentional. Great Robin. job. Great job. So, and everybody, and everybody subscribe. Exactly. Synchronicity. And everybody subscribe all at once. So that'll be the real synchronicity. Anyway, Metaphor Man, take it away. Yeah, so we're probably going to have to work on the metaphor for a little bit longer here. But um, something I've been wanting to say since we were talking about this. Um, I don't know if it was even brought up yet, but we were talking about um, brokerage apps, right? The reason that the, the common man, if anyone doesn't know, the reason that the common retail investor cannot do any sort of trading outside of normal hours is because you need, was like $25,000 of uh, liquidity in your account before they'll let you even, you know, tap into it. And to get to that point um, on normal returns would take years. So we have to go through these brokerage apps. This is what I do because I'm, I'm an average dude. Well, the, 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 most, the most tragic part about this whole situation, right? We talked about um, Robinhood, Ameritrade, Schwab, all of them were all in cahoots, uh, not letting people buy stocks like GameStop, um, AMC, and Nokia. There's a couple that I'm in as well. So initially, they just said, fuck you all. You're not even going to start. You're not even going to be able to buy anymore. And then this morning, they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll let you buy a little bit let you buy some uh no more fractional shares by the way it only has to be whole um but we'll let you buy a little bit and at the beginning i'm looking at it right now i remember i have it bookmarked here so at the very beginning of the day it was 115 shares of amc 110 of nokia and five of gamestop and before i even continue to what the values are as of this moment um, if you have more than those shares you cannot buy any more so if you have six shares of GameStop, you can't buy an additional five. You're, you're just completely mm. out of the equation. Uh, as of right now, uh, the last time was updated, AMC, you can only have 10 shares. Uh, Nokia, you can only have 20. And GameStop, you can only have one. That's and it. You know, on top of that too is, is that um, even if you wanted to sell, if you had auto orders to sell, a lot of brokerage firms canceled your auto orders without permission. Which is, uh, to, I mean, it is part of your user agreement, but at the same time, like this is theoretically for 
average retail sellers thousands of dollars that they could have lost because they had an auto order kind of to metaphor man's perspective is that like, you can't buy anymore. You also can't auto sell anything. You have to actually actively engage in it. Yeah. And it, it was essentially trying to cancel any sort of like they They saw that the, that all these people were making good amounts of money, like good returns, like stuff that you, we haven't seen in years, not, not anywhere near this scale. And now that they, now that, what was it? Uh, Citadel, the people that uh, Robin Hood work with as a, as a backer, they, they noticed this obviously. Um, and they wanted to shut it down. So all these, all these broker japs that are under their thumb, they're like, you are all going to curtail all of you are going to tow the fucking line. And they did. Interesting. And uh, Kashiwagi, what do you think about this? Kashiwagi, can we hear you? Because I'm not hearing anything from you at all. You are muted right now, so make sure you're not muted. Let us go to Helena. Helena, what do you think about all this? Um, it's, uh, it's just been really shocking. Like, on one hand, um, it's it's been really just incredible to watch this kind of, like, power come out of normal people i don't know anything about economics i'm not gonna have a lot to add to this conversation but... with austrian economics you don't have to know shit <laughs> oh. human intuition yes you know yeah. some stuff oh sorry go I, on I, 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 and by the way just and i don't mean to be one of these uh people looking at it too simplistically but uh and again much respect to all the people who are in support of central banks and all that uh and have a different way of looking at the economics but i still wonder how much it is just uh, uh, simply that when people have more data, more stuff to play around with, it kind of gives more uh, legitimacy, even if that data may not really be needed. I don't know. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But Well, uh, they use the data to obfuscate reality, if you're talking from a Keynesian perspective. That's the point. Mm, okay. But I still don't know if they realize that they're using it that way or if it's... Well, I'm getting an echo for some reason. Uh, anyway, let's go to Helena. Um, yeah, it's been really... Definitely been really interesting to watch. Like, I've, I've done a lot of learning in the last few days, but um, it's been really awesome to watch, like, this large group of normal, just average people kind of find a sense of power and, and being able to do what they've done. Um, and it's also been very disheartening watching the response that's been carried out against it. And I'm just really interested to watch it progress. Like I said, I don't have a whole lot of formed thoughts about it because this is not my strong suit, my area of knowledge or expertise, but um, I'm really excited to listen to you guys talk about it and hopefully ask a lot of questions. And on that note, um, Phil, could you elaborate on what you meant by they use data to obfuscate reality? And who is they? They, they, by... hmm. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Illuminati. <laughs> no, um, I will take from the example of John Perkins. John Perkins wrote the novel, really recommended the uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And he basically his story is that he grew up as he, he he's a boomer and instead of going into vietnam he basically went into not the cia but basically he worked for a private firm that went into banana republic countries and saudi arabia and what he basically was was like a private actor trying to 
persuade the leaders of those countries and you're taking out giant loans that they can never afford and can never pay back and eventually default on in order for America to scoop that up, scoop up the resources. And this is basically, you know, proxy empire building. Well, it is straight up empire building, but it's like proxy in a way like if people that were doing his job weren't able to get it done, then you send in the jackals, which actually meant like, you know, fisticuffs, like war. Um, but John Perkins, his, his goal was to persuade these leaders, as I said, to take on these loans and eventually they would default on them, but it was for infrastructure projects. So he would go in and see like in Saudi Arabia, oh, the goats are literally eating the trash off the streets. So, you know, that is their like trash men, like picking up the trash on like Sunday and Wednesday, whenever, whatever. Um, but basically his objective was to make these agreements with the world, uh, the leaders of the country. And he would use Keynesian economics. Like he says this in the book, like it was the age, it was the era of Keynesian economics where he basically used data to say, well, instead of 2% growth, if America comes in to help your country, there will be 20% growth. And he basically just, you know, took all these data points and fudged the numbers and presented that to his boss and the world leader. And that's how it got done. And so even like beyond that, just like at a practical level, um, like Keynesian economics or anything that's not Austrian economics uses things like CPI to calculate uh, consumer price index, which is how they measure inflation and inflation like i don't know like supposedly jerome powell said that they can't even find two percent inflation for whatever the fuck but you know we're in weird times as we were leading up to but if you backtrack a little bit just in general cpi index is what you use to calculate the rate of inflation but that doesn't include things like energy and food that would be a large ass fraction of what people spend their money on, if you ask me. And well, also, also, if you go look at like uh, shadow statistics um, yeah. by, uh, you know, who I'm talking about uh, one of one of the guys that are in in our kind of yeah. what's the uh, Chapwood yeah. in, yes, Chapwood Chapwood index. index. Yeah, yeah. So they if if you calculate it based off of old standards, like our our inflation is like ten and a half percent or something crazy. Like it, it's uh, it's yeah. they, they change the metrics in order to make yeah. it seem like our inflation is not as bad as it is. So they take out assets that are inflating very quickly. Like what you, what you were saying with energy, I mean, like energy right now is, is ridiculous. The, the, uh, the cost of it. Uh, and as Americans, like we, we get a good deal on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, you know, Americans get a good deal on it, but like, if you look at it worldwide, like the, the inflation is, is extremely high on that, but uh, other things too, it's like, if you're not measuring like asset inflation, what we were talking about earlier, if you're not measuring yes. the stock market, I mean, that's where all the inflation is. And, and from like the Austrian perspective, the inflation is not, the price is going up. The inflation is creating the new money. The money supply. Yeah. So if the money supply is higher, the inflation's there. It, we don't have to calculate where that inflation is happening the inflation already happened the money's created yes and the problem here is that the reason why we don't see hyperinflation when we go buy fucking milk or something you know everyday shit that we need is because people with money need to store their value somewhere invest it you know make their money work for them by investing into assets and the common man cannot do that 
because the system is working against them because they, uh, you know, people with money are incentivized to move their money because they know inflation happens every year. So to beat inflation, they invest in things like real estate or equities or whatever. And what this leads to is malinvestment and super overvalued prices. And that is why you have millennials and younger that are in debt to their eyeballs for college, student loans, hundreds of thousand dollars, maybe only tens of thousand dollars. And, yeah, and you know, healthcare keeps going up. Like things yeah, that people actually need in. on a daily basis are not accessible to the average person. And but this that's... is why it hits home so hard to me because people that are, were on Reddit and went long on GameStop, when they went from investing in 50K and came out on top at 45 million or whatever hell that scenario was, they get punished. They get punished and they get slapped on the wrist and by Robin Hood or these central parties, these central points of failure telling them, uh, hey, you rigged, you found a loophole. You can't let these, these giant hedge funds go down and suffer because you know they're too big to fail. And this is exactly what we saw in 08. And so that is why the manipulation of the money supply is so damning to society. Money is the, at the foundation of society. If you have a government or any central party manipulating the currency, the amount, you are lying to people. You are playing God with their lives and decisions because prices are not what they should be. The light, the traffic light is green when it should be red. That is what happens when you manipulate the money supply. And this is exactly what Bitcoin fixes because 21 million Bitcoin ever is non-negotiable. It is set in stone in the code. And just like you saw the Redditors going long, the real Bitcoiners stand tall and they hold the line in that there will only be 21 million ever. And yeah, so that is a fixed monetary policy that you will never, ever see in history. And the, the switch just flipped. Things are changing. People are tired of just working so hard and seeing their value just crumble because the system is so rigged against them. And the system has been corroding for decades and it cannot sustain. And just the power of this free market, stateless money that is Bitcoin this is where we see the transition happen. This is where people get free and they have a choice and they can vote with their money by selling their fiat for Bitcoin. Everyone, the government can, finds a way to use uh, supercomputers to fuck over Bitcoin. Well, <laughs> well we're going to get to that. And, and Gio, uh, I, I know that you had something to say about a Twitter person, but also, Jake, you had something to say as well about something unrelated, which I think may have to do with your background. Do you have a bigger image uh, that you could send me because you sent me the shirt image and I just wanted you to be able to tell everybody what is it that you're doing with uh, Childerberg. And now I, I don't know if that's oh. what you wanted to talk about, but since you put the no, no, I was, I was going to totally derail on something else and now I've already forgotten it. <laughs> but uh, but I do, I, I can get you a bigger image. So as everybody can see in the background here is some beautiful art n done by somebody that you all know well. Well, this is done by a combination of me and my father. So yes. uh, we created this uh, this design over here, and you got to see the uh, top as oh well, my God. where yeah. you see the uh, the Jersey Devil and Bigfoot. So right now we're not really seeing their heads. So uh, where's I the road toad? That's all I want to know. Well, there's a frog over there. I, I don't remember what that, the that, frog is the is that, that is the road toad. That is the road toad. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah no, everything's there. But so, uh, this is the Childeberg three shirt for this is uh, I haven't announced it publicly to anybody. This will be the first announcement. Let me see if I can get you a better a better picture for it, uh, Lev, here in a second. But um, we I have not released it yet. I ordered some samples uh, so that I can make sure that the quality of the shirt. I wasn't I wasn't super here like keen on the quality for the uh, investigate Childeberg shirts last year. So I ordered a couple of samples this year to make sure that they are good, but this beautiful art was done by Lev and um, Childeberg three and Alexander Polyakov and Alexander Alexander Polyakov. And uh, this will be the shirt for Childeberg three. You don't have to go to Childeberg three to order it, uh, but you uh, should order it because uh, I need money. And uh, also because uh, it is a awesome shirt. And uh, but if you do want to go to uh, Childeberg three, it will be at Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area, uh, yeah, May yeah. 29th through 31st, 2021. So uh, we'll have a lot of fun stuff. It's it's a it's a this type of conversation where things just kind of go wherever they go and and go off the rails. It, that's that's kind of what that is. But it's all around like a campfire. And then when you want. You go down to the lake, you swim in the lake and stuff. But this year, we're also going to have some live comedy and some live music uh, at a distillery nearby. So um, check Wait. that out. Yes. Is there a tank top of that shirt? I can make a tank top. I can make one for you. Yes, a special the tank, tank top. For... The sleeves. Yeah, I'll, I'll make, I'll make, I'll, they have it at the uh, site that prints these for me. So okay. I'll make sure there's a tank talk version for you and, and maybe a long sleeve version for people. Well, here's a, here's a smaller image. I just want people to see the adorable face over here on this, uh, on this Jersey devil over here and yes. uh, Bigfoot over here. He is eating a cookie, which is a puzzle piece that uh, is a symbol for autism. And yes. uh, you can see the goat man over what? here. Uh, oh, cutting God. The <laughs> The goat man over here is cutting up the uh, New World Order cake, and uh, these guys are playing basketball with planet Earth. So a lot of fun stuff, magic mushrooms on the ground, and a lot of fun stuff going on. So yes, uh, yes I, I'm I'm super stoked. And if anybody wants to have a beautiful image like this done for a shirt that you're trying to make for whatever your event is or whatever you want to make a shirt for, how can they reach out to you, Lev? They can reach out to me, first of all, by becoming a patron at uh, patreon.com slash break the rules. I'm going to put the link in right now. And uh, they can also contact me directly, DM me at levpo on Twitter. So, guys, if you are not following me on Twitter, what are you even doing with your lives? Here's the thing. I had several dreams that I wrote down today. I just did a giant thread about them. One of the dreams, I, uh, I was at a uh, gay wedding that was officiated by Richard Spencer. And there well, were that's dumb- actually not that much of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> and there were and there were dummies that were sitting in like it was very empty. Most of the people who were sitting there were just dummies. They were like made out of wood. And then I had another dream. This was today when I was at a restaurant. And the detail that I did not mention before was that there was like this piece of food that dropped to the floor. When the piece of food dropped to the floor and I picked it up, there was a waitress who told me that if I grew through this door, this green door that's in the back, then I can meet Joe Biden. So I went through the green door and there was a stair. There was like a ladder. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should go up the ladder. But no, actually, what I did was go through the door under the ladder and as soon as i opened the door guess who i saw bo jiden <laughs> no i did not see bo jiden but i saw kamala harris and oh. then i went oh. and then i went even scary harris i was i was cold holding kamala harris's hand as we went down as we went down the boardwalk 
And hmm. uh, the next thing I remember is that I'm wearing an elf costume and I'm participating in a Christmas-themed commercial. And I'm supposed to open the presents really enthusiastically. So... Go follow me on Twitter at Lefpo on Twitter. This is the kind of this is the kind of insight that is definitely needed in the world. I'm also going to be posting a lot of my weird ass pictures that I did when I was 12 and 13. Because here's the thing: I want to start posting a lot more art because I draw. I mean, as you can see over here, this is partly me and my dad. We designed this thing and uh, made it happen. And right now I'm posting some of the stuff from my childhood as far as like, uh, you know, you saw Romeo and Juliet, right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, for those who don't know, was inspired by the play that I was in uh, where... Here, uh, Mr. Thisby? Uh, were, no, this was you... at least Strasburg. So oh, this was oh, at I see. Strasburg okay. Theater Institute, and uh, there was this the girl who played Juliet. She had a booger that was sticking out of her nose, and my dad ju got just the right angle to photograph <laughs> Juliet's uh, nose booger, and that inspired me partly with uh, Little Romeo, no, Lil Romeo, sorry, Lil Romeo, who was the son of Master P, uh, you know, known for the uh, dirty down south uh, rap style, and. Uh, uh, it inspired me to do this picture where I drew Romeo as this Mongolian man uh, with a thick mustache and uh, spiky, spiky teeth and uh, Juliet over here with the booger sticking out of her nose. So this is it just real quick. I wanted to share with you guys. This is Romeo and Juliet. See Juliet over here with the booger coming out of her nose. And this is Romeo, the Mongolian guy with the uh, nipple, uh, with the nipple lollipops here. So this is the kind of stuff that I want to do a lot more of, but I need your support. And I need your support through going to patreon.com slash break the rules, becoming a patron today. And if you become a $5 patron, here's what you get. You get access to our BTR chat discord so that you could post images and that you could post uh, uh, links and stuff like that. And you get access to a super secret. There we go. That's the Childerberg I'm talking about. And you get access to the super secret percolator area of Discord, which is only for patrons. So, yeah, l look at this. Look at these handsome devils over here. So when you become a uh, $20 patron, you are going to get access to that plus a beautiful wooden magnet created by my dad. I'm just going to play the role as I usually do over here. Here we go. Magnets, magnets, magnets. Well, this is the uh, video of the magnet. Uh, you can see it in action over here. And these are very beautiful magnets. And if you... Uh and if you become a $30 patron, not only are you going to get the magnet, but you are also going to get a beautiful print by my main brother from another mother, Giovanni Panichetti. Look at him go. Look at this beautiful print being done. And if you become a $50 patron, you get all that, plus you get a beautiful painting from Gio from the uh, Bob Ross series. You get uh, Jules painting <laughs> the uh, uh, angel people army uh, of heaven. What is uh, angel wing? I What is is wrong with me uh geo Four help me out 40K. here <laughs> yeah more... <laughs> quick, i gotta hop off here it was awesome chatting with you all guys and being part of it thank you so much uh zambala zambala i gotta think of shambala then i'll get it right but zambala thank you so much brother i really appreciate your insight into this it was uh it was quite instrumental so thank you so much you are you you are the greatest thank you and thank also you look at the comments here at $30, do we get access to Helena's DMs? <laughs> oh, man. Jesus. And also over here... Wanna... Only on her OnlyFans. Oh, no, you get access to Jules' OnlyFans. That's... <laughs> 
Okay, I want to show something else over here. Okay, so you see my cat over here? I know that the camera's kind of screwy, but uh, he is eating shrimp. I am feeding Steve shrimp. You can see over here. Hold on, let me make a... Oh, God, that smarts. Oh, right in the... Uh... Yeah, it, it, that's gonna leave a mark. See, he wants to get the shrimp, but I want to get the camera. <laughs> I want to get the camera on this. Hold on, hold on. We're gonna do it. We're gonna. Okay, here we go. Spotlight. Here we go. Okay. So uh, see your my cat. cat is disappearing. No, no. You, you'll see him. Here, here we go. Hold on. Please keep alive. Can you change the the background photo, please? Like that's really <laughs> just making me uncomfortable. Oh, I, I'd want to remove the background photo, but I have my hands full. So anyway, $50 patrons. Not only do you get that, but you are also going to get another wooden magnet, a commissioned wooden magnet. So if you want my dad to make a shrimp out of wood or make a cat out of wood or make a cat eating shrimp out of wood, now is your chance to make that dream a reality. And not only do you get that, look how much stuff you're getting. Not only do you get that, but you also are going to get, uh, if you want to, one of our thumbnails as a print that you can buy. Steve really enjoyed that shrimp. And here's another one. I'm going to feed my cat the shrimp, and you guys better subscribe right fucking now for this beautiful feline, this uh, this feline who's eating the shrimp over here. He really likes it. Look at him go. I wish I had a high-quality camera, which I will once my computer gets back, but you guys could tell that this cat is loving the hell out of this shrimp. It knows what it wants, just like you know what you want. You know you want to become a subscriber. You know you want to become a patron to break the rules because we are bringing people together, and that's it. My cat has eaten the shrimp. I'm putting him down. Oh, 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 are you okay? Oh, wow. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, and I, I as a uh, patron, I will uh, highly uh, recommend this. Is that uh, uh, it's very much worth go. it, and um, especially for the Discord chat, which is uh, sometimes hard to follow, but also very entertaining. I, I don't participate very often, but I do like reading through it and uh, just uh, seeing the weirdness that is this pocket of internet. <laughs> so yes, it is. Yeah. And so anyways, I wanted to talk about, but he's gone now. What a, what a, sorry, Zimbala. not Shambhala, Zimbala, um, <laughs> about enough. the nature of monetary policy in society. I think like those days of like, what would you call it? Monetary fundamentalism where like basic Alan Greenspan monstrosity of the corporations will always get a pipe from the government and the floating nature of currency is such that there is no such thing anymore as boom and bust cycles but this plays into like this larger like neoliberal consensus that came out of like the post-cold war period where you know these corporations are so monolithic and the order of things is so quote-unquote solid because of the illusion of technology and now cube mind technology is a much older phenomenon than what people think but basically what happens is that sort of post 2008, like, okay, we can't let them fail or else average people, it's going to be a financial Holocaust. Yeah. No, well, that was happening for decades. Yeah, exactly. But the thing, the thing is it's to the point where the average person is not really seeing any benefits of giant hedge fund hyenas and people that manipulate financial instruments getting even richer or even tech corporations that are debatable in terms of their, not just economic performance, but rather the actual benefits in terms of concrete real world, like in the here and now, instead of speculative futures, whether their value is that of like greater, like hard, like what do they call in the sixties, like guns and butter industry, 
So nowadays the average person exists in almost like with like, le- like terrible aesthetics and terrible, like even worse, like pod existence. But like, we almost live in a cyberpunk dimension where techno capital advances and technology advances, but the average person doesn't experience an opulence of wealth because that is really just a techno determinist sort of thing, which I would argue isn't exactly a solid bet because I'm more of like along the lines of Jean-Michael Greer and other people that talk about catabolic collapse, how the resources being expended to prop up new advancements in technology will no, sort of dude, like the money is just being inflated and the allocation, no, no, but that's, the allocation but that's of part resources of it. goes to the top because of the Cantillion effect. No, exactly. But that's a part of it is that the average person may have an iPhone, but the average person will probably experience in the, in almost the near future, a sort of, brazilification hell world where everyone's going to live in like you know like ready player one sky high favela uh trailer parks and so even if you have a system of ubi there can't account for the social decay that techno capital has wrought upon the average person yeah no like the problem is centralized institutions that make this technology and they they put a walled garden yes and no and and i think i think think, wait but let me finish i I feel like everybody's speaking all at once okay geo then jake then mr sue to some extent okay so to some extent the logic of not having making this way too fucking complicated no it's not it's complicated because i'm let me talk about and i have this I had a video that I came out with yesterday I'm already lost. about about the Im- the cultural impact of what's happening right now because basically everyone under 40 knows that they're going to get fucked forever and they Not know the that their point. future is done for. So they don't care about the stability of the system as a whole like a lot of these economists that are going on Bloomberg and other places saying that this is like a financial holocaust how dare these plebes these racist incels there was this one blue check mark by the way I cover my video Lev if you could pop up the video in the Ma? chat uh, he said like about how these people are incels and because they can't get girlfriends oh. they're fucking around with the economy which is I would say true but not in the way that he thinks because when you have a large base of young men with no future whatsoever and no prospects that is the driving force of every calamity throughout human history right so the the thing is and isn't that also the driving force of the w but people will accept the w against the system itself rather than the palliative of the post-occupy wall street while these people don't know what they're doing because we have to ensure the stability of the corporate consensus or else people are going to lose their jobs or whatever but people have lost their fucking jobs and i hate to say it but trump didn't do a hell of a lot in terms of the economic populism that he he didn't do shit no, you didn't I mean, do the shit. tax cuts went to the corporations. Right. But now you have... And okay, so let's... Re- really quickly, Lev. Let me leave you with this one thing, because I... You know, I'm going crazy here. <laughs> Ted Cruz... Yeah, how that feels. Okay, let's see. Ted Cruz, AOC, and Donald Ted Trump Jr. Cruz, all okay. united. This hey, hang on, just exactly. hang, on, hang on a second. Ted Cruz, let, let, AOC... Let, 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 oh, look finish. at the response by AOC. That is the key point here. The backtrack of AOC saying... Ted Cruz tried to kill me. And it's like, that is why they're going to use, they're going to strategically deploy woke capital against these people they're already doing. Sorry, I, sorry, I just, I I haven't talked in an hour. It's It's just just the cathedral, the system. Yes, exactly. Whenever the plebs, the humans that just work a job, 
find a chink in the armor and find the loopholes for their self-benefit is a threat <laughs> to the system. It's why the Federal Reserve yeah. was made in the first place because the wildcat banking era, even though there were a lot of booms and busts, it was a threat to J.P. Morgan's you know market cap. And so they had to put a stop. Well, to it was it. a market eugenics that ensured that companies doing things that they shouldn't have were basically not long for this world. Sure. But there, and you could debate whether creative destruction is even a thing anymore, or whether capitalism tends towards monopoly itself. Like that is another. Like yeah. it's creative destruction, you will. F- it's a short book. I know you're a reader. Look up Jeff Booth, The Price of Tomorrow. <laughs> Buy that goddamn book. You will beat yourself off to it. Like you'll love it. Mm. Well, speaking of beating Hold. oneself off, uh, somebody is asking a question over yeah, here. Yeah, throw in the chat, and, then we'll... Yeah, and, and I usually uh, only read Super Chats, but this one is uh, very special. Uh, this is from Fig Fog. Muff, uh, no, I'm okay. Uh, would you let Boogie fart on you for $2,000? <laughs> Wait, who? Boogie, you know, Boogie. Boogie 2988? Yeah, 20, $2,000 is $2,000. <laughs> Boogie 1488? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, More well. than that? <laughs> yeah. Here, I don't know. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get Sue on board. $2,000 worth of Bitcoin. Oh, oh that's different now. <laughs> oh, Boogie could probably eat Mr. Sue. Throw in a free tank top. Of the Schroeder yeah. Can people still bu- can people buy things now with Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, they can. It's not like two, 2012. Yeah. You can buy anything with Bitcoin. Except no, for dude, like drugs. dude. Hey, download the Strike <laughs> app. You can you can pay people in Bitcoin with fiat, and it converts, and it can do the the inverse of that too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I wait, I buy, wait. Tell me, I, tell me the name of the book right now. Let me look it up. What's it's the name called of the book? Jeff Booth: The Price of Tomorrow. All right, here we go. I'm going to link it to everybody. And uh, I mean, with Bitcoin in the future, I'm expecting there to be a future where not only will you pay Bitcoin uh, or be paid in Bitcoin to be farted on by Boogie. No, but people are paying be... Bitcoin to be have the privilege of being farted on by uh, <laughs> Filipina hookers now, apparently. So sure. that's a thing. But the next only level, fans. I think, would be... The... Oh, man. I see. Only I... fans is our only hope. I should probably stop myself from saying this, but you guys remember that movie where all the people shrunk down to like a small size and they were like put in these little houses. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? No, 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 not Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. There was a recent movie that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, oh, I do know what you're talking about. So it's basically like, the Christmas it, one? It, where uh, I think it's called Downsize Me. Or yeah. Something or, oh, yeah, God. You're about to say Down Syndrome. So here's what I expect to happen in the future. So here's what I expect to happen in the future. People are going to have a choice. Either they're going to swallow a pill that will temporarily make their stomach acid non-acidic, or they will not. These are two paths you can Wouldn't go you, on. Wouldn't you, like, die? Next, let me hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Shadow King Kush. I mind farts for Boogie. You're a fucking legend. <laughs> that All right, that me, reminds let's... me back in the day of the OG. I never got into the comic strips, but one of my favorite, uh, it was only two seasons, the animated series of Dilbert, where <laughs> one episode was like where ex-employees literally got downsized and they got addicted to dry erase markers back when they used to put ether in them. I love that episode. Scott, we should get Scott Adams on because his... Uh, now that Trump is gone, his stock is sort of plummeted now, so maybe he'll come on. Break the All right. 
All right, and uh, <laughs> just just so I continue with this thought here, uh, so one choice is to swallow a pill so that your stomach acid is not acidic anymore for a while, temporarily, and the other choice is to not do that. Either way, when you're not doing that, what uh, what's going to happen is other people will uh, take a pill or have some kind of a procedure so that they will be able to shrink down to a small size, you know, to a become and will size. become real. Yes, uh, Geo, you spoiled the fucking thing. You spoiled the well, <laughs> my idea. My idea no. is that yeah, war becomes real. But here's what happens: when you get swallowed up and the the pill was taken for the stomach acid to go away, then it's like people are vacationing in your stomach, just like chilling out in the pool. Number two, mm. if that's not taken, it becomes riskier. It becomes more of an adventure, like you're Indiana Jones, going down into the Cave of Wonders, and there's, like, lava on the floor, and you have to, like, jump from one piece of food to another, and it becomes a whole, like, reality TV series that they're going to film with a little GoPro, uh, a little Frank <laughs> oh! Castle-style GoPro inside of the stomach <laughs> of... Yeah, and it's, like, the stomach of animals, the stomach of people, whatever. Like, the idea is that it becomes, like, a video game, so this is a way of actually transviewing the fetish element of Vore into more of a competitive video game. People like double, would watch that. So they would definitely exactly. watch that. Exactly. So there we go. I just wanted to throw that out. Nothing to do with Anyways. Uh, any of Yes. So and there was a tweet that you wanted to talk about, Geo. Somebody, some famous tweeter. You were mentioning him Crumpler? <laughs> Matt Crumbs. No, wait. What what tweet did I mention yesterday? What was it about? Well, something about this whole Robin Hood slash like this whole finance thing that somebody got in trouble or somebody was tweeting something out. An oh individual. You wanted to talk about an individual, Geo. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Try to remember who that individual was because I can't. Uh, so if you cannot remember who that individual was, oh, I, I want to remember, I wanted to maybe to was I talking about my video? Uh, no, I don't know. If hold it was, on. No. Hold on. Before yes. we move on. Yes. Anyone yes. still watching this thing? I want to highlight a couple resources. If you want, if you didn't learn anything from this conversation about GME and the hedge funds, or if you did, if you just want some, um, supplemental resources, Please Google Bitcoin Audible by Guy Swan in his recent episode that came out yesterday. Uh, just did a great breakdown of what is happening. And also I recommend BTC Sessions, his two recent interviews. And um, yeah, that's all I got. But I relied on them for uh, my resources and it's still floating around on YouTube, but Check out the interview that Chamath Padachabada, whatever his last name is, uh, who's running for California governor. He's like a billionaire. And um, he had a CNBC interview. And it, it shed light on a lot of uh, just like what was going on. Hmm. So, is that it? BTC uh, sessions over here? Yeah, that's him. And oh, then, by the way, in an unrelated note, apparently Q QAnon Shaman is going to testify against Trump. In the impeachment hearing so it's an op <laughs> glow in the dark glow in the dark that's all i'm gonna say glow in the dark mm. um wait a minute again, though, why why are they impeaching him he's done like do they because they, they want a symbolic victory hard well no also because theoretically he could run again in 2024 and Win. Yeah, but he'd never win, though. He'd never win. It. Well, I mean, he, I don't know. I mean, we'll, no, we'll, the we'll establishment wouldn't let him, but he yeah. would win. 
You know what I gotta do? I gotta go into my dreamscape tomorrow and meet up with Kamala Harris, walking hand in hand with her on the boardwalk, Kamala. and get to the bottom of this. What exactly hey, is going you, on? You get some we should, Lev, Lev, we should do we should do a dream episode. Absolutely, we should. Because I mean, I've Jake, got I've got ten. Uh, almost 15 years worth of dream journal entries we could go through oh what man that's fuck? that's more than mine okay so i have right now like 200 pages of dreams that i have written down since 2016 and this is like small font so we could definitely do that and oh, you've been having sure. a lot of astral projection dreams as well and the thing with astral projection that i still don't get and look this is free for all friday i'm fuck a cancer all, fuck all of you who think that we have to be on subject we've talked now, enough about I, finance yeah we've can talked I talk enough about, about economics <laughs> i just want hold on hold on i want to know tweet. did anything i say tonight come out coherent did, did you, did you yeah. learn something? Of course oh. not. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Before, I mean, I wasn't surprised if you didn't learn shit. So before we I'm move away surprised. from, uh, before we move away from economics, uh, Jules posted this, so I wanna, I wanna share this over here. So, dude. Uh, so that he says this is a breakdown uh, about the Reddit thing. Wonder what people think, dude. I completely, ooh, dude. I completely figured out the entire situation. There was one vitally important piece of information that most of the WSBers are not seeing. One thing collapses. Once the thing collapses, the hedge funds will have made all their money back. Actually, smaller hedge funds will die, and larger hedge funds will get even yeah, larger. That's yeah, yeah, that's old. what happens. That's called nationalism. Because old failed shorts are simply replaced by new higher price shorts, the only way they could permanently lose money is if they ran out of money or continue shorting. But of course, before that happens, independent investors will lose incentive to keep buying to force the shorts to cover because the returns on the independent investors' investments will grow logarithmically smaller as the size of the company increases. Therefore, the best statistic is to, uh, to look out for regarding the returns of GME is the rate at which money flows into GME i.e. momentum volume and of course at any moment for largely any reason including volume the whole thing will completely collapse one of the reddit posters said this is what happens when you force people into quarantine i love them all lol but yeah. that's what i mean we're the network society now that people are experiencing forced neatdom uh, the neat aristocracy of high IQ post chip posters are going to win out in some small vic ways. But the thing is, the system will find ways to basically propel itself into a future, even if it has to sacrifice the economic and no. material no. livelihoods of people. That's what's going to happen, because no. now that brokerage firms are actually censoring people and saying that these evil alt-right Nazis or uh, white supremacists are playing the stock market and like basically calling our bluff. That is a real dangerous precedent. The way that all of these banks and all of these social media companies, and all of these uh, airlines got together to ban Donald Trump supporters that went to the Capitol, right? Like that's the same sort of decentralized network of biopower that is going to turn everyone into the state of exception. And what we're going to see now, like for example, this uh, Lev, if you go to the tweet by Crumpler that I posted, Matt Crumps, whose father is a defense contractor, by the way, uh, but he's a Lacanian socialist. So Matt, uh, Matt Crumps, he has this fire take. Lev, if you could go up the chat, I posted it. Sorry, Phil, what were you going to say? Don't worry about it. No, no, come on. I'm no, sorry. Come on, yeah. buddy. Okay, but okay, just really quickly, what Crumpler is saying in this tweet. You go up, love. Hold on, I'm trying to find uh, the. Uh, is it in your Twitter or where do I? No, I posted it in the in the chat in the actual chat, like on Discord. 
Oh, in the Discord yeah, chat. Yeah, so just oh. scroll up. Scroll up. Okay. So here is Matt Crump's intellectual of our time. Uh, this was before the shirt. Wait, 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 wait. I'm scrolling up. I'm not seeing it. I just want to make sure that... It was before uh... it was like way up there with the shirt. Before... Oh, before okay, okay. Yeah. Everybody, by the way, while I'm scrolling up, subscribe right now. What are you, what are you even doing? Subscribe, there you go. subscribe. It's mom. Before, wait, after, up, 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 up. It's way before your photo. Hey, guys, Here I got go. a piece There we go. But it was lovely um, being with y'all this evening. Thanks for... It was. Right, see you, Phil. In the Thank you so much. I hope I hope you have a dream tonight where you see all those Korean K-pop girls who were in Mr. Chu. Mr. And Mr. They... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There thanks for showing so me. This that. Is, I have uh... so much more respect and admiration for K-pop now. So. Oh God. <laughs> no. I, and I'll look no. to that as well for anybody who wants to check out Mr. Chu after Geo talks about the tweet. Oh, so, oh, wait, let me show my shit before I leave. Oh, yeah. yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so my name is uh, Phil Gibson. In the My handle is Mr. Sue, as you can see. Whatever the fuck. And um, I work at Swan Bitcoin. It is the best place to buy Bitcoin. You said to forget it, it happens automatically. It's like a 401k. I'm going to stack your stats and get, up, get some sound money so you can say fuck you to the financial system that is screwing you. And you put your fiat in there, and number goes up, and it's all Gucci. Um, I can't make it do that. Bitcoin kind of like uh, it, it changes you before you change it. That's all I'll say. So anyway, um, yeah, I have a podcast. It's called A Boy Named Sue. P S E U is how you spell Sue. Talking about Bitcoin and a bunch of other stuff. Um, Austrian economics, foreign policy, just chilling out. You name it. And go to YouTube and type in ETF by mr sue and i wrote a song about exactly this what we, we talked about today the financial like crisis and the broken system and bitcoin and i just tried to write a catchy song that put economic earworms into people's ears so even if they didn't understand what the hell i was talking about then um i look like a young mold bug i've been meaning to like watch its interviews sorry I i'm reading discord comments anyway that's my shit or just go to etf615.com but um, yeah, thanks for tuning tuning in. Thank you, Lev. Thank you, Jake. Good to see you. And yeah. um, uh, I always forget art guy Geo, uh, Helena, Metaphor, and uh, Jules and Kwamari, whatever, however the fuck you pronounce your name. And check out Mr. Sue's music over here, ETF by Mr. Sue. Oh no, this is uh, is this is not the music. This is, oh, it is music. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Well, that's All my right. donation page, which. You know, you don't need to send me your stats. My PayPal's up there. But really, just listen listen to the song and share it. That's all I asked for. And also, think, and also, Phil, you recommended that people uh, help us out through Bitcoin. And there is something that I've you know, always ignored that is right on the screen. You don't see it, Phil, but the people who are watching see it. Cointree slash Break the Rules. There is a link to Cointree that is right on this YouTube video. I've always ignored it, but now I'm not going to ignore it. All the Bitcoin hoarders right now who are watching this, send us Bitcoin. Go to this website, Coin c-o-i-n-t-r dot e-e slash break the rules send us some bitcoin we need bitcoin to grow so thank you so much he sent us dogecoin yeah or doge. doge hey if there's any shit coin i'll let fly if you own is is it's doge because it's a novelty there but that's go. all no shit coining
Don't be poor. Tweeted for the first time today in like since 2014, apparently. So mm. here's where you go, the crypto yeah. donation platform. Take care, Phil. Thank you so much for coming in, brother. Yeah. I really appreciate it. So I am going to paste in again. I was I was um you know lucky enough to copy this before I had to move the uh, chat. So here it is. Here is the tweet. I did not miss this. Now I don't have to scroll so, back up. So this is uh the le epic uh well metaphor man uh you you know about Crumpler, you know the deep lore as well. So that uh this is his epic shit post uh against all of us plebes because he knows so much. Um he, let's see. He says Love seeing people who insinuate that BLM was somehow a neoliberal movement, which it was, uncritically accept that a sort of populist movement of people organizing themselves literally in investors to outperform other investors is not exactly that. Now, it, I get what he's saying. It is kind of in a way because you are implicitly consenting to the order of the ec economic system itself. But this like epic contrarian take is such bullshit because... You could point to um, what's happening now with GameStop Gate as an organic movement, whereas with BLM, there's such like a long history of a lot of sus things going on there in terms of the organization and their funding and their backing. And basically every single institutional uh, level of support that they've gotten from the media and academia and uh, the banks giving them a billion dollars and so forth. So... To say that comparing BLM to this, where like basically they're calling like Redditors of all people, like evil incel white supremacists. I mean, there is a lot of incels on Reddit. There was like whole boards, but like, you know what I mean? Like these, I, I mean, there is a crossover between 4chan biz and like the, uh, what's the subreddit that this started on? What's it called? Uh, Wall, Street Wall Street Bets. Wall Street Bets, yeah. So it's really like this, and Campbot even had a similar... Oh, sorry, I mean, I mentioned it. No, but don't worry. But um, these people that are coming out with these contrarian takes that somehow, like, there was this one, like, Mark cell, theory cell, like, communist, who was talking about how basically this is, like, fascism because it's not that you're dicking over... Um, it's not an organic, lumpen proletariat uh, uh, movement because there are people with money who are part of the petty bourgeoisie. And so therefore this is economic fascism instead of our glorious gay space communism. Right. So it's just, to me, these people that are really undermining it, I notice, like, especially AOC and other people, it's just, to me, it's like this contrarianism that goes nowhere because this literally apart from Occupy Wall Street, which did nothing at the end of the day, this is like the biggest opportunity that people have to really dick the system in financial capital, the way it is structured now. So these people that are using petty grievances and an eyed Paul to implode the movement, the way that they did with Occupy Wall Street, all of that idealism was dead for so long. So all these people like David Graver, God rest his smutty soul that wrote about Occupy Wall Street and how it was this glorious uprising, this glorious insurgent movement of these millennials and, and uh, you know, now zoomers, all of that shit was deader than a doornail. But now that people are frustrated and have no other option but to gamble their money on symbolic nostalgic picks like AMC and uh, 
uh, GameStop. Even though everyone fucking hates... That's the thing. Everyone hates GameStop. GameStop was the worst <laughs> fucking piece of shit. There, there, there was a whole cottage industry of YouTubers that would record videos who used to work at GameStop back in like 2007. And they're like, it was fucking terrible. But now millennials, because we're using this weaponized nostalgia against the system to pick stocks that we found valuable same with blockbuster fucking customer service blockbuster had the worst customer service back in the day it was like comically ridiculous i'm old enough to remember but but because it's a symbol of a forgotten time as i point out in my video it's like this like hyperstitional energy of people like memeing the past into the present again because like the reality of GameStop doesn't make sense as a model anymore with steam or whatever. Right. But like, it's the, the hope of the meme of the millennial longing for something real again, instead of just virtual bullshit. So that's like my spicy hot take. And I borrowed that take from my good, good Twitter friend, real boy, physical reality gamer. I, if you go to my video, I cite him. I like browse through the Twitter, uh, the Twitter TL, and I talk about his thread. I talk about this thread by uh, Hank Heil, another good follower of mine. Just absolute fire. So, uh, yeah, sorry. About well, that, that that is a very appropriate name too. You know, physical. It has the word physical in it, and here we're talking real boy about these, physical. Yeah, yeah. These we have to get him spaces. on the show. We have to get him on the show. But, Absolutely, uh, we do. And Metaphor Man, as far as the uh, memeing that's been going on related to uh, all this stuff, what are some of the best ones you've noticed so far? Um, well, before we even get into that, I think there's a really good comparison to be made. So Gio was talking about how a lot of these movements um, fizzled out and essentially uh, equaled out to nothing. Good, uh, good comparison here. Um, you're talking about Occupy Wall Street. Now, everyone's, everyone's seen all the news footage, right? It, it's a bunch mm -hmm. of people down below. They have the, uh, the epic fail guy masks on. You got people <laughs> shouting and whatnot. And then you have the 1%, the, the people who have been fucking everyone over. They're out on the balcony. They're sipping champagne. They're taking pictures. They're laughing at the people downstairs. And it was, it was, a, it was a revealing moment, you know, because the country got to see just how shitty these people are. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it didn't really accomplish much besides that. And uh, to compare that to what's happening now, like there, it just comes off as cope, right? They're, they're trying to label this as some sort of fascist movement. They're trying to say that like the only people that are making a difference right now are the people um, who are putting thousands upon thousands of dollars. Like, no, they are making the biggest difference, obviously, you know, because they're the biggest uh, initial investors they got on the ground floor. But to come off and say that, that, it, that it's not an um, organic movement, is just plain false. And an, another good one, uh, I think we've talked about this on here before too, especially uh, the one we did like right during the quote unquote insurrection was you had, you had an, Black Lives Matter, which is an, it's an organic movement through and through. It started off that way at least. Um, and you had them, you had them influencing all these protests happening around the nation. And everyone was hoping that it would lead to this widespread change. You know, you saw cops, military, National Guard, you saw them all taking a knee. But what did it change, theoretically? Like, it, it didn't really change much. And then you have uh, Trump supporters come out in mass, and within eight hours of being in Washington, D.C., they're inside the Capitol, right? For better or for worse, they did something. And it's, it's exactly like what's happening with this uh, economic situation. They're, it just comes off as cope because they, they mm. weren't able to accomplish anything, and these other people were. I, I have something kind of to say on that, and this may be – 
sort of out in what do they say? What's the saying? Left field or right field or whatever way out in thing is that, um, and I don't know how religious you guys want to get on, get in on this sort of thing. Um, but, uh, like if you look historically at the end of, of empires, and I think that's kind of what's happening with America is that we're at the end of an empire. Um, a lot of times you do see this, this type of thing happening, you know, and where it's these big things, but nothing happens. But what does happen is people do go out and, and form separate communities that are um, kind of intertwined and tight that are separate, not, not, not necessarily separate, but kind of to the side or whatever, where they are preserving civilization. You saw this at the, during the bronze age collapse, you saw this later on when the collapse of the Roman empire and the, during the dark ages and stuff like that, where, later on it was mostly christians going out and just setting up side communities or anabaptists later on when france was having all those issues the anabaptists kind of uh went out in the wilderness and in germany as well and just sort of set up separate communities where they kind of did their own thing and i think that one of the things that we're seeing right now is uh a lot of people have been saying this is kind of the uh uh the red pilling of america i guess is that people are realizing that uh, what we were promised is not going to come to fruition ever. And it's up to you to find the people that you can live with and form your communities separate and independent until this is done. And then something else will emerge on the other side. And um, that's, that's, I mean, as much as I like Bitcoin, as much as I like all the stuff that's going on in the market and stuff, it's exciting, it's fun. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now is that uh, I do live in suburban America, but my vision is toward uh, not being in a place where it matters if it collapses. It's so, uh, and, and you see this happening all over the place too. I mean, this is not like, I thought this was like an original idea for me. And then like, I started paying attention to it and I'm like, oh, wow, actually lots of people are doing this. Uh, not just in the United States either. Like it's, it's, it's Americans are kind of going like, Ooh, stuff's not, <laughs> not going well. And they're kind of leaving the cities and going to their own places. But there's also like community buildings happening. And then Canada, lot, Europe, uh, they don't like it, but a lot of stuff's going on in Europe about this too, is I think that like the Western civilization is in a precarious position right now. And I think in the next several years, we're going to see that the West does not have the superpowers anymore. It's going to be Eastern and African superpowers and whatever we're doing needs to be self-preservation in, we need to worry not about the United States, like what happens to me here in Texas and what happens in California, what happens in Virginia, New York, irrelevant. What really needs to matter, I think, going forward is what happens to the hundred people around me. That, that think, is, yeah. yeah. Well, that is, that is valid, of course, but there is another problem here, which is we have China and I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about Russia right now, whatever buff. China. I, 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 yes, China. <laughs> okay. So when it comes to, I don't even need to talk about Russia. You see that fucking documentary with the, uh, with the palace. I don't need to say anymore. Anyway, when it comes to China though, Jason Giorgiani was making an important point. I think that when it comes to biotech, when it comes to the ability to create things that are just like beyond our nightmares, beyond uh, the nightmare of my background, 
over here. Like when we have the ability to create that and when the Chinese government has the ability to create that and they're like a super state that can use and abuse people as well as genetically engineer them and do all kinds of horrible stuff and relate relating to medicine. I mean, just look at what happened right now uh, with uh, COVID-19. So when that happens, then China becomes a danger to the entire world. And the sure. question is, what do we do to address that? I don't think it is a matter of just everybody huddling into their own little community that would have been great before when you know you had the mongol horde that was occupying certain areas of the world while other areas of the world didn't have that now everybody's so interconnected that uh if we allow china to proceed the way it's proceeding again my hope is that well, Ch well, china is not going to last because this morning logo yeah. said that china doesn't matter to him as an american so when i i was I had this tweet where these Canadians were these fellow Leafs were supporting banning the Epoch Times from the mail, and Logo's like, "Well, China doesn't affect me, man." So I don't know. Well, I don't know about that, King. Yeah, I mean, I do think that China does affect everyone, but I think a lot of what's going on currently in the world is that a yeah. lot of these things that we perceive as a threat—Russia, China, the, the, the well, the Chinese-Russian sphere of influence in general, the. Iranian sphere of influence, the American sphere of influence, all of this stuff really relies on the American economy being stable, and it's not going to be. If if our economy collapses, this is a worldwide collapse. This is this is similar to what you know we always talk about. Well, not we always talk about, but the things that people look at all the time is the collapse of collapses of these great empires, and this is what we see in history, but from a micro perspective in individual communities, it, it is bad and people are impacted by it, but the, the communities that are most prepared for it are the communities that are insular. So maybe China is doing all of this stuff and maybe, you know, they have a, a big lab in Wuhan that has all sorts of bad diseases and stuff like that. But like, if I live out in the middle of the Sonora in you know Southern Arizona or whatever, and nobody ever comes and visits me, I'm not getting those diseases because also, nobody goes there but yeah. like but it's it, it, it's a it's a grand scale i mean like the bronze age collapses i think a, a great example of this is we had a extremely interconnected mediterranean world during the bronze age that we don't we don't really know a huge amount about but like to some degree we do know they were trading lots of stuff was going on and then all of a sudden it stopped yeah, mm. and, and even We're, before that, you, know, you have a world where you have uh, pyramids all over. You have pyramids in China yep. that they're covering up. You have pyramids in South America. You have pyramids in Egypt. None of this stuff looks like the stuff that later on archaeologists are trying to tie in with each other. So this is like all, I think, antediluvian shit. I think like all this stuff has existed before. To be there fair were to Logo, yeah, yeah, to be fair to Logo, I feel like he's, cor he's correct in the sense that the anti-China thing is like usually propped up by neocons, but I, I do think like China's depending on where you are is more of a threat. Like as a Canadian, I think it's like China has a direct effect on the Canadian economy and the Canadian housing market in yeah. so many ways, especially oh, sure. with Trudeau. But I do understand like this deference of like neocons saying, well, we're going to look at China, like, like Steve Bannon, not that he's like a straight up neocon, but like, I do get that argument that it's a way of like deflecting from what America is doing to the rest of the world, obviously. But uh, I just think that this take. No, but in comparison, in the comparison to China, what is America doing to the rest of the world? Again, well, I mean, America is doing like the exact same things in terms of not just manipulating their currency, but 
dumping a lot of the what would you call them extrinsic like you know unforeseen consequences of a high-tech civilization onto the rest of the world like like Childerberg, yeah. like you were saying and and it's just um we don't really like see the planks in our own eyes although i would say i don't agree with like these really insane internationalists like there was this uh um, Netflix, there was like this alt. I don't have Netflix, my buddy had, but this was like a few years ago. There was this like alternative right documentary. It was like, you know, a typical demon piece. And at the end of it was uh, who's the head guy at Chapo Trap House, Matt Kreisman, where he's like, these alt right people, when they want to choose between uniting in the world or genocide, they're going to choose it. And genocide is when you close your borders and the rest of the world, man. And it's like that kind of that's bullshit to me like yeah. in terms of i think if things do get bad it, it's no fault of anyone of closing your borders and shutting you off and becoming like a chinese model of a middle kingdom if america could even do that i think that's well, impossible see, but point. i see i think i think there is going to be a closing of the borders but i think it's going mm. to be more of like a closing of the borders in towns yeah but it won't be national I, I exactly yeah i don't think it's gonna be national i don't think the united states has the ability i i you know and i am very I wouldn't even say this is doom and gloom because I think this is actually going to be better for a lot of people is um, I don't see the United States lasting 50 more years. Um, no, no, it, I don't, no. Yeah. And, and I think that, and I think it's fine. I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not happy about it. I'm an American. I, I, I do like America. I, I, and I specifically like Americana. Like I really like our culture. Like I think it's, I think it's a really outstanding culture as far as like the everyday normal american but the um the structure that has been built around the um like the corporatist i guess the I, I, corporatist is not really the right word but the, sort of the the sort of melding of like the socialist idea this corporatist idea all of the stuff has kind of come together has made just this like woke neoliberalism yeah 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 woke that's a great way to describe it woke neoliberalism like it's just that and we export it everywhere and, yes. and we're great at that. Like that, that was one of the first things that America was really good at is exporting stuff. And, um, and, and when it was, and when America was great, that was awesome. And then when this sort of like poison started working its way in the system, it started being bad. But I think that there is, um, you know, there is a degree, this is, there's, uh, sorry, when do you think American culture is great? I will need to pinpoint it for me. So I'm curious what you think. So I don't I mean, know that much about American I, culture. I don't know if there's a good way to, to pinpoint it in particular, but I think that um, 1950s because the women were all hot. They had that hairstyle <laughs> that I really like and the eyebrows. Joyce yeah, Nazari, Playboy the, Playmate, Joyce Nazari. Beginning of the decay, but yeah, well, the no, beginning of pornography is what I it mean, sounds like to you. <laughs> no, I mean I I would probably put the apex of American civilization American civilization at like 1890s. What happened uh, in the 1890s? Yeah, the when like the period? Gilded Age, the Gilded Age, when mm -hmm. like when when unfettered capitalism was accelerating the economy to the point where and there was bad stuff to it like i'm not i'm not gonna say there wasn't no i'm not saying i'm not trying to like get at you when i say this i'm genuinely sure. interested in learning i'm not one of these fucking people where it's like yeah. you're a fascist if you think anything older than now sure. is you know no, I, I would i would say probably i was but see and it's kind of a hard thing is i think that there's a lot of stuff about modern americanism that's great but uh i think as far as like an economic powerhouse the 1890s was probably the guilt like the greatest age of america and then there was there was some lagging social stuff that i think is is ultimately good um but there was this i think i think i think the progressive era just crushed the american um 
good, like the goodness of America. I think the progressive era was the, was the end of it. It was, it, it became so ingrained that there was this, like, I, I don't know how to, I mean, I'm religious. So like, I will put it this way. It's, it was an anti-God uh, I'm Quaker, but like, I do have a huge respect for Catholics. So like this anti-Catholic progressive era. That me on stream right now. Like, it was great. basically like the American wasp order, like yeah. getting, getting woke to a certain like degree of um inborn like unitarianism yeah well like uh kind of like yeah kind of like the social gospel where it's like the only way christ is going to come again is if we make this perfect world through force kind of thing whereas like Mm -hmm. uh and and like an and and that would be kind of where i would pinpoint this Mm. so the the historian tom woods did his phd thesis on this and you can get it it's from uh I think it's Columbia Press put it out. It was a very, very prestigious uh, thing. And it was basically the the progressive movement's impact on Catholic society in the United States. And they were like really out on this. And it was, and it was, and the, the Catholics were very uh, resistant to this where they're, and the progressive movement was kind of going like, um, basically like if you're not looking toward the future, and uh, doing all of these things where we want the world to be changed. And, and, you know, this is very much like the Woodrow Wilson kind of like morphing the world into the image of Christ, the, the social gospel kind of thing, where they're like, if you're not on board with this, then you need to be destroyed. And, and I think that's kind of where America sort of lost its mm. uh, progress. And, and not, not to say that everything in the 1890s was great. I mean, there was a lot of problems in, in America, but I think that that's kind of where it went that that's where the poison was, was introduced. Mm. And that's where I think we, you can trace back a lot of the, the modern, um, the modern progressive movement, you know, the AOCs and, and the, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, the AOC wing, the Bernie Sanders wing of the, uh, democratic party, I think kind of traces roots back, back to Woodrow Wilson with the, with the social gospel and like, uh, that's kind of what I see. Um, but you know, I also, but I also see that I don't, I don't see this as hopeless. I think that the, the future is, uh, is small communities. I think we, we've grown beyond the, uh, human evolutionary capacity for community and it's going to go back to that. Do you also think that there is a hope for, let's say, if we're talking about the beginning of the 20th century, we had people like Nikola Tesla who came in, completely changed the world with the electricity and all that. And right now, since things rise so quickly technologically and like we were talking at the very beginning of this episode, a lot of companies, you know, there's risks involved, but a lot of them have the potential to really rapidly grow. So do you think that despite there being like these independent communities, that there could still be a great technological advancement of things that we aren't even, uh, you know, aren't even dreaming about right now, still being able to be produced. Yeah. Uh, not, yeah. So that, that's kind of what I'm. Yeah. Well, cause I, and I think that a lot of, and this is one of the reasons why I think we're going to go back to tribal level communities is because all of our technology, we, it was pushing for years and years and years into this. Oh, by the way, really of... quickly, really quickly. F you fig fog. Helena is a queen and you're going to fucking respect <laughs> her. Okay. So <laughs> wait, what happened? She is are you British it. Helena. Is that what people are insulting you with the British woman thing? Fucking, fucking bullshit. British. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. It is a privilege that you are watching this shit, Fig Fog. I can kick you out any any fucking no, time. No, don't don't no. start going down. My white knight. We don't kick people unless they're posting gamer words. But we're anyway, no, don't say that. That's only gonna encourage you know what's you okay. know what's funny. 
I have this, I have this drink here. Cause like, I, you know, like this, I, I like rock these sparkling waters, right? I don't drink soda anymore. It's called AHA. And I always remember like the fucking clip from Chris Chan where he's like, AHA! like, uh, like that oh, scared right. the fuck out. When I was watching the Gino Samuel documentary and Chris Chan was like made his original Cl- Clyde Cash video when he like had the fucking face that scared. The- I was watching with my two best friends scared the hell out of me when he's like ah! like oh i can't even do it yeah. it's so like oh again Anyways, again sorry, sorry, again no no well real I, quick again I my proposition again, well now <laughs> see now here you go you mentioned chris chan so now i have to say once again what i am looking for just to reiterate what i meant just so people don't get the wrong idea what i want to do is be able to find some caretaker that would be able to take care of chris chan because chris chan is not capable of taking care of herself uh you know as far as uh, there is a potential danger you know bodily danger that may come over time uh either to herself or to people around her so that is the only thing that i wanted to say here as far as like there could be a way to raise money or uh, bring somebody in and again like geo i know what you said that like people try and they failed well you know what if they failed Sorry, and they no, didn't I'm try just, good enough i'm wild now with the comments about no, it's okay. And the, the chat the is British right. Thing is I think people, I think people think I'm mad. That I'm just fucking out of it. I'm tired. It's all right, bro. I'm, I'm more. I'm more space. I was more like spacing out when children was going on about America than I am at the chat. I was just kind is of like just spaced out more than. <laughs> No, people, I mean, the I British know. aren't looking very good, man. I think people. No, no, no. I don't know the British think I'm mad though. Like I don't know. Oh. I think no, the I've British thing. Mad in the past. The British thing is ridiculous because Polly Walker, and look, I am not going to post her, uh, you know, her naked photo, but I am going to post a photo that's like cropped of that scene when she is Apparently in the bath. Australian women look way better, though. That's what I hear. I don't know. I think because so Australia, they had a different genetic uh, makeup because. All the prisoners. Yeah, the prisoners, but the, it breeded <laughs> more of a hearty. I don't know. Like criminals tend to look hotter. I don't know. So they either look really ugly or really hot. But that's just, I don't know. That's just a pet <laughs> theory. A lot of criminals do look kind of good, but that's just, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, yeah. The I mean, ang- you, would, you would agree. Polly Walker is pretty hot. Yes, she's, um, she looks hot, yeah. Let me, let me see. Okay. I mean, I can't really tell. I've got like a small version of an already small image. So I can't really get like yeah, I how she's a real life. I feel like she looks a bit rapey. I mean, I feel like she would be like the kind of like person to groom you, like the kind of substitute teacher sort of thing. I don't know. Well, well she's a milf. She's there. like, uh, anyway. Well, no, I mean, but she looks like a groomer. I don't know. I don't know. I would let her groom me. That's all. <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't. But, you know, I'm just saying it's like kind of like groom. You know what? I, what I, f- I find interesting about this, Lev, is that you, is you're very interested in her. Uh, I'm very interested in Eastern European women because mm. that's what my wife is. Yeah, so I think, I think maybe it's like uh, you're attracted to the genetic diversity. So exactly, yeah, yeah. There the grass you go. Is greener, uh, grass is greener on the other side. Uh, right. And by yes, and we all know what I mean by grass. I think the chat right. brings up an interesting point about like the the British like good looking stuff. It's like I, it it feels weird. I don't know. It doesn't feel like their genuine opinion when some people say that. Now it might be their genuine opinion, but I don't feel like they've actually been here or they've seen the cherry picked images of the people outside Greg's or something like that. Do you know what I mean? The, <laughs> They've taken the North means means too seriously, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Go to your local Tesco and see what happens. Has anybody anybody actually done a video where they would go to the north of England and show the uh, gentleman around Greg's? The zombies? Well, the the memes. Like, I would love for somebody to actually show off the uh, north 
FC memes to the actual Northerners. <laughs> you know, I, had, I, was, I was contemplating this theory today about the British, about how the people native to Britain, like the people that the, whose ancestors didn't leave on colonial excursions. I was, there was this one comment that I was, you know, I, I censor the names now because I'm worried that Twitter is going to ban me for harassment. Um, this one person said in this comment about banning the Epoch Times, and I know the Epoch Times is a fucking Falun Gong. Like, it's cringe. People are telling me, but it's besides the point. They literally want Canada Post to ban people, like, things that people disagree with. So, this one person said, you know, in England, we ban people who go against hate speech because we realize there's a social obligation. And I'm thinking, like, the British of, like, not even, like, 30 years ago, like Margaret Thatcher's England would never have done, like even thought that, right? But my theory is that uh, places like America, to some extent in rural Canada, by the way, shout out to my boy in Saskatchewan, Laser, to some certain pockets in Canada and, and of course Australia, there was a sensibility of a independent sort of like ruggedness to them, like the yeoman farmer ideal that precluded them from a lot of like nonsense like paternal nanny state thought but the british that were left in england they are like totally like the bitch of government and like whatever like restrictions that the license do you have a yeah, license yeah exactly the license like there is some like little englanders they call it like the north fc people that still have that ethos of what Britain used to be. Like if you watch like Britbox shows, like Hyacinth or whatever, like that shit's gone. That's dead now. Like that, those mm. people, they're gone. So it's it's replaced by like spice zombies on the dole in townhouses. So, <laughs> uh, but there's like in the Anglosphere in these places that were subjected to like vast swaths of wilderness, there is like this. Um, this like impulse towards independence and like more conservative and traditional outlooks and metaphor man's got to go. And by the way, yes. his dog go to met him, go to ship biscuits, Twitter. He's got this dog. Uh, what breed is your dog metaphor, man? It's like pure white fluffy. Uh, it's uh, his dog is something else. Uh, so this is metaphor man's Twitter over here. Everybody follow metaphor man and uh, you will not be disappointed. I am so honored to have had Metaphor Man here multiple times. And uh, yeah, and Andrew yeah. Meyer says, uh, uh, plus plus the best of Brits died in World War One. and oh, World War II. Yeah, yeah, same with Germans too. That's another thing. Like, mean, why do you think Germany like, is so bad now? You mean like celebrities? Or like, I don't know, the best of, it just seems like such yeah. a like extreme oh, and, and by the way, by the way, just so, just so. Like, like put it this know, way, you and like, like Rudyard Kipling's version of England. Mm. Is, is gone right well, so, well yeah but then wait, like, wait wait real quick real Britain quick will, like come together i don't know romanticizing the past yeah, is always dangerous like, here, okay so here's here here's what i did i sent the zoom link to our uh this to our percolator discord channel so all of our patreon patrons now is the time if you want to go on the show right now i sent the zoom link so all the percolators and the percolator thing go in there <laughs> so forever young if you want to go in there but again don't fucking let me dox you by accident so don't put your fucking names in there so anyway uh just i just wanted to get that out of the way and we have Conscious Moss, a.k.a. Nala, the Lion Queen, joining us. So uh, how are you, Conscious Moss? 
Hello, I'm good. I have absolutely nothing of substance to say about finance. So I. <laughs> We've moved I, on to well, it's British talk. Right I noticed. Now, so I know that actually, as much as I talked shit to you and I was getting really mad about the things people were saying about him. <laughs> Yeah, I, he's I think mad that because he's alive, and that was a true statement. <laughs> everyone, everyone like loves this, to clown on thing. you, and oh my god. Well, no, it's I, it's one of these things because I have like it's way people I think clown on jewels and stuff like it's because of our like voices, and unfortunately I can't change. I can try and change my cane as much as I can, but the way I look, I'm a bit goofy. And kind of my Do you remember that video of the, the guy the hall monitor was trying to like stop? Oh no, <laughs> no! Please, Gio, oh, don't oh, roast me like this. Don't roast me. Oh, what's I he fucking no, saying? It. It's there, there is. I'm getting really sick of you. What is it? That one. <laughs> but no, you know what's funny though. You know what's funny is that the the Anglo, like the current Anglo, like value in like ma- I wouldn't say pater- maternalistic government is sort of alien to what for example what oswald spangler talked about in rush uh what did he call it um the book on prussian socialism where like which is really collectivism because the people in germany they had to like band together in ancient times because they were a land-based like a landlocked country so they were always susceptible to attacks so they bred this sort of mindset that was collectivist in nature whereas the british had more of a libertarian like classically anglo like you know anglo-scottish enlightenment libertarianism classical liberalism because they were an island nation that were not as susceptible to various attacks um but nowadays it's like this weird like inversion of that where the anglo the eternal anglo has become so liberal that they're willing to forego their heritage and their civilization for for uh you know values that were were never like um in the british blood like the cultural bloodstream because like all of that stuff about like stiff upper lip and being very stoic about things like that nowadays it's like i don't know um it's like uh, it's because i have it oh by the way i think the reason why people might be making fun of my looks is because i have an eye thing sometimes and especially if i tilt you can see the the blind eye where it's like the <laughs> it kind of like comes out more. So that's probably why people, if they're making fun of the Quasimodo thing, that's probably why. But mm. I, know, <laughs> Quasimodo. Yeah, I think the they're more. I think they're more just trying to be edgy, and it has nothing uh, to do with what well, you. Well, I know, like. but I'm kind of curious to see where all this edginess starts because it's like I. It's because I like react to things. That's the core of it. Most likely, yeah. Exactly, but I'm kind of interested. I know it's like ooh, the little wiener. I'm <laughs> Turn off a the drunk. webcam. Though. Nah, nah. I'm gonna just keep it on. I mean, I had a. <laughs> oh I, my just god. Zoom in. I found a lazy friend, so. Hey, oh guys, boy. <laughs> Any, anyways, uh, let's talk about something serious. Here. So well, what but, else you is know, happening? Geo, on that kind of, on that sort of point, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know if this is, <laughs> if this is accurate or inaccurate, but uh, one thing, like I, I noticed about my wife, who's a Ukrainian immigrant, um, is that the people that pick up and leave do have a very different personality than people who just stay and accept what's going on. And and I think that's one of the things that's different about America and Canada uh, to, to a large degree is that the people that make up that society um, are either the descendants or are the people who picked up and left and decided to make a better world or, or make a better life for themselves at least. Yeah. I think that that's true. Like it's, it's different when 
we're, we're experiencing a time now where you were basically a pauper within your own cultural milieu. You are experiencing a level of spiritual homelessness, but at the same time, if you have ancestry that goes back to like, like, for example, my buddy laser, like he has his ancestral line goes back to like basically the people that founded Canada. Right. So it's like, you have a different perspective than someone like me who is a descendant of immigrants. And when we came to Canada, like, I hate to say it, but like when they let us, you're like Catholic Europeans and either from Italy or Ukraine or Poland or wherever, it's like, we were very susceptible to the like neoliberal North American machine. Like for example, like every Italian voted for, pierre trudeau because he promised us gibbs so it's like that was the um leaving a place of poverty and being bribed by a wealth that is transferred to you now we helped build this country in a lot of ways that a lot of new immigrants uh are not but at the same time i can't help but wonder uh if spandrel's bio-leninism thesis is true because if you do have people who are being more or less bought off then they will have a certain degree of loyalty like there are still italians who are like older boomer or like well even before who are like hardcore conservative but they still vote for liberal why because pierre trudeau gave them basically gave them a social security net right what 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 do you think about uh so i mean again kind of a a separate thing but this is uh in the united states so a trend that we saw in this last election was uh districts that went 65, 75% to Hillary went 65, 75% toward Trump. Mm. And these were districts that were mostly Latino. Yeah. Um, and so we see, futurism. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, it's, it's a weird thing. And one of the things that I think it is, uh, I think that Republicans are very good at integrating minorities and making them, you know, quote unquote, white, making that bri- integrating them into the, and they did this with the Jews. They did this with the Italians Yes, uh, in the turn of the century. So I think, yeah, kind of that's sort of what's they're going is they're like, Oh, you're white. Also, you're not these other groups. So like there is, I think a race aspect to it, but I think also it's that you have a lot of uh, not just Latino minorities, but like any sort of minority that has some sort of traditional value when they're, when there's this, um, it's it's the trans issue i think is a lot of it is uh so like i was watching it's also like it's yeah go ahead go ahead yeah. I, I was watching earlier today this show uh have you guys seen the show psych it's it's a usa original it's like uh this guy oh, pretends to be a psychic he pretends to be a psychic detective and he solves crimes i i usually put that on the background <laughs> when i'm coding and uh in this show they had an entire episode where the running joke was that multiple people had been tranny tricked Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. that can't go wrong, right? Holy right. Shit. But, but you know what's wild? What's wild about this is it's less than 10 years old. And wow. like, and while I was like kind of listening to the show, I was like, whoa, this stuff would totally not fly today. And I, I was talking to my co-host on uh, Tasting Anarchy. Plug for Tasting Anarchy if you guys want to listen oh, yeah. to the show Guys, about, a great uh, podcast. Uh, I was and, on the Christmas thing. Yeah, That's right. He was on the Christmas episode. Um, but I, I, was, I was talking to Mason about it and Mason was like, well, you know, the, the, uh, I don't know why Mason knows this, but, uh, I'll share this information with everybody is he knows the porn trends and, uh, the porn trend when that episode came out was tranny. There, um, there is, it's a very, like it, I'm doing research for an article. It is a very big 
it's it's weird it's it's weird because because the trend now apparently is like incest but like the trend at the time the trend at the time was uh trannies and so they were joking this and mason's hypothesis is that because this was becoming a trend in porn and it didn't jive with the left they nixed it so like you can see like at the time there was a lot of jokes and stuff on tv or uh network television usa and that sort of thing uh where those jokes were allowed but then all of a sudden you see a cutoff and it's just no these jokes are not allowed anymore because now we're pushing this trans agenda which again like i i don't really care one way or the other about this but i do i see this as kind of an interesting thing i don't really remember exactly the point i was going with this but um i do see this kind of an interesting thing where um the it well i do kind of remember it it's it's the the um sort of the boundary has been pushed so far that people who are immigrating to the United States are kind of going like, yeah, we were okay with like free money and stuff, but we're not cool with like my five-year-old son having his dick cut off. It's, it's, it's to do with the race thing too, because at the end of the day, Latinos will just like almost on a genetic basis side with white people over black people. That's always good. It happens in every single prison yard in America where the Norteño is the Nortenos or Shrenos that like they all like legit have an alliance with like the Aryan brotherhood over the, (laughs) over like black gangs. So it's just, I think like because of the BLM stuff, a lot of Latinos in these like marginalized communities, they share a bigger portion of the quote unquote hood nowadays than even black people. And so when they see this, like what they perceive as like a coddled to demographic in the media, at least then they're all instinctively going to side with like all of this thing about Latinx and like getting out of, you know, getting back at the colonizers and shit. Like when you look at the, like Latin America and like, uh, you know, my mother, she was born and raised in Brazil. So it's like they will instinctively side with like the upper class white people when there's an external threat in a lot of Latin American countries. And in America, I don't expect any different because a lot of the ruling class within Mexico and within um, Central and South America, they're basically like almost Europeanized, like in Brazil, yeah. especially like they're straight up. Like if you look at Bolsonaro, you it's like you're looking at like a Spanish or a Portuguese man like that, you know what I yeah. mean? So well, to, and and, I, and what I find interesting about that because is, is we don't. It's not just this trend in in Latinos though. Is that we see this trend in black males as well? And I think this is mm. a pushback against um, just the general demonization of what I would say is traditional Western values, but it's probably not. It's it's, it's probably liberal Western values, but it's the it's traditional liberal Western values. Well, they're trying are, to basically like meme like black men into being more like yeah. effeminate than what they are. Yeah, when you so see this on you men. see this on like that the root article that was going around for a while oh, when they were like yeah, yeah. yeah where they were like uh, black men are the white men of the black community or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like yeah, you're like what? <laughs> And, it, and it's basically yeah. like, it, so, and I think it's kind of like reinforcing itself. Yeah. And it, they and don't it, want anybody to fight back. They don't want anybody to have this instinct to, uh, you know, to defend, you know, the family or uh, anything that means something special to them. They, I, I and again, this is an ag- exaggeration, but the feeling sure. is like, you must, you must submit, you must just be this passive consumer that doesn't have any fire in one's belly. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, buy your Air Jordans. Buy, you know, and and this is yeah. you, you see this in marketing actually is that the marketing the marketing statistics show that white women and black men are the target demographic a lot because they buy. Yeah. And but like uh, that that image of like the like '90s like gangster culture like sure. that doesn't work anymore. They have to like meme black men into something else. Yeah. But uh, I have an interesting interesting comment here about. Um, I'm waiting for his eyes to even. <laughs> I want to hear from the D trans chick because it sounds interesting. Uh, is there a way to D transition from the state you and his? <laughs> oh, okay. oh, yeah. This I, is I wonder, there. no, but I wonder this this role. Oh, and, and we have Janati oh, here. Yeah, we have Janati. Hey, Janati. Good evening. Good evening. What's the theater behind you, by the way? What's what's going on? Oh, no, this is... Oh, by the way, scene... you are really loud. You are really loud. I don't know if there's something <laughs> up with the mic, but, but guys, do you notice that Janati's loud right now, right? It sounds yeah, good yeah. to me. Is this better? Hello, Janati. sounds great to me. Uh, okay. I don't know. To me, it's a little, it's a little bit loud, but it, it's fine. We'll, we'll roll with it. It's, it's good. All right. I'm not sure what the issue was. Maybe it was with my headphones, but anyway... Uh, this is a scene from 1802, the Pitzhanger Manor in London, designed mm. by Sir John Soane, the great neoclassical architect. So nice. I thought, beautiful. Yes, this would be the scene I will feature sufficiently distanced from current events that hopefully it will facilitate an objective discussion. Now, I understand the main subject matter of today's stream is the GameStop slash Robin Hood trading situation, but Geo uh, was conversing on a, a different subject matter, essentially how uh, individuals and in, uh, various minority groups perceive themselves as opposed to uh, common culturally construed perceptions or perceptions that uh, some left-wing activists may seek to foist upon them. And that's an interesting conversation as well. Uh, I'd be curious to hear about the connection between the two, but uh, I'll share my perspective on this briefly. And that is, I'm willing to call people what they want to call themselves, but I'm not particularly sure that some of these names that uh, certain uh, left-wing activist groups have devised for people are actually names that those people would want to call themselves. Uh, so there are languages which have masculine and feminine endings to adjectives and Spanish is one of them, Russian is another. So uh, clearly a lot of people uh, of South American or Mexican origin would call themselves Latino or Latina. I don't know of anyone of those people who would call themselves Latinx. Uh, that seems to be a kind of American vulgarization hmm. of Latinx. Spanish language. And it would be very similar. Lev, I think it, you sympathize because in Russian, there's a similar situation. So a male Russian, uh, the adjective would be Ruski. Female hmm. Russian adjective Ruskaya. would be Ruskaya. If hmm. somebody called one of us uh, Ruskiks, how would that sound? That would sound quite absurd, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but, and agree. you know, and I'm I'm married I'm married to a Ukrainian, um, and she's trying to teach me the uh, many 
interesting conjugations and gender genderization and all that sort of stuff of uh, the Russian language. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that to me mm. seems ridiculous, but the, um, I mean, we, we, we talk to our dogs in Russian and uh, yeah, like we have a boy and a girl dog. And so like Lapushka and Lapushki. No, Lapushka. Yeah. Like Lapushka. <laughs> I don't mean to correct you. But no, no, that's fine. Yeah. Lap- Lapushka. <laughs> Lapushka. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and like uh, Malinkaya and things like that. Like Malinkaya. it's yeah, it's I'm like. Sorry, I gotta stop doing that. I know, it's- I know. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's my 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 Russian is is really bad, and I'm trying to learn a little bit for uh, for the children in the future. But <laughs> but it is it, it's it is a very different language than English, and uh, and kind of to your point is that like. Yeah, you you've got to talk to the people who that is their language. That's how they identify. Whereas in English, it's not that way. Yes, and I think when you speak with those people in English, I think the best course of action is just to ask them. Well, what what is the best way to refer to? And really, there's a, a fairly simple solution in English, and that is the word Hispanic, because that doesn't have a gendered uh, conjugation in the English language. Uh, so I, I don't really see a problem here that needs to be solved. I think sometimes these culture war terms are solutions in search of problems, uh, so to speak. And uh, I think we're largely in agreement uh, on this matter uh, on this stream. But Gio, I was interested in hearing your thoughts of how this relates to the whole GameStop Robin Hood situation. I think that um, it, it, I think it comes down to basically the, the liquefying political order within America right now. So maybe not in terms of race, certainly in terms of class. Uh, I think that the, the political order is going to be, dissidents of all stripes against like the neoliberal establishment or at least that's the hope and the way that race plays into it is that if we have uh just by sheer necessity of like the demographics if it comes down to like hispanics becoming like a more of a like you know i know the meme like castizo futurism but if they become more of like a conservative underclass uh then we're going well simultaneously as like the the way the Republican party is structured is going to basically fall apart. Um, What we're going to see is we're going to see very interesting mix-ups both in economics and in politics. So like, are we going to see Nick Fuentes occupying a high position of power and Oh, hopefully not, but hopefully not. But I mean, we're we're basically going to see, uh, but then again, because if the power of the American machine is going to do to hispanics what they did to like italians and certain forms of asian people where they're going to basically like turn them into like a a janissary like sub-white underclass where they become waspified the way that us italians were for instance then there there is a way that the establishment can sort of neutralize that ability of a larger hispanic underclass that is also going to be more like conservative in their outlook i don't know it's like what ha- what's happening now is that i think a lot of hispanics they're seeing like the identity politics shit it's not working on them the way it works with other demographics so for instance like 
even people like calling out AOC when she's like, Ted Cruz literally wanted me murdered. Like people are looking at that. Even like people in minority groups, they're looking at that and they're like, wow, that's kind of bullshit. Like this is a moment where everyone agrees that these people are like universally reviled. Um, so, and for AOC to basically make it about herself People are looking at that and they're like, wow, that's kind of bullshit, right? And Ben Shapiro, to be fair, Ben Shapiro did the same where he's like, oh, this is a nothing problem and all that. So I think that it's it's really interesting that we're going to see different racial and political makeups in the coming years, the coming decades. So, uh, and now that people have basically, if you're going to talk about things like in the future, if there's like UBI, where everyone's going to get neat bucks to play around with. I mean, that's going to be a total catastrophe. And in some ways you could see why they had to quash uh, Bernie Sanders, because imagine if like the autistic neats that are doing this to the financial system, imagine if they had neat bucks too, that's, that would be a disaster. That like hedge funds would be like going up left and right. I mean, I mean, look, I don't, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be Mr. Libertarian over here, but Mm. if we're, you know, there is that old quote of, uh, you know, when do people, when they implement things like that, at what point do they run out of everybody else's money? And yeah, true. But money, but see, money would be an abstraction in a, and I guess, Janati, you could talk to this as well, being a futurist, like in some ways, like the financial system would ensure that money itself would be such a, a simulation and an abstraction that it really wouldn't matter how much money they print. Like it would be like people would exist in a state where we wouldn't have as many material benefits as we do now. Like, you know, but I think that if the system wants to keep itself propped up, then they're going to go to a, like a post um, monetary system that will probably leave huge demographics of people behind in the dust. But I think that nowadays this whole, like libertarian thing where, oh my God, they're just going to keep printing money till the whole system collapses and they don't know it. I don't know. I, I, the the real black pill would be if the system doesn't collapse, in my opinion. That's the more the bigger black pill. Well, so. I think that I think that's what we're learning right now is, and I, and I, we learned this in two thousand eight with a lot of the uh, libertarian economists mm-hmm. that were are very very popular is that they all knew that it was going to be done in two thousand eight, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because I was a student of Robert P. Murphy, uh, who was one of the economists. Mm-hmm. Bob Murphy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, Janati, but Robert P. Murphy may be coming in in a couple of months. No I really way. Appreciate, yeah, mm. so I really appreciate that you uh, uh, got me in contact with him. And so right now we're just working it out. Uh, he told me that I should uh, reach back out to him around March and then we could plan to do something. So again, Janati, yeah. thank from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I'm a big fan of uh, Contra Krugman, which is the podcast he does with uh, uh, Tom Woods. That, that's, they, that, show, that show's done, but Rob, uh, Bob Murphy has his own show now, um, mm-hmm. and Tom Woods still does the Tom Woods show. So, but but the uh, Contra Krugman is excellent. Yeah, I highly recommend people looking at the back pages. And, and, and uh, what book, Childeberg, was that Tom Woods book? Was it what did he call it? I have a few of them. Uh, the the unauthorized biography of the United States. What is his book titles? Uh, uh, he's got a, he's got a couple. Actually, one geo that you would love would be uh, how the Catholic Church built Western civilization. Oh, I have that one. I think uh, that, I think one's, I that, that one's that one's super yeah. good. But he also has uh, Meltdown. He's got um, 
Uh, Meltdown the, is good as well. Yeah, Meltdown's good. Uh, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Politically Incorrect Guide. That's I think. Yeah. Yeah. To the Constitution, to American history, and to yeah. Uh, yeah that he's was... he's got several really good. Yeah, Tom Woods is excellent. Bob Murphy is also excellent. He's got a great book on anarchy called um, uh, Chaos Theory. Chaos Theory. Or it's yes. a pamphlet. Yeah. Yes. It's excellent. Uh, I actually, as one of my introductions to Robert Murphy back in 2005, offered to debate him on uh, the Rational Argumentator, my online magazine on chaos theory. And we had a back and forth email exchange that mm -hmm. I published uh, on my website at the time. Uh, that was the way online debates were handled then. Uh, and that was interesting. <laughs> and then I was his student uh, during my first year at Hillsdale College, which was his last year there. But oh, wow. uh, through his intervention, I was able to take an upper level Austrian economics course with him. And I actually got a grade above 100% in total uh, for the wow. course. That's so, fantastic. Didn't he, wasn't he going to debate Paul Krugman, but then Krugman like backed out like a, like a coward. So yes, that's what <laughs> happened. Krugman yeah. does not really want to debate contrary ideas. And uh, I think Krugman has become increasingly irrational and authoritarian in his thinking over the years. But Robert Murphy had a lot of good insights and plausible insights given the uh, empirical assumptions that they relied on. Uh, so yes, he did predict hyperinflation after the quantitative easing began in 2008. The reason why that didn't happen was that essentially the banks decided to sit on all of the excess reserves that were being mm -hmm. lent to them by the Fed and not loan them out to people, instead impose draconian underwriting criteria for mortgages and other consumer loans. Uh, I had firsthand experience of those draconian underwriting criteria trying to purchase a house in 2010. And all things considered, it was still a good decision. It's why I have a paid off mortgage right now, but it was an ordeal trying to get past those draconian underwriting criteria. And I ended up paying a 0.25% higher interest rate than I would have otherwise as a result, because that was the bucket that the bank would uh, fit me in. But I have some experience observing the financial markets slightly before that era, which I think uh, allows me some insight into this GameStop situation. Uh, now, bear in mind, I have not actually been invested in the stock market since January of 2007. And no, I did not misspeak. I did not say 2017. I said 2007. I have sat out the past 14 years because of what I observed in late 2006 and how it convinced me that essentially ordinary laypersons can't win very readily. And there were several examples that convinced me of this. Uh, one is a kind of conceptual uh, example that I think everyone will understand. Wait, wait, real quick, by the way, just to make sure that we don't get taken down for piracy. Myself, oh, please, oh, don't don't stream, <laughs> please don't stream Beetlejuice. Please don't stream oh, that. It's a background, though. I don't know. Should... I know, but it's still, it's still a yeah, risk. It's... it's still a risk. Yeah. Oh, fine. There we go. <laughs> anyway, Janati, go for it. Sorry yes. About that. So, oh, oh, H Helena, real quick. Yeah, I just have to say that I'm gonna dip out. I have to 
catch a phone call. So it's been really nice hanging out with you guys and listening. Same here. I love you and I love your cat. Your cat is amazing. I hope uh, your cat comes back on the next You really did well. defend that cat as well. That cat got like the defense because there was someone like shit talking the cat and then Lev was like, no, <laughs> not every time. So that cat's got like the cat's safe. Fuck you. Whoever was hating on my cat. Yes, hello. Yeah, I like the cat. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Finally. Kashiwagi. Kashiwagi. It's about time. Excellent. Helena, thank you so much. Is, and everybody, is, is don't forget to okay? subscribe. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Perfect. But uh, but right now, let's go back to Janati, but then Kashiwagi. I would love to hear what you have to say as well. But Janati, uh, you have the floor. All right. Thank you. So the first insight, I think, is fairly obvious. The New York Stock Exchange trades during fixed hours, uh, essentially narrowed workday hours during the work week. A lot of information changes between the close of one trading day and the open of the next. And there are institutional players that can trade after hours. Many ordinary people cannot. So what happens in between the previous day's close and the next day's open is that there could be a huge gap in the price either way. But uh, I was very conservative when I traded on the stock market. So uh, I would always set stop loss orders whenever the price of uh, a security went below a certain threshold i would cut my losses and i would have them in place automatically however the problem was if there was a gap between the previous day's close and the next day's open and there was a plummet of the price the stop loss order is absolutely useless. So that's one reason why ordinary people get hurt and institutions do not. Another reason is that the stock market prices do not often reflect fundamentals and they do not often correlate with actual events. There are multiple layers of expectations built into the price. So for instance, I was following the stock of Ford uh, during the last quarter of 2006. And I wasn't actually invested in Ford, but I thought, okay, I should be able to really predict the movement of this stock's price very well because Ford was doing very poorly at the time and it was about to release its worst uh, quarter of earnings results ever, essentially. And it did. However, when it did so, the price actually went up. And the reason why the price went up was because many analysts expected the results to be even worse than they actually were. That expectation had already been built into the market price at the time. So those results actually exceeded expectations and the price increased. Uh, and this aligns with the efficient market hypothesis. It's a disputed hypothesis but it essentially says uh, stock prices have pretty much all publicly available information built into them already. So just because you think, well, a company's prospects are good uh, or a company's prospects are bad, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make money uh, betting in that direction because most likely if that information is readily available to other people, uh, the adjustment to the price has been made and with algorithmic trading would be made extremely quickly, much faster than a human being can yeah. react. And well, then that, that's a, you know, one of the things that I've learned because I do, I do trade uh, on the side a little bit, but like in, in options trading is you, you see this evidence in the Greeks is the Greeks do show you what the market expectation is of the underlying stock. 
and you can kind of you can see what what the market makers think is going to happen in the future based off of what they've set the Greeks to be. Yes. And then there is the role of inside information or inside decision-making, especially. And this was where I got burned back in 2006. So uh, I pursued what is uh, commonly termed the covered call strategy. So I would buy the security and I would simultaneously sell or write a slightly out of the money call option on it. And that would give me an immediate payoff, but it would also cap my upside at whatever the strike price of that call option would be. And I was fine with that. So unlike uh, the uh, our Wall Street bets crowd, I wasn't looking for huge upside. I was looking for a mild but generally reliable return. And uh, I would seek uh, options that were uh, priced as high as possible so that I could sell the call option for uh, a tidy sum. And then I would hold the security and I would think, okay, I had a stop loss order. So if it went down in price, uh, I would actually set the stop loss order so that I would still have a slight profit. So what got me were those gaps uh, between the close and the open when some decision would be made, some internal corporate decision. And there was a case uh, for a company where essentially uh, there was uh, some sort of restructuring of its shares that left most of the shareholders in a very disadvantageous state. And yeah. that obviously uh, led to a precipitous decline in the share price during that after hours period. So my stop loss order was useless. Uh, I lost about $1,000 on that trade. And I realized, well, those corporate insiders, they can make those kinds of deals at the expense of the owners of the company who are technically the shareholders. And I, as an ordinary individual, can't do anything. Uh, what, I can attend their board meeting a thousand plus miles away, and maybe I would have some small number of votes at that board meeting, but really most of the votes are controlled by proxy by uh, the people who are really invested in those decisions. So the ordinary people, the best they can hope to do is ride the waves created by the institutional investors. That was the conclusion that I came to. And furthermore, so much of the risk is macroeconomic and non-diversifiable. So I was really glad that I was out of the market in 2007, 2008. And uh, of course, there were some years when there was general stock market growth, but always with this undercurrent of extreme volatility and uncertainty. And the buildup of this macroeconomic bubble, which we are still in, by the way. So this GameStop situation, it reminds me of uh, Charles McKay's 1844 book, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. I recommend that everyone read it because it's a classic. It discusses a lot of historic bubbles, the Dutch tulip bubble, the Mississippi bubble in France in the 1710s, the South Sea Company bubble in England. And all of these have very common psychological tendencies. Of course, they build on themselves. And there's this idea that somehow a departure of the stock price from the fundamentals can be sustainable. 
and it never is. The bubble always uh, collapses and the people who are caught holding the bag, the people who don't sell quickly enough uh, are the ones who are ruined. So uh, I think a lot of people participate in these bubbles because they think they can get out quickly enough. But when they don't, uh, of course, uh, those tend to be the people with less experience. Those tend to be the people who just caught the hype too late. Uh, probably the people who orchestrated the whole thing, uh, they get out with some handsome profits. Yeah. Uh, the GameStop situation is uh, additionally complicated by this whole problem with the short sellers. And I dislike uh, institutional short sellers myself. Uh, they have often spread malicious and false information about the companies uh, whose stock prices uh, they wanted to induce to decline. And one just has to look at the Tesla short sellers to see prime examples of that. But fortunately, Tesla has a sufficiently charismatic CEO in the form of Elon Musk, who is able to essentially withstand these attacks and continue to deliver on the company's product. But not every company is in that position. So it's possible from a fundamental perspective that GameStop was undervalued and that other stocks were undervalued. However, there is no conceivable reality in which uh, a rise of the price of GameStop into the hundreds of dollars per share would reflect any sort of fundamental valuation. And I understand the people who said, well, okay, uh, we'll do the short squeeze and uh, these institutional short sellers will be out of the picture and perhaps the equilibrium price level of that stock will be higher. Maybe it should be higher. Maybe it should be twice as high as where the institutional short sellers had left it. Uh, I obviously can't tell you what the exact equilibrium price level is, but it's definitely not what we're observing in the market right now. And that means that despite whatever good intentions there might be, some people within that grassroots community are going to be left holding the proverbial bag. Yeah. And if they're smart, if I were in their position, which clearly uh, I am not, uh, but I would suggest taking the very sizable and respectable profits that they've accumulated and contenting themselves with those because uh, from the standpoint of proving a point, they've proven the point. But from the standpoint of getting out unscathed, the action that I've recommended is what they need to do right now. Yeah. You know, Mark Skousen, uh, the, the Austrian school investor, has this analogy that he teaches in his classes, which is um, a lot of what's going on in the stock market is if you light a match and you pass the match, you're going to keep passing the match as fast as you can, and eventually it burns someone. Um, and that's kind of how the stock market works, is that is that somebody's going to get burned. May not be you, uh, but somebody's going to be eventually. And, that, and that's just sort of the roulette wheel of the modern economy, is that like it is, this is not a market reflective of the um, value of the companies on the market. And it's, and it's not going to be anytime soon. And, um, 
if you want to, and, and sort of to your point that you were talking about earlier, where you've been out into the market since 2007, there's been a lot of, of great places to make value. And that's kind of Mark Skousen, who's, who's sort of in, he's the founder of Freedom Fest. He's kind of in the same milieu as Bob Murphy and Tom Woods and those types of people. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money to be made in the meantime, but how do you tell when to get out? That's kind of the, that's sort of the, you know, do you stay out or do you do you stay in to make the money and then try to get out at the top? That's a very hard, difficult thing to decide. Well, we yes. have a comment from a Byzantium Archon. It is literally that scene from Batman where the Joker burns all the money he's stolen. <laughs> so I think at a sort, certain point for them, it is a little bit more about that. By the way, uh, J uh, Jake, your dog's yeah. eyes look like ears. They look like ears that are standing up like horns kind of. I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting. She's like she's the most she's the most she's the most Asian looking of my dogs. True, true. Yeah, well they are kind of, they are a Japanese breed, so that makes sense. That's true. They, way, that's true. We, uh, okay, we have three comments in a row here. Two of them say the exact same thing. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I want to do something but special because we, have we, Re, lo we love our Remus, chat. Is Remus in Kashiwagi with us? Or? Yes. Well, yeah, I know Kashiwagi. Yeah, no, is, I was. And Remus, I is. was listening to uh, to Gennady's. Uh, but before Genadi, before we, we get to Remus and Kashiwagi, um, Janati, I would love for you to do the honor of reading, and this is the exact same thing for $5 from Jacob Stern and from Peter Faust. They both put $5 in, $5 Canadian from Peter, $5 USD from Jacob, and they have one comment that they would like you to read, Janati. So what I, what I would like to do is post <laughs> it in the chat. I'm going to post it in the chat right now so that everybody sees it. So, Janati, can you open up the Zoom chat and say the comment? It's very short. Is it Nya? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Well, so, there we go. Oh Thank you. That God. was Nya. I said the second now, so that is two Nyas fulfilled. Please comment on this video because we need to get the algorithm up. I appreciate all of you. So now, Kashiwagi, you were here this entire time. Your sound was not working, and now it is. I would love for uh, you to uh, have uh, some input on what Janati and everybody else was talking about. Oh, here we go. Well, well, I've been away. I've been away from the keyboard for a little while. But are you guys able to hear me? Is my uh, is my thing coming through smoothly? Yes. The vocoder yes. is very. It's Paul Masvidal from Cynic Vocoder. So. <laughs> great, great. Oh man, where to begin? I, I haven't been listening to the stream the whole time. I was away. I was doing things i was busy so i don't know how much of this you've covered but i know uh at least for the first while what while i was sitting around a lot of the topic was kind of coming at things from more of a financial or economic angle kind of looking at things in a very sort of hard-nosed economic way and and that that is kind of how we were doing things more recently and i think that perhaps insufficient attention is being paid to the fundamentally artistic quality of what we've been seeing over the past week. I think that this is something that we're witnessing right now. And, and the reason why I've been glued to my computer for so much of this week is that what we're witnessing here is one of the most important pieces of performance art so far in the, yeah. in the yeah. perhaps yeah. in the 21st century, to be honest. I mean, this is, you know, we wondered what would happen in sort of a, in sort of a post-Trump world, right? Where, where the, the presidency of Donald Trump was sort of a piece of great performance art in some sense, a great sending up of, of, of the system and its absurdities. And this is kind of the first big piece of post-Trump performance art that kind of continues and builds upon that legacy, I think. You know, my, my, um, 
my name, the name I use on Twitter comes from a novel by uh, Yukio Mishima. And one of, one of Mishima's ideas and one that he played out in his life was the idea of turning your life into a piece of art. And the way that Mishima, of course, went out was in this kind of Quixotic attempted revolution, attempted restoration of the Japanese empire by sort of seizing a military base and delivering a speech to the troops, calling upon them to launch a coup and restore the Japanese emperor. And this was something which from the beginning, he of course kind of knew was doomed and he located the beauty of it in, in the doomed nature of it. And this is a theme that you see play out in many of his books, the sense that kind of the ultimate perfection artistic transcendence can be kind of achieved only in death as this sort of event horizon that that life is is somehow everything in life is doomed to be imperfect is doomed to rot as soon as it is realized and so always be sort of unsatisfying and that only in only in death is the ultimate true transcendent nature of art available and i think that whoever is left holding the bag at the end and we can hope that many of them will be the people who sort of made a lot to begin with and not people who lost a lot from when they got in. But a lot of what people are doing right now is not coming from a perspective of, I want to make money. It's coming from a perspective of, I want to send a message and I'm willing to kind of take on personal risk in order to do that. And the beauty comes from that kind of risk, right? Like the people are really, it's so rare that we get to see kind of true courage in this world. We're so restricted from, acts of physical courage and so on, that it's relieving whenever we see someone like Sky King, for instance, who actually kind of does something which has real consequences. And that's inspiring and that lasts, it lives on in, in the mimetic imagination. And what we're seeing now is analogous to that, not in the sense of people risking their lives, but in the sense of them sort of putting a lot of their livelihoods on the line in order to send this message. And I just think that's, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's an inspiring thing. I think it's incredible. I think that, um, I think that we're seeing a lot of people go mask off now. I think you see people like Elizabeth Warren, you see people like a lot of online socialists, you know, quote unquote, getting very mad. This was something that I was seeing today on Twitter, engaging with a lot of online quote unquote socialists who are really mad that, you know, oh, this is a, this is a, uh, a bourgeois revolution. This isn't the real revolution. You know, BLM <laughs> is the real revolution. Why aren't you listening to me? This kind of fake bullshit thing where they just want their little activist game to be funded. And whenever people sort of do the DIY thing to actually show, show people what's what and make a little for themselves, potentially, that pisses them off. Being a revolutionary is being a part of a think tank, uh, Kashiwagi. Don't you know that? Exactly. Um, exactly. Being part of the Brookings right. Institute. We need, we need more... We need more funding from the hedge funds. You know, if they bankrupt the hedge funds, who's going to who's going to ask for a turf for activism? Who's going to ask for a turf for the revolution? Mm. Um, and I think a, that that is that is amazing. Like that is but, forcing people to go mask off like this. I, I, I think that's what you it's were great, saying. Oh, sorry, wait, Jake, oh. and then Joe. Oh, I, I was going to say that's a, that's a really really great point because. Uh, in in the concept of like real art, uh, if there's no risk, then well, I, I wouldn't even say it's in, it's it's in the concept of real art, but in the in the concept of real protest, if there's no risk, then there's no protest. So like you know, in, in this case, like you don't you don't remember artists that are that risk nothing. 
So well, I yeah. don't think the purpose of art is to risk. It's to create something beautiful or profound or interesting or inspiring. It's inherently yeah, the, a the risk, risk is a because you're, of... you're, you're, you're exposing your soul to people who don't know you and don't care. Yeah, look that's, at my dreams. The, I'm exposing my dreams to people no, but every time I write on both. the yeah, At least if you're being an authentic artist, in my opinion. Yeah, but art is both what Gennady said and this sense of risk taking, even just bearing what is inside it, like creating a world onto itself is um, a form of existential insecurity in some ways. But what Kashwagi said is uh, uh, eer eerily similar about uh, ma the mass nature of a disruptive performance art in the post-Trump era. It's kind of like my essay in Ending Bigly by Bill Marchant that you should go and buy along with such great artists and authors as uh, Mencius Mold Bugman, uh, Bronze Age Pervert, Borzy, um, let's see who else, uh, just uh, Nick, Nick B. Steves. Who are you forgetting, Gio? Oh, think sorry. It's a shameless plug. Shameless plug. neglected to mention. Yeah, who... Oh, who else? Who did I neglect to mention? Um, you, forgot, you forgot to mention me. That's right! Holy sh... I, for, I forgot. That's right. You were also in Ending Bigly. Yeah, Simulacra and Simulation by Kashiwagi. Uh, Landshark. Um, who else is in here? Jim Bonner. Bricklayer Supreme. Uh, Cedar Supremacist. Uh, Spiritual Incel. That was a good one. Uh, yeah, so go and buy... Uh, by edited by Bill Marchant, Terrorhouse Magazine, ending bigly, uh, the the many feints of Donald Trump. Every all the proceeds go to a free speech charity. So, uh, yes, I forgot to mention that Kashwagi is also in ending bigly. But yes, I 100% fully agree with that take. And uh, it's just to me, I, I see the potential of a um, subversive relational aesthetics, the way that Occupy Wall Street was at least in part, that was the promise of it. If you read people like David Graeber before they got like totally washed out by the own minutia of leftist politics that was like choking them out like a Bravo choke across their neck uh, with all the bullshit. Oh, by the way, Gio, what do you think of my background? Oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's a horrible, that's a terrifying creature, man. That thing scares me. That was like, uh, like you know that one where uh, Foghorn Leghorn, like he's like, I'm, I'm glad I count my feathers. <laughs> so did you? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So, Sonic's become such that, a that, fucking that joke to people a, now. You know, it's just like all, all about autism and, you know. What well, you know. Trump has, has made drawings that are kind of similar to that. Um, so, that's you know, right. Yeah, Baron Trump. He's made drawings like Gio, that. Gio, have you have you ever talked to Baron Trump's drawings? I, I I wanted I totally forgot about them. I have to. I feel like this is we can almost. I don't know. I don't want to hijack things if there's like another topic. But no, this is free for no, all. Well, no, no. I, th I think I think I think this sort of. I think the whole thing kind of plays into this topic, which is that so the the establishment or the cathedral, as a lot of people like to say it, are sort of uh, saying that this this uh gamestop this amc this this whole attack on the quote-unquote establishment is um trumpism it's it's uh it's it's an attract it, it's because well and they don't have any other tools anymore like they they've spent their load so all they can say is that it's trumpism yeah. and Speaking i think that spending your load shot. by the way 
Sp- speaking of spending your load, check out this uh, beautiful picture by Baron Trump over here with this bear. I, this is this... amazing. I could do a whole like th- this is this... pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> this reminds well, the anime me girl, of a... she. Well, the yeah, anime which... girl reminds me of uh, Chrono Trigger. Yeah, she reminds me of the cave girl from Chrono Trigger. But Gio, yeah, what does she remind you of? This is an actual picture by Baron Trump. Yeah. Wait, what country? What did you say? In uh, in Bap's story and ending bigly, Baron Trump's drawings get a get a shout out. Oh, wow. well, so, but that but I think that's kind of the, um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty hardcore libertarian anarchist and like I, I'm not really a fan of Trump, but I do think that the Trump era has signaled the uh, red pilling, to use that term or whatever, the the people being woken to the absurdity of the establishment where they're just, I, I, and I think that this kind of things like this (laughs) are, are sort of showing where people are just like, this stuff is bullshit. Like, let's just do what we want to do. And, and I think that's, and I think that's what this GameStop thing is kind of showing is where the people who traditionally for the last hundred years have been able to go like, yeah, well, we're just going to like fuck you over have decided that, the people who are being fucked over just decided like, no, you, we have the internet now and you can try to silence us, but it's not going to work. And that's the future. Well, I would sound a note of well, caution here. And it's not that I'm sympathetic to the hedge funds, but rather I do see a certain underlying futility because of the platform risk. The fact is Robin Hood even Robinhood, which ostensibly was designed on the principle of democratizing investment, shut down its platform. And it may or may not have been nefarious, by the way. The CEO of Robinhood may have been correct that uh, they had certain deposit requirements they needed to adhere to. And in the face of this volatility, they just couldn't sustain it. But Robinhood is embedded in a broader system of financial regulation, which is specifically intended to protect the established players. Yeah, so and I, I think that's that, a great point. I think you're I think you're absolutely right is that is that especially and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast before you joined is that like if you start tracing back the people who are now coming in and saying, uh, you know, boo about it is that they're all paid off by these institutional lenders and this institutional institutional hedge funds who have ultimately set the rules up. Yes, indeed. And this platform risk extends beyond the financial platforms as well. Think Mm -hmm. about Facebook and the censorship that Facebook has engaged in. So speaking of art and risk, Facebook censored a piano composition of mine just recently. It was a draft composition that I was submitting Uh, to a contest and I was just sharing the draft with friends only, a Google Drive file, essentially asking them to listen and provide their feedback, any thoughts of uh, aspects that would need improvement. And this is not a composition that is even dissonant. (laughs) So uh, consider that for a moment. And the fact that Facebook took down Uh, one of the links that I shared to that composition. And when I appealed the uh, essentially shadow banning of that post, 
I got an automated message saying, well, normally uh, we would review your appeal and make a determination, but we're short on reviewers right now because of the pandemic. So we're sorry for any inconvenience this has caused you. So essentially they said, well, you were algorithmically censored. You had the option to appeal, but we automatically rejected your appeal. So there's no recourse. And why in the world though, were these algorithms which existed before now set to censor classical piano compositions it was because the level of sensitivity was ratcheted up to such an extent after the events earlier this month that they decided as an institution that having a lot of false positives would be more to their advantage or less harmful to their standing with various influential players than having a lot of uh, what some would consider objectionable content fall through the cracks. So they're okay now with arbitrarily banning people, arbitrarily removing content, even content that has nothing to do with politics, uh, not even to mention Trump well, or there, QAnon. Or there the was Lincoln Capital Cannon, Rock. our uh, mutual yes. friend Lincoln Cannon. Yes, and Lincoln Cannon posted a link to an article by Ben Gertzel on decentralized social media. And now every time I uh, write the term decentralized social media on Facebook, I will use asterisks to maybe avoid some algorithmic dete uh, detection because Facebook just outright deleted Lincoln Cannon's account after he posted the link to the article on decentralized social media. And when he tried to appeal, he was given the automated message saying, sorry, this decision can't be reversed because somehow your account was going against our community standards. Facebook mm -hmm. never told him what community standards mm -hmm. he violated. And then he wrote an article about it. He publicized the fact that he was algorithmically censored. He offered a few hypotheses as to why this might have been essentially the system trying to protect itself against competition from decentralized social media. And then mysteriously, a few days later, his account got restored. So I think a human ultimately did enter the loop mm. and did see that this was unjust. They do theoretically have the capability to override the algorithms. It's just they only pay attention when somebody makes a public fuss about it. So the squeaky wheel. Well, this this is pure anarcho-tyranny, really. I mean, look at the SEC saying they're going to force um, these companies like Robinhood to like quote unquote punish uh what did they say punish any like funny behavior when it's like these hedge fund people have been doing things like it's like the argument that um the technicality that they weren't doing like naked short selling which is illegal it doesn't matter because the shit that they were doing might as well have been illegal like in a just world like shorting something below a hundred percent of the margin is like I don't know why that isn't illegal. It's like they'll selectively punish people. Like I know defending him in Canada is sort of like a taboo thing, but like Conrad Black, for example, when he got persecuted, he was like persecuted on a law that didn't exist before. They literally made a law just to go after him because he was ahead of like a conservative media empire. So like Hollinger's, well, so stuff like that. Well, and people I, are familiar. I, 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 I Sam, like not not to play devil's advocate exactly, but like I don't have a problem with people doing um, 
I don't have a problem with people shorting things more than 100%. Like what, whatever they want to do is fine. My problem is when the government steps in and helps or when, when mm. a series of government-backed institutions step in and make it so that the people who want to uh, fight against is not exactly the right word, but, but kind, of, kind of going back to the, the sort of the Facebook example of this is that what I see as a boon in this whole situation, the Facebook stuff that's going on, the, the canceling a parlor, this whole uh, restricting your trading or whatever is to, to use the kind of, uh, I, I hate using this because it's, it's so overused, but it is the red pilling of the internet is that where people are realizing and you can't unrealize it you are fucked and people are not on your side. The only person on your side is you. Stop playing into this crap. And and that is, and people are, as they get canceled, one after the other, one after the other, they get deplatformed from YouTube. They get deplatformed from Facebook. They get deplatformed from Twitter. They move over to Parler. Parler gets shut down, so on and so forth. People are realizing that this is not on their side at all. We need to come up with new stuff that is totally separate. And we are seeing that it's going, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a hard process. And we are seeing that very clearly now, but um, it's going to be a long and hard process, but whether it be crypto or something else is we do see the crypto market starting to step up. Uh, step up and set up side futures uh, exchanges. We're seeing that uh, other types of blockchain oriented social media networks are setting up. And we're also setting, seeing things like Mastodon where you run your own server and just link it with other people. So I, I think people are starting to wake up to this sort of uh, this world of centralization, which we've been kind of going through this kind of more centralization uh, milieu for the last uh, you know, 40, 50 years, really. And I think they're kind of starting to see that the centralization, the centralization does not work for you and me. It works for the uh, conglomerates. It's, and, you know, kind of to use one of the things that like uh, leftists used to say a lot is that, and, and I think it's true to some degree, is that the Nazis lost World War II, but the fascists won. And I think that that is true to some degree is that, is that we, we are now realizing that, oh, I see that the free market didn't win World War II. Fascist economies won. And then, and same thing with the Cold War is that the socialists didn't lose, this, the fascists won. We didn't, we didn't enter into a free market. We entered into a corporate oligarchy and this is what is changing now. And I think that this is just one more step toward getting rid of that. And, and, and I think that that's what we're going to be seeing. It's not going to be pain-free, but I think we're going to see that over the next several years. But, uh, but this is also why I really want to have, just like we were having in the beginning of this conversation, like I am very, very happy that we got to have people on, not just in this program, but in the programs before, that disagreed with uh, the uh, consensus that was uh, coming to fruition here. And I think that's incredibly important. We had Christopher today. So, Janati, you are uh, you are here a little bit later, but in the beginning we had uh, on uh, Christopher, who is uh, Christopher Roark, and he is an assistant uh, teaching professor at the University of Chicago. 
but he is a uh from what i understand he is an admirer of the um of central banking and he does not see a problem with that so this is a conversation that i offered to him and he accepted so i look forward to having a future btr stream where we do talk about like central banks the federal reserve all this stuff and try to link people together who maybe let's say maybe they're out of the loop but maybe uh we're out of the loop you know like maybe they can bring in some arguments to counteract a lot of things that you're talking about jake but these conversations are not really being had like we we went close to that conversation right at the end when he already had to go but you know like how often is it that people who are on different sides of this issue get to talk about something like that because it is on a lot of people's minds i want to bring in people here from the brookings institute from, oh god you know i want to go no no but who i am going to have here by the way soon i think is i may have one of the reporters for from the epoch times i know geo you were mentioning <laughs> the epoch so i, I want to have a program about china and i don't I'll know logo guys. on at the same yeah, time yeah i have logo on yeah <laughs> no, when the sure, guy comes on that would be hilarious <laughs> yes so well g girl my actually, buddy trash but, yeah i have my an artist friend of mine trash lich he is a han supremacist he is uh, actually from china so uh, maybe we could have him on. Sure. But, and um, how about we should get Xi Jinping on? Oh, yeah, there you go. That'd yeah, be he's sick. Gonna come on. Um, yeah, I think that'll be a lot of fun. No, but seriously, we also have to get on people who are like, I wouldn't say pro-China, but would not be as anti-China as well, the some Epoch of the Times. third positionist people are kind of like... No, no, no I, I mean, yes, no, but I don't mean that. I mean more like uh, establishmentarians. I mean, you know Oh, what I you mean, mean like, like legit, like... Yeah, definitely, have... definitely. You, you, well, legit. Yes. I could like go. To... <laughs> Shout out to the Dow. I could go to like any Canadian university and find the Chinese spies that uh. Go... Exactly. <laughs> bring them in. <laughs> bring them in. <laughs> but will they have a... no? But will they have a conversation at the same time with somebody from the Epoch Times? Oh That's God, no! They're just gonna no. scream China number one at them and other shit like that. It's just gonna be camp. <laughs> so I would be happy to discuss the Federal Reserve with any set of respectful panelists and i myself am a skeptic of the federal reserve i'm generally anti-inflationist uh, i believe in the importance of a stable general price level throughout the economy with perhaps some mild deflation built in as existed in the 19th century during the era of the gold standard because that incentivizes savings and that incentivizes planning for the future and gives people an understanding that they get to keep the fruits of their labor. And if they are prudent about it, then they will grow in wealth and comfort and standard of living. So, you mean to tell me a guy with a graduate degree from Hillsdale College is anti-inflationist? No way. I've never, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard about that. <laughs> but uh, no, but to add to, to your point, Janati, and to also uh, Jake, I don't know. Have you guys been following what's happening with Ricky Vaughn? That's who I Shit's wanted you to up. talk about. That That's the guy. Oh, remember? Ricky Vaughn. Shit's yes. Yeah, up, that's man. who I meant. Yes. Yeah. Pour Boy. one out for a real one minute. Yeah, Keshwagi, maybe you can chime in on this. Keshwagi, are you there? How familiar people are with him anymore. I mean, he was a big fixture of the online ride back in uh, 2016. Uh, he was 
very, he was a really large account. I mean, he got up into the high 10,000s, basically, by which, you know, like 75, 80,000 followers or something. Mm-hmm. And um, he was getting retweeted Trump Jr. He was getting retweeted by Coulter. Uh, there was some kind of sort of election influence chart that was put together, I think, by the MIT Media Lab, maybe, was it, if I recall. And yeah. Ricky Vaughn was around the 100th most important influencer of the election, according to them, which is, you know, it's not the top 10. Is this the bubbles? Anything, but it's, it's higher. It's higher than a lot of people. It's higher than, um, you know, it's higher than someone like Rudy Giuliani was, right? Like he was, he was more yeah. significant than a lot of pop, uh, politicians and mainstream journalists. His Twitter account was way more influential than a lot of, you know, like the NBC News Twitter account, for instance, came in a lot lower than Ricky Vaughn's. And he got doxxed by some uh, sort of real, real authentic sort of candidate um, back in I a real say, authentic what? Well, he was Neo-Nazi. he Paul was doxxed by right? Paul. You guys know Paul Nealon? Yes, yeah. he was doxxed by Paul Nealon, who was a politician. Paul Nealon was basically a he was a boomer who ran for Congress for some primary. Paul Ryan, I believe, and he's one. Of you know, they take a few little red pills in their minds, and this guy just went off the deep end. It, full, they OD on red Nazi. pills, yeah. yeah. By, by the way, your audio is a little bit weird right now, Kashiwagi. It's kind of going, um, oh, okay. I know, it's glitching out a little bit. Very robotic. Yeah. I can understand what he's saying, but it's just, I have to strain, basically. I have to yeah, translate sure the robot voice. something you can do with the machine, like, uh, uh, maybe hit it with a fork or something. They're attacking like that. him. Yeah, they don't want they don't want this information to go out. Exactly. They don't don't want these. They don't want these to drop. Is is it better for you? Exactly the same. You sound like a transformer. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. I'm being serious. It's way. It's very difficult to understand what you're saying if you're not paying close attention. It's 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 like and it's some better. words are, I, some words are lost. I think yeah. he's better now, yeah. But you know what you Wait. should pay attention to? You should pay attention to the subscribe button and click subscribe and mm. subscribe to our show. Why are you not subscribing? Subscribe right now. Do it. Do it. Okay. Do it. Okay, go but on. But anyway, so Keshwagi, you good now? Your vocoder is good or give it to me. Let me hear it. I'm, I'm not sure. Is it is it better for you now? Oh yeah, way better, better, way better. Much yeah. better. Much better. Okay. Well, yeah, in any case, so, so Neilan, Neilan docks him, and um, honestly, you know, he, he's turned out to be a pretty normal guy. guy. I mean, he, he, he's a normal guy, yeah, like he, he attended a pretty good school, and dude, he, he was holding down a real job and stuff, um, but he kind of went off the map after that. Uh, I hadn't heard anything about him until, until this past week, when it came out that the... Um, filing a criminal lawsuit against him and I think we were in DM groups with him for um, I forget what the exact lies but the idea is that it's it's basically an election interference law the idea is that uh, it's the same statute that basically prevents you from uh, threatening people for instance to to not vote for someone or to vote for someone it's an election yeah. problem and he was basically so, spreading yeah, he was right. the basis of the complaints was memes that people made, which was like, you know, there were various ones. One of them was like telling people they could vote by text, 
for instance. Like these are kind of the kind of 4chan jokes that you'll see where people are like, vote by text uh, or, you know, come back to the poll day, something like that. Um, memes that, you know, the, the idea was, the joke was that they, they were going to, you know, target this various, various communities, various democratic I don't know, to be polite about it. Hashtag um, our daughters. But, you know, this, these, these aren't crazy memes. I mean, you can see memes from, from this cycle where you have, have comedians, comedians, quote-unquote comedians, right? Like, like Sam Hyde and... Telling MAGA supporters, you know, go out and vote on Thursday. Well, I mean, I there was this one, um, there was this one that came out this. I'm gonna see if I can find it while I'm talking. Where it was, it was a liberal comedian Twitter video. People, you know, MAGA supporters to to go out and vote after Tuesday, and this is like, you know, it's a joke. But Ricky's facing ten years in prison for this, and you know, even if he doesn't actually get convicted. It's the precedent. This thing will fuck your life up, you know. Yeah. You can you you have your life. For, um. Yeah. Miss Miss Christina Wong. If you want to see something comparable, if you go on Twitter to um, the account at Miss Christina Wong. That's Christina with a K. Blue check comedian telling Trump supporters to vote by text, right? Bring a MAGA hat and that stuff. And it's like, this is the same thing. You know, it, but going to get prosecuted. And the level of, like, like I was going in my video that I posted yesterday, I was going through it, the connection between what's happening with Game GameStop Gate and Ricky Vaughn. Like, these ghouls that are, like, saying that he deserved it and I hope he gets 10 years and all this stuff, it's really disheartening. But like you're saying, there's counterexamples. Now, I, no, I, I'm not American, so do you Americans have a set day where you vote? Like, is it a set day? Well, we have early voting no, I mean, for yes. a couple of weeks before the official election day. Right. And yes, a lot of people vote on the official election day. But honestly, I don't see the point of doing that because the official election day is a Tuesday. Most people have to take time off from work and uh, stand in huge Oh, line. so it is a Tuesday. It's very, yeah, it's, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's traditionally, traditionally it's vote, Tuesday. You can, you, you can mail, do it early. Yeah, you can do There's earlier absentee do if you have an excuse, but like the traditional wow. voting day is in person on Tuesday. Yeah. Canada like, that just doesn't make sense to me to make it on a weekday when it's not convenient for most people. Yeah. And yeah, I've always taken advantage of weekend early voting. So I would come in on a Saturday uh, early afternoon generally mm. to vote in person before in Canada, the pandemic. We, we and vote like because the government declares an election, like in the parliamentary system. So we we don't have like a set like day, like 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 Tuesday is the day that you have to like. So I get this. It's, so yeah, it's typically in November. It's Tuesday in November for the presidential election and for the midterms typically. Yes, I, I'm of the opinion that it should be as inconvenient as possible, and because it's a, it's I, a uh, threshold correct. thing. Yeah. It's honestly a feature. Yeah, it's a feature because, yeah, people should, it should be difficult to vote. And because people who are lazy should not vote. But then well, they find a matter of being lazy. And... It's a matter of having a day job. And if yeah. you disenfranchise the people with day jobs who can't effectively take leave, 
uh, that's a problem. It skews but, the voting population towards senior citizens and creates a gerontocracy. It actually skews it to people who are lazy and who are who are at home during that time. I, I, yeah, yeah that's I don't agree argument. because yeah. the thing is, is that is that uh, you can You're you can vote. You have to go in early or you have to go in late. But but it it skews it in, and, and statistically it skews it toward conservatives, which you know. Well, you know, my bias on the, on, on the counter or whatever is that if there is a, if it if it's on a day that people work it does skew it toward uh conservatives when you add in mail-in voting or weekend voting or early voting it skews it toward liberals and mm -hmm. it's because liberals tend to be more lazy if they are sent something or if they're allowed to do it through a larger amount of time they will vote whereas conservatives will make it a point to vote they will either take time off of work or they will take they will go in early or they will go in late do you think online voting will ever be a thing or that's just a re totally ridiculous? I think that is the wave of the future. Uh, yeah, well, I know I you think that, that Janine. Yes. In that's, my view, that's, that's necessary because I think it will be a thing insofar as it's much easier to falsify. Hmm. I mean, no, you can my, have preference reliable online voting via blockchain. You yeah, have blockchain voting is one transactions okay. via the but blockchain that are associated with a particular we have a Remus. Yes, Remus. Yeah, just just give me just give me one, Janati. I understand what you're saying, but but I think I, I don't know how you can assume that the thing that is the best thing for the people is going to happen. Like, assume that the thing that's going to happen is the worst version of what you want. Like, it's, <laughs> they're going to take yeah. your dreams <laughs> and shit on them in front of you. And that's what they do. That's what they do Unfortunately, always. That's true. That is their job, in a way. They, th that's what they did yesterday, very nonchalantly for the most, most people, because most people don't give a fuck about this shit. But some people were highly invested in what happened yesterday. It was a dream for them. Literally, they were getting to be David versus Goliath. And what happened in this version of David and Goliath, Janati? Well, I would say the David was murdered. David was <laughs> fucked up. Real bad. The worst Real thing bad. that you mentioned is the slaughter. status quo system in terms of voting because what can happen with paper ballots? I mean, paper ballots can get yeah, you know, uh, yeah, they, lost they get in transition. They can get destroyed. You're right. You're they right. can get right. uh, falsified very easily. And it, it is extremely difficult to actually verify what happened. Uh, I mean, I was born in Belarus and Belarus, of course, exactly. is notorious for election fraud and election manipulation. And there Good were literally cases of election officials taking ballots uh, outside the building, even sometimes climbing out the window with a ballot. Yeah, Italy is and, the same, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, taking them who knows where, and then just Gennady, making up numbers. Yeah. Gennady, do, they because, pull, do they ever pull the thing in uh, Belarus where where they shut the, shut the countdown in the middle of the night and then they turn it on in the morning and there's, there's more votes for the candidate who's supposed to win? Does that ever happen in Belarus? <laughs> Now, for the YouTube algorithm in Belarus, not in America. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I am not aware. I'm not aware of that specific election manipulation in Belarus. But I want to point out, Belarus is a lot more low tech than the United States yeah. when it well, comes to I, election I, systems. I, I think, and the manipulation I mean, there is rampant. Well, well blockchain yeah. voting is an interesting idea if they can find a way to ensure that people won't be able to use supercomputers in the future to basically like 
guess the the numbers in each sequence. If I, I know, well, I'm I mean, totally not when it comes to it, but not not to be the, to the token, not to be the token anarchist in this, but like I don't give a shit about blockchain voting. My rights are not up for debate. I don't care what other people vote. What I care about is what is my right, and if you oppose it, you're my enemy. I don't I don't give a shit how many people vote against me. Like if if you have got a problem with my property rights and the the base rights from and, and this will be from a libertarian perspective, but from the, the base rights of the NAP and my base property rights, I don't give a shit about voting. That's why I'm in favor of restricting voting as much as possible. I don't want I don't want poor people voting. They have less property. When when I, I want people with my level of property voting. That oh. that's how that's who I want voting. Is yeah, but then the argument is that poor people. Like I agree that nobody should vote as a monarchist, yes. but I okay. but I think this, that this only works if we can come and kill you without any uh 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 like but, problem. Like the, you can't get arrested for it. That's the only. So that, that's the that, only that, way. That's that's the answer, but that's what happens then, now. Because what, ballots what are a substitute for house. bullets, and I don't like I don't yeah. like untrammeled majority rule either. But there exactly. are cases when it's an imperfect substitute for something a lot more heinous. This is why uh, democracy for that? all of its flaws was an improvement over the systems that came before. From the Hoppian anarchist perspective, which is what I take, is I am much more closely aligned to Geo. I would rather nobody vote. I would much yeah, rather based. there be, I would rather there be now, a monarch because at least I, I know what I'm getting. But I do think that at the local, like at local municipal levels or whatever you guys call it in America, uh, we have mm -hmm. like, um, we have, we have municipalities and bureaus and we, we don't call it bureaus. We call it, um, America calls it bureaus. We call it um, Royal, you know, the, ah, God, I can't believe it slips mine on the, on the small, I, on a small local base level voting does matter. I think. But even even yeah, on, you're, on, you're even on a local level, I would rather it be property owners. I, I the thing is, yeah, it, that is. If, I, I still want to make sure that people system, who, yeah. but I still want to make sure that people who are, let's say, on the uh, lower lower spectrum of uh, society in terms of economic wealth, that they would be able to, through their own, you know, th through their own cream rises to the type type of a thing, be able to rise up economically and that there wouldn't be anything hindering yeah. them from doing so. Like, so like for example, the, yeah. No, but the problem, the thing is like, when it comes to poverty in North America, the issue is that it's different than abject poverty in the third world. It's different than the poverty that, um, you know, my family members witness in Brazil where it's abject poverty, where if you did give them economic opportunities, they would. The problem is that the-, the You guys want to hear a story from the 80s, Brazil, the 80s, Geo super fast, that, that, that yeah, highlights go, go, this yeah. exact thing. Yeah. My dad was on a bus. He's 16 years old. He's on a bus. Okay. He got to Brazil a week before. This is real. A, the <laughs> week before. Okay. His family decided you have to go to Brazil because you're acting a fool. Okay. Our family's there. Go, go, go be normal. So he went there. He's on a bus. There's a bunch of street kids on the back of the bus. Okay. Like oh boy. Oh no. <laughs> this guy on the bus is yelling at them, talking a bunch of shit, yelling obscenities at them. The whole ride on the back, and these kids are just nah 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 doing their thing. Guy gets off the bus. Every single one of those kids got off the bus. A bunch of them had little shanks and stuff like that, and they just stabbed them to death. Yeah. And nobody did yeah. anything. 
Yeah, it's true. And nobody you can't anything. do anything. You look the other way, man. That's. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Those are. Well, why was it armed? Why did he have a gun? Does Brazil not allow people to have guns? They have gun restrictions. Yeah, but people get around gun restrictions. But it's also yeah, people get around them. But also, dude, if you don't have the money to buy a gun. Maybe yeah. don't you know, act a fool. Uh, uh, no, but my point being is that not not even a counterexample of this is that my grandfather came to the United States for one reason, one reason only, was he was a young Jewish boy in Austria. And when he went to the movies with his father, who was a rabbi, a bunch of Nazis came in, they started chopping people's heads off with with uh rapiers or not rapiers, but like those kind of curved swords. I don't know what you call them and sabers 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 so they started chopping and they came in and his and they hid they hid between the screen and the wall where the movie was projected and as soon as that happened his father said we're going to america so they left yeah but the thing is is that like violence is a part of nature but the the difference is that in a monarchy versus a democratically elected government which was what Hitler's Germany was, or I don't know about Brazil, but like in a lot of cases, these are democratically elected governments. The well, Brazil is debatable though. These are li- it's a little bit it's a little bit naive to call those democratically it, I agree was, with you that it's 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 complicated and different, but it, at least in okay, a monarchy, you. you know who the opponent is. Yeah, so exactly. where and is, you can in a monarchy go to their house and kill them like the French yes. did, and right? that's what they so, should do. Okay, but this is the pro- but this is the no. Problem. Actually, the French exactly. Revolution was terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, was, it, was it was it was terrible. fairly humane, but but uh, yes, it, it, was, it was it was it was bad, but. But my point, my original point was that okay. poverty is much more difficult in. Uh, North American or even well it depends on where in Europe but like let's say EU Europe poverty is much more complex I mean but unfortunately I think that in a lot of zones in North America you are starting to see conditions of abject poverty where people lose their jobs and it's not because of drugs or um growing up in multi-generational welfare state it's more so people losing their jobs and having to live in their car i think they're going to end up trying to combat that with ubi and i think we're mm-hmm. going to see ubi here in the next year though oh, um, especially if there's rolling lockdowns there there's gonna yeah no, there's no, no, I, I, I think that, i think that's a it's a feature it's not it's not a flaw it's a feature it's not Mm-hmm. If, if people are becoming unemployable by government edict, what alternative is there than to give them some means to support themselves? But, yeah, but, you're, no, you're okay. you're absolutely right. This is a it's a feature of the lockdowns. They want the UBI to go through because once more people are part of the dole, it's going to be more difficult to get rid of the ruling class. Wait a second. Are you telling me Andrew Yang wasn't real? he's running for uh he's running for mayor new, of new york, york yeah now, yeah but guys kashiwagi you wanted to ask uh Gennady something or before oh well i i've been interested in uh i i have been going to ask jake about his his opinions on but that was before he mentioned that that was his position so oh but maybe Gennady can hop in on that and see i want to see what he thinks yes so uh, I'll say a few comments on what has been discussed. First of all, 
monarchies are not inherently bad. You could have a good monarch. You could have an enlightened monarch who makes wiser decisions than a democratically elected leader. The advantage, if you have a good monarch, is that he didn't have to necessarily compete for power. You could have a person who happens to be good at the onset end up in a position where that person can do a lot of good. The problem is you're also not guaranteed that. And when a monarch is insane or when a monarch is power hungry, then you have a situation uh, which is highly arbitrary, volatile, and uh, definitely inhibits prosperity. And it has been mentioned, well, people can overthrow the monarch. That is essentially the worst possible situation that could happen to a society, a revolution or a civil war that destroys infrastructure, destroys civilian lives, impairs economic productivity for a generation, prevents any sorts of meaningful long-term investments or technological progress. So the democratic trade-off, small d, is that one gets to have somewhat uh, questionable characters much of the time, uh, people with sufficient ambition to actually get elected uh, to a nationwide office and who may engage in some dirty politics doing that. But you also have sufficiently frequent replacement of those people and a process that most people acknowledge to be legitimate that when that replacement happens, it happens peacefully. And most people who invest their wealth into longer term enterprises don't have to fear losing it every time there's a transition of power. Now, do I think the contemporary system can be improved? Absolutely, in numerous ways. But I don't think that uh, returning to a monarchy or imposing some sort of Hoppian style system would be an improvement. Uh, but I've written a lot in critique of those systems. Ultimately, they break down because there's a lack of an objective arbiter of otherwise intractable disputes. And there needs to be such a systemic resolution. Otherwise, we will get back to the Hobbesian war of all against all. This is why I'm not an anarcho-capitalist. I'm sympathetic to market-based elements of dispute resolution. I'm sympathetic to non-governmental institutions playing an important role, but there are often impasses and the impasses occur because of John Locke's observation that each man is a biased judge in his own case. So yes, of course, people who have a dispute or a disagreement with someone will think they're right and the other side is wrong and human emotions get in the way. And this is the transhumanist in me recognizing that we evolved to have emotions that are wildly maladaptive to our current environment. They may have been more adaptive to a tribal environment where people lived in small groups of 100 to 150 people and they were hunter-gatherers. But right now these emotions are completely out of sync with our globalized, highly technological society where much of the hatred, much of the lashing out, much of the irrational prejudice is just completely counterproductive and has no <laughs> redeeming features whatsoever. So how do you get past that? Uh, I think there is some form of, for lack of a better term, libertarian technocracy that may be possible, yeah. where in everyday life, you have your personal freedoms and they're not subject to majority vote. Uh, you have 
the right to own property. You have the right to uh, lead a lifestyle of your choosing, dress however you please, like whatever art you like, um, essentially have the friends you want to have, that kind of thing. In terms of the technical decisions needed to run everyday life, you generally don't elect people to do that. You have a meritocratic system, uh, not run by attorneys, run by engineers uh, and more technically minded, uh, hard sciences oriented people. And then you do have elections. You have officials who can set certain uh, policies within these parameters of respecting personal freedom. That's essentially what a constitutional republic was able to uh, establish. But those parameters are limited enough that they don't touch most people's ordinary lives. But in the process of voting, people feel like they're able to affect the leadership and the trappings of government so that you don't have a violent revolution every time you change the office holder. But the office holder doesn't delve into the details very much. So the office holder might appoint some leading technocrats, but most of the technocrats aren't affected by it either. Uh, so they just stay in place and do their own thing. And they may advise the office holders sometimes in prominent uh, public forums. But that way you have a system that has elements of democracy and voting. You have elements of decision-making by those who actually know the subject areas, and you have large elements of personal life and private property that are untouchable. Uh, so that would be a good hybrid system that kind of preserves all of the advantages and has none or few of the disadvantages. How do we get to that from the status quo? Now, that's an entire discussion uh, unto itself. Yeah. And I, th I think that you and I are probably closer than we are far apart on a, a lot of this stuff. I'm very much uninterested in what other people have to vote for. I'm mostly only interested in what I have to vote for. Um, and if, if uh, that whatever other people are doing is denying me my rights as a sovereign individual, I really don't care like if, if they're if they they're my enemy if they are denying me my sovereign individual rights but I, I think you're right I think technology is going to end up solving the situation I think it's going to be a distillation into the community where it's going to end up being small segments the same way as hunter gatherers did it I think this is what we are evolved for I think this is what ultimately our technology is going to bring us back to is that small groups of 100 people, maybe smaller, maybe a little bit larger, are going to end up being the arbitrators of the uh, decision-making for that group. And that on a larger scale, it's going to be inconsequential what the power is, is that ultimately you are going to be able to decide um, from a manufacturing perspective or a technological perspective, what it, whatever it is, is that you are going to be producing a certain amount on your level. And that once the the hierarchy that exists here. And from, from a Hoppian perspective, I think this is exactly what he's talking about is that you're going to get to a point where your community level is going to exclude everybody who is not part of your ideology. And you have some sort of ideological exchange, but for the most part, anybody who is uh, disagreeing with you is going to be excluded. And, and as they talked about in uh, Democracy, the God that failed, is that you have a hierarchy of types of society down to the anarcho-capitalist society. And one point on that is 
monarchy, which is kind of where I agreed with Geo. But I think that this te technocracy that you're talking about is sort of where it's going to kind of end up going, but it's going to be a technocracy in the sense that like the, the combined objective of people, whether they realize it or not, is going to be this uh, small groups of 100 to 200 people. It's just kind of, kind of, it's going to distill down to that. There's no reason why my, I, I know who my neighbor is, but there's no reason that my neighbor and I need to have the same government. We can have an arbitrator in between us if we have a dispute, but there, we almost never interact. So why are we both part of the municipality of Arlington? It's irrelevant. You know, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter where we are. What matters, and, and technology is going to provide this to us, is that in the past, when we were hunter-gatherers, the people that we were around were uh, people who we did rely, rely on uh, intrinsically. But in the future, it's going to be people that we re rely on um, ideologically. So there's no reason that if we have an ideological dispute that we should be part of the same government. We, we can be in separate governments, even though we live next door to each other. Well, you could certainly have a lot of governance mechanisms vary by subculture, which is essentially what you're describing. Yeah. The issue I have with that view is it assumes a monolithic alignment of all the members of that subculture on every aspect of life. What's more likely, I think, is that each person will be part of multiple subcultures specific to certain domains of life or activity. So you could have an ideological or political subculture, as you mentioned, but you could have another group of people, your running club, for example, that's completely different, or maybe partially overlapping. Maybe two people in your running club are also in your ideological subculture, but they don't have to be. And the running subculture doesn't focus on ideology at all, it focuses on running. You could have an art appreciation subculture, which is even different. And to some extent, People already have that flexibility with the internet in an age where most of our communications are remote. They do by default join subcultures and communities that pertain to their interests and everybody has a unique slightly overlapping set of subcultures. Some subcultures overlap more than others, mm -hmm. like libertarians and cryptocurrency enthusiasts uh, quite often overlap. And both of those, interestingly enough, often overlap with life extensionists. So a lot so, of cryptocurrency- But what would, happen, what would happen in the example of, let's say, furries who have an internet hug box? Oh, I just want to imagine what kind of a governmental system would the furries want to you know, be enacted upon them? Because I imagine that with this case like you would not want to be like pay paying taxes for you know the furries to have their i don't know uh in, in, like inflation inflation devices you know sent to their, their, so. their well, phone you know, that they make their fursuits out of the, the all of the government subsidized uh, so, yeah, yeah. well fursuits. see but see Literally, i think this is i think this is one of the beauties are. this is one of the beauties of the anarcho-capitalist society is that it's irrelevant what they want. What it, it what ends up being is a service-based government. If you want the services provided by this governance body, 
then you will subscribe to that. So if you are a furry and you want, uh, what was that, Remus? You were saying some sort of inflation device? No, I, no, I, I was, was the one that said inflation oh, device. Oh, put those words in my mouth, bro. <laughs> was it, oh, okay, so it was left. So what, <laughs> it, 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 seems, it seems that we can't escape the patchwork ideal no matter what. As society no, it, it, breaks down in, term, in terms of political tribalism, it, it does. Patchwork it, is the only solution. I and know. I think that I think that's one of the insights of of uh, of Hoppe, though, is that it does ultimately break down into a patchwork society. But what's what's a marvelous about the modern world is that your patchwork society doesn't have to be geographic. I don't give a shit if my neighbor is a furry. I happen to not be a furry, so I, I may uh, have. I other... mean, I care. I wouldn't want to live next to a furry. Uh, ima uh, imagine this I mean... on the coin. They have their own <laughs> currency with oh that on the coin. No, no, okay. <laughs> I have to actually go, Lev. I have to. I'm getting mighty hungry. So Falanola is decided to be going. I'm sorry. I, I mean, honestly, like I, I do have. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very community oriented guy. I went out when I, when I first bought this house. I went out and tried to meet my neighbors and stuff like that. None of them wanted to meet me because it's 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 2020 or I guess 2021 now. But like when I bought my house, it was 2020. Everybody's like, why are you knocking on my door? Are you a sex offender? Do you have to like let me know that you're a sex offender? And I was like, no, I just <laughs> I, I want to know my neighbors. I want to know who I live near. And they were like, oh, OK, that's weird. But like my neighbor on one side, I, he lives here three months out of the year. He's like a. He's like a uh, old car enthusiast. So he brings his cars back and forth between Vermont or somewhere in Texas. And then like my neighbor on the other side is just a retired dude who lives with his wife in his house and doesn't want to talk to his neighbors. So like, this is the future that we live in is it doesn't matter who you live next door. I have a stronger connection with everybody probably on this chat than I have with the person who lives 20 feet away from me on the other side of my house. So in the future, when or not even in the distant future in the near future we are going to be in a society where your government is a subscription base sort of like netflix where you just subscribe to that law and if you what have a problem it, it's a, it's the same thing it's the same thing as i have uh i think i have the uh, i can't actually i honestly don't even know my auto insurance my auto insurance i think is nationwide if i get into a car accident with somebody who has progressive i don't it doesn't matter to me at all if we get into a car accident i tell nationwide they tell progressive and they work it out there's no reason why my neighbor and i have to have the same insurance we can get along amicably when we have totally different governments it's true that the insurance companies can work things out i happen to know a lot about this area but often they get into disputes with one another or disputes with their policyholders. And when you have a contract of insurance, it has provisions with regard to how it may respond in the event of a loss and what the policyholders' duties are. But sometimes those provisions are interpreted very differently by the insurers involved or by the consumers involved. So uh, there are sometimes arbitration clauses as well. The arbitration process doesn't work perfectly in many cases either. No, it's right. uh, often protracted and has the same formalities as litigation. And then of course there's litigation and litigation can be protracted and expensive and ultimately requires some third party to say, okay, this is how it's going to be. But, uh, because if you don't do it that way, 
then you're going to have interminable disputes. Yeah, but, but let, let's let's go back. Let's go back to the part. One of the key points that you made is why is litigate? Lit, why is the litigation expensive? It's because there is a higher government body involved that causes it to be more expensive because lawyers are involved. They have to be licensed by the government. There, ha- there is there is all of these different layers involved that involve this higher authority of government. If we all had our own governments involved, most of this stuff would be resolved before it got to that point. And it, and it may not always work out perfectly. I'm not, I'm not saying this is a utopian society But, but what's at all. the first step to doing all, like all the stuff you described, it's very interesting. What is the first step to doing it? Because we're talking about what now, let's talk about how. But before that, Violent I also want revolution. to- uh, in Minecraft. Okay, I also well, want to share over here. In Minecraft, right. We're talking yeah. about, okay, so we were talking about um, a pro- a Progressive, uh, one of the uh, one of the insurance companies, a friend of the show. Sissified American Youth? Yes. What Yolo, the fuck? Yolo, okay, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a bigger image of this in a second. So oh. a friend of the show, a cream of dog, a.k.a. YOLO Swag Studios. Like, guys, follow him on Twitter. He has some of the best comics I've ever seen. So I, I want to showcase this one right now. This is uh, the one from last Real week. Real men like femboys. So, so over here, you see <laughs> what's written on the dad's shirt? For a while. You're pretty much gay in this <laughs> Why is adults? My favorite, my favorite part of this is evil Japanese game devs. <laughs> <laughs> and it, oh, it's about the the new Resident Evil. Yes, and, and you oh, see over wow. here the dad. He the says, big city uh, mommy in the new Resident yeah. Evil game. And the dad says, uh, "Why is adults who pleasure themselves to pictures of flow we, from progressive?" We need to bring back that nineteen uh, fifties like um, that like s- scream queen like Yvonne DiCarlo type of yeah work. i mean that that's not bad personally i like joyce proto goth proto goth everybody knows that oh uh, yes uh, thank you but you guys want to come Drew. to texas we'll write, we'll, we'll write it we'll we'll write a proto goth movie and we'll do it uh there's botticelli okay oh and this is a new comic over here so this is the one that he did about what, the whatever is my homes <laughs> whatever happened to that one comic guy real good comics no, is he Jules. did he get banned or jules what the fuck I, I don't understand. Yeah, Jules, I, uh, he hasn't. Is <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's hold on, let me... painting. <laughs> but I mean, the Botticelli you... painting is fine, but it's like if you're gonna be posting. Uh... No, it's all right. It's art. So art YouTube doesn't care about art. Uh, but still, but still, it's like. Dude, it's at, at, uh, no, no, okay. it's. I know for a fact YouTube will allow nudity if it's in an artistic context. So. Okay, but still, I'm not gonna. I'm still not gonna risk it. So I'm just saying, like. Yo, look at that, that tummy. That's I'm I, I'm glad that I was not able to post uh you know for, for people to see the full thing because again I don't know how the algorithm works I understand I what you're saying Geo but it's like at a certain point it's like I would just be you know knowing that this has occurred before I would just be like uh you know making fucking sure not to even like if you're thinking that maybe something will happen it's like why take the no risk, but but know? in this case like. I know for a fact that that YouTube will they'll even allow like legit nudity if it's like in a yoga or an artistic context. But um, yeah. So I I want like I'm just I'm reading Keshawagi's tweets. One they of them. They allow naked yoga. 
Yeah, they allow naked. That's crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, look, yeah, I'm not it's talking straight on vaginas. I'm not so I'm talking about yet naked yoga, but I'm talking about that gorilla nipple from. But that was <laughs> yeah, an that... oh that yeah yeah no, that no, was... no 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 I'm not How talking about that. I'm talking about, that, I'm talking about Jules posting an image of uh of Godzilla having Godzilla. sex with with King Kong. <laughs> oh my I god! Not, I did not. <laughs> yeah. I did not scroll Jules, further. Jules is posting again right now. Let's see. Godzilla Let's see what it comes is based, by the way. So, yeah, Godzilla fuck is totally going to win for Godzilla. Oh, but no, Kashiwagi is responding to this Rex Chapman tweet. It's it's messed up that we let criminals and educated people be politicians. They probably should vote. What if uh, they probably shouldn't vote either? What if we force them to you know take a test or something? <laughs> like I love how like these woke like Twitter accounts like now this or this fucking Chapman guy they'll like post things, but they don't even realize what they're actually saying behind the subtext unintentional like, unintentional dark enlightenment yeah unintentional realization of the dark enlightenment <laughs> it, it happens more often than you think oh man i i think it's yeah they it's, should take a test <laughs> you'd figure like people like i don't even i don't even right? care if i i don't even care if i pass a test like i want i would prefer the voting restricted because if you know what it's going the, the the certainty of knowing the outcome is stabilizing. Well, the question is, whose outcome is it going to be? Is it going to be the outcome that really favors what you might think to be a natural aristocracy of talent? Or is it going to be the outcome that the established players, whoever they are, are going to rig in their favor, which is Fine. what happens when voting rights get restricted because yeah, even yeah. people who earned their way to a certain position might not want to always be dealing with competition later on. Yeah, the, and, and either, world, either way, either way, you have an expectation of the outcome, whereas currently it, well, I mean, I guess we do sort of to some degree have an expectation of the outcome now because we know it's going to be establishment, but the, and, and kind of Trump threw a little bit of a wrench into this, although Trump didn't, ultimately didn't make it that big of a difference in my opinion. But um, I, I think ultimately I would rather know the outcome. I would rather have there be some sort of regime stability so that I can make plans for the future. And I would also like it to be clear and apparent to the majority of players or the people that are involved in, in the decision-making that it's illegitimate, that it, it, it doesn't matter who's being voted. Right now, there, people think that their vote matters. It doesn't. It, what, what is happening now is that they think that they got Joe Biden and what they got was Goldman Sachs. And what they thought when they voted for Trump was that they were going to get Trump. And what they ended up getting was Goldman Sachs with maybe an asterisk. That's, that, that's what happened. And so ultimately, if you restricted the voting, at least people would know, well, I didn't vote. This doesn't represent me. But I at least have some sort of expectation of what's going to happen and I can plan accordingly. Well, keep in mind, people who vote in one party regimes also have an expectation of what's going to happen and they kind of know who's going to win in advance. That doesn't help make that regime stabler or freer or 
more reliable in a good way. I mean, people can yeah. rely on the dictator being there for a while longer, like Putin or Lukashenko, but that doesn't mean that people's everyday lives are in any manner more secure or more prosperous. What you really that's need- that's, that's a good in, point, but also you have you have counter examples of that, like Pinochet and things like that, where, yeah, it wasn't great for a lot of people, but for in the Pinochet regime, it was it was better than it was for a lot of the neighboring states. And Pinochet was a mixed bag. Uh, yeah, I yeah, would say. Was. Uh, yeah. He, he was uh, all right know. in terms of his economic policies, but I can't <laughs> he was his He was a repression. neoliberal bootlicker, okay? I used to be into Pinochet back in the day when I was an ANCAP, but I think Pinochet, he was a pawn of the... And I very much d don't disagree, but if you look at the states around... Oh, no, it, they would have been way worse off if it yes. was with his opposition. They would have been fucked. But yeah, they, not to it, justify what Pinochet did, but like... And, no, yeah, it's, and, and, it, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not at all trying to justify any sort of any of these regimes i'm not i i don't i don't try to just oh no i don't even care about the, the um, commies that he did away with i'm talking about like him like basically letting like american corporations steamroll chili but that's well, no and, 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 I, and I, I i and i and i totally agree with you and i and, and that sort of thing but if, no i'm, if I'm sorry like i i don't yeah. mean to like like he did kill innocent people. Yeah, but political murder is never justified. And no, it's uh, not. I, it's not. Well. But, but this, this is the difference. This is the difference, though. That is the point I'm making is that you and I and Geo and Lev and Remus and everybody else on this chat are the objects of political murder. Murder. We're not In the murderers. Is that? Yeah. And so they come what, and kill what, us, boy. Yeah, what we're, we're, we're trying, small guy. that's true. Exactly. What we're trying to identify is who is the murderer and how do we protect ourselves against that? And under the Pinochet regime, you you knew what to do. And, and under the American regime, for the most part, you know what to do. I mean, we do have a lot of leeway here and, what, and that's great. But, but it's increasingly becoming, yes. like this is the problem with anarcho-tyranny. It's increasingly becoming vague and nebulous as to yeah, because I have to yeah, do exactly. I didn't cut my dick off, so I'm I'm now uh, an object of scorn under mm -hmm. the uh, the new regime. But it, 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 it's, it it's it's a bizarre world. It really. But is. even people like subtweeting that, like like I'm going through Kashiwagi's Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mean to, uh, you know, fanboy, but he he was uh, he screen capped these these like unironic like chapo communist like theory cell mark cell people where they're like oh yeah it's not an actual seizing the means of production because like kashiwagi was saying it's about seizing the means of production right uh, and they're like it's not a real one because you know it's petty bourgeoisie people who have money that are gambling in the stock market and it's just like this really insufferable like well actually like it to me that attitude no, it's not the means of production like it's like i guess like that's true when you're talking about a totally financialized economy like yeah like what does america produce like they're gonna seize a fucking factory we don't have factories <laughs> exactly uh, exactly yeah that, they're, they're, they're gonna seize like, yeah. they're going to break the hedge fund that's what the production in a financialized economy like you know like, like, think of it. What is, what are you going to do in terms of the American economic output? Like we were saying before in the in the conversation, we're going to seize a Hollywood studio. We're going to go to fucking. Farm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. the corn yeah. farm, or the or we're gonna go to that like collective OnlyFans studio in New York. Is that what we're gonna do? Because that's what America produces. We're gonna go to the corn valley in California, where they produce all the pornography. Which oh oh, by the way, all the pornography got fucking shipped off to Montreal. Now the vast majority of porn is produced in Montreal. So what are you gonna do? Is like, that really true? It, yeah, the vast San Fernando majority. Valley, dude. No, in in the one That's valley, but not... it's gone. Back it's gone from there now. They don't do it there anymore. Yeah, they do it. All the what LLCs. The of major... about that. No, no, but all That's the LLCs. Right of valley girl. Yeah, it's gone it's now. That's from the San Fernando Valley. It's gone. Yeah, no, no, no. It used to be. It was a good people yeah. say I work in the valley. But, it was but like even... that way of saying you work in the porn industry. Even no, if, but even all the if LLCs, was, the majority of the websites, they're all in Montreal now. And but a even lot of the if, studios even, are. Even if, it, even if it was still in the Central Valley, pornography is not a scarce resource. Like, it, it doesn't have to be produced Someone with there. a phone camera can yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And that's why OnlyFans has blown up. Right. You can but, see those videos now. <laughs> yeah, like, but that's that's the thing. I I didn't know about this. So I'll have to leave soon, but uh, I will leave you with one thought. I think it's difficult sometimes in contemporary society to really disentangle what is establishment from what is rebelling against the establishment, because in some ways those realms are going to overlap and you're going to have some individuals who may think they're counter-establishment but are perceived by other groups as being establishment for not taking it far enough. I know this is often the case within even transhumanist circles, believe it or not. I'm considered to be conservative for a transhumanist. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe you do believe that, uh, but uh, I try to hold uh, the movement together and the U.S. Transhumanist Party together through approaches that some people might consider state and conventional, even though our goal is uh, a great deal of fundamental change in society, technology, culture, etc. So I think it's also important to consider what are the tactics of those who are perceived to be establishment what lengths are they willing to go to and what restraints have they placed upon themselves? This is why uh, I alluded to the French Revolution being a mistake. Uh, Louis XVI was not a bad human being. He actually thought he sincerely cared about the well-being of his subjects. He didn't like a lot of physical punishment, for example. He just considered it to be... Uh, he was trying to get rid of the institution of execution in France. Yes, yes. Uh, he, he actually tried to institute some humane, classically liberal reforms. Of course, he wanted also to remain an absolute monarch uh, while doing so. Uh, clearly not a perfect ruler and not a perfect situation in France at the time. But the people who, in my view, were too radical, and I don't think the uh, proponents of the uh, constitutional monarchy in France were too radical. I'm talking about the Jacobins who wanted to guillotine everyone they made the situation a lot worse. And one of the dangers when it comes to a climate of widespread anti-establishment sentiment or populist sentiment is that you can have 
real monsters come into power uh, under the banner of overthrowing the system and pointing out to legitimate flaws and corruptions and manipulations within the system. But the alternative they offer uh, would be the guillotine and killing fields. So it's important to consider not just is there a corrupt establishment? Is the game being rigged against people? And yes, it is to a certain extent. But how do we change that in a manner that causes less disruption to the lives of ordinary people, including people who are fairly well off in the status quo, uh, as compared to the alternative? So th that's very important. And it's interesting, one of the Jacobins, Danton, as he was being uh, carried off to the guillotine by his erstwhile ally Robespierre, who decided to execute him. Uh, he said, mm -hmm. the revolution is like the god Saturn. It devours its own children. That is what we need to be afraid of. And uh, that is what I will leave you with because uh, I want to dispel any misconceptions. I am not that kind of revolutionary. I would rather prefer gradual incremental social change but uh, ambitious and radical technological change. That is well said, Janati. I really appreciate it's you coming well on. Said. And uh, with that, guys, mm -hmm. we are going to conclude today's stream. I yeah, I gotta go eat, man. Yeah, Holy I, shit. <laughs> I, I, I thank everybody here for uh, for being here. So here's what's going down uh, tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, let me make sure that I read all the uh, all the super chats as well, because we have been getting other super chats before that, and I got uh, and I got distracted. So uh, hold on, let me uh, load up a new. Uh, profile over here and once again everybody who is watching i'm sure you have all subscribed and if you had not subscribed well you better subscribe right now and i'm just going to i'm not i'm not even going to scroll because i don't know I don't, I don't know what to expect anymore from this so uh, uh we're just going to leave the chat over no okay fine whatever it's difficult to concentrate. No, no, it's difficult to concentrate on two things when you don't really know what to expect. You know what I mean? Like when it's at a certain point where you think like, uh, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe it's going to cause problems, but maybe not. Like if it's in that gray area, like I said before, multiple times, like it's best to err on the side of caution and not tempt fate. And uh, I think that in that way, it's like uh, this is the kind of yes, responsibility that I want to have on the stream. Penis. Jules, what? please do not post Godzilla's penis, Jules. Oh, God. <laughs> please. Although, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, because it's like, you know, these things, you know, they they happened before. And uh, as far as this, I want to make sure that things, you know, that out of all the things that can bring a stream down to have it be from, you know, something that was discussed before and something oh. that doesn't have to be done. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, uh, by the way, I wanted to ask now that Remus is here. So maybe while Lev is finding the Super Chats, Remus, Conor <laughs> McGregor, what is yes. his career status? What is going to okay. happen to McGregor? Uh, I, can, I can do this very, very briefly. All right, so anybody that watched that fight and put money on him, um, I get it. 
Okay. Everybody rode the hype train. Okay. Anybody that watched the rise of Conor McGregor, that was amazing. It was it was like a fairy tale. It was crazy. This guy was doing shit that was impossible. And then the, and the match it could have went either way, but it just he got well, he it, got got no, out listen, of this, this is what happened. This is what happened. All right. So McGregor's been out for a while and he has a very influential style. He has a very wide karate stance. Okay. Mm. A lot of people have adopted this stance coming up in the game because it's been years and years since McGregor started and he's been exciting to watch since the beginning. So a lot of kids are growing up trying to emulate the McGregor style. Those kids are mixed martial artists now. They're adults, okay? They and they're and they're here to 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 fight. So the meta of the fight game in mixed martial arts has been shaped around that kind of style, uh, striking striking style, stand style, all of that. It's evolved. Calf kicks are huge now. A lot of people kicking the lead the lead leg on the calf because it's surprisingly uh, effective. At deadening your leg and stopping you from being able to put a lot of pressure on the lead well, it leg. What knocks you cars, off? It reminds it's me not just of that. Uh, yeah. it, it deadens your leg, man. It makes it so that you can't move in and out effectively. You can't uh, 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 you can't keep on the on the on the on the balls of your feet, the toes, right? You can't you can't stay effective at moving um, moving away from damage and moving in to do damage. All of that mobility gets like halved or or you know fifth. It's it's a huge impediment especially if you're not like really aware and connor hasn't fought in like a long time and the last time that he fought he just knocked the guy out really fast and the time before that this really wasn't meta so he kind of got beat by the fact that he was fighting somebody who had just been through like several crazy wins and wars and defeated extremely effective um challengers and he lost because even if you watch, if you watched him on the way in, man, he looked worried. He 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 has a lot to lose. Yeah. It's it's yeah. they were in completely different stages in their life. One guy has it's essentially this situation of the GameStop. One guy has nothing to lose, nothing to prove. He's already lost to this dude. He wants to beat him out of pride, not because of money or anything like that. And Connor has everything to lose. He's the hot, top of the game. He's the coolest guy in the world. Everybody expects him to win. Everybody thinks he's going to win. All the normies think he's going to win. Nobody know who. Everybody who knows nothing <laughs> about fighting thinks he's going to win. Yeah. So they just assume. It's like Ali. They have no idea, right? So then when he gets fucking TKO'd, he's never been TKO'd in his career in MMA. There's never been a time where Conor McGregor has looked like that in the cage. He has no footage of him looking bad like that. He knew that this was going to happen. He knew Dustin Poirier was game. The first exchange, Dustin Poirier had this dude timed on a hook. It was ridiculous. If you watch that fight again, you'll see what I'm saying now. But the reason Conor lost is because he's been out of the game for too long and this thing moves too fast and he fought a guy that is too good, too sharp, and who has been too active. That's my analysis. There you go. And here are the super chats. Uh, we have... Uh... Okay, it's reloading again. Hold on one second. Everybody subscribe, although you probably have. Okay, here we go. So we have um, a welder guy who donated $5 through Super Chat. Buy Dogecoin, my friends. The future is uh, uh, in our hands. We have Jacob Stern, $5, nya. Peter Faust, $5, nya. Conscious Moss, $5, ooh, woo. And there we go. Those are the super chats. Oh, oh. and uh, and conscious moss before that five dollars donating for Geo's light bill. So oh, 
And okay, so here's uh, what we have coming up. Tuesday, February 2, we have Noah <laughs> Hugbox of Noah's Hugs Hugbox on uh, YouTube. And then for Thursday, February 4th, we have all three creators of Cyanide and Happiness coming on. All three. They are of the uh, webcomic. Oh, shit, that's and, awesome. And then who else we have over here? Then we were going to have Tuesday, February 9th about feudalism. Thursday, February 11th. I would like to make that about uh, psychedelics, and hopefully we're going to be able to have on uh, a lot of interesting people, including uh, Owen Cyclops. So uh, we're going to be uh, working that out. And uh, then we're going to have another free-for-all Friday, I believe, February 12th. And then Tuesday, February 16th, I think that's going to be the Cyberpunk stream, followed by Thursday, February 18th, which is the China stream. And from there on in, uh, still like a mystery, mystery, mystery. And then Gino Samuel should be on Thursday, March 4th. So there we have it. And we are always looking for great guests. Let us know who you would recommend. Patreon.com slash break the rules. And uh, let me post that. Any shilling from anybody else? Does anybody want to shill stuff? Uh, Geo, I'm going to shill your YouTube right now. Yes. Uh, so here we go, guys. Go to Geo's YouTube channel. He's got amazing conversations, especially the recent one here. So here we go. Here is. And I'm going uh, to. Productions. And I'm yes. going to upload either in the weekend or Monday um, a, a breakdown of this excellent uh, Twitter thread by Egg Report. So, uh, Randy Egg Report, I'm going to do that. Uh, it's this famous thread that got some uh, infamy about the WQ, the woman question. So, it's going to be lit. I have it recorded. I just have to upload it. But the reason I didn't upload it is because of the whole GameStop gate and Ricky Vaughn situation. So, nice. There we go, everybody. I am uh, so happy to have had this uh, beautiful conversation with you beautiful people, and we're going to be doing a lot more of this stuff. We are going to be reaching out and hopefully having a conversation with Christopher and more people who are in favor of central banks kind of getting into the bottom of that, because at a certain point, like, there have to be some core things that are at the disagreement, not just saying that, well, these statistics say otherwise. Like, let's actually go into it and see what we can, what, what can come out at the other end. So there we go, guys. Thank you so much for another Break the Rule stream. I love all of you. God bless. Good night, everybody. God and bless goodbye. you. Bye, Ricky Vaughn. Take care. Goodbye. All right.